Alrighty. Thank you very much for that. Guillaume. Yeah, I just I just wanted to say that I was in complete agreement with you, Anna. It's a bit tiring hearing the same tired tropes and narrative. Yeah, we know NATO organized the war. Victoria Newland and the U.S. had this plan to turn Ukraine into an anti-Russia. Yeah, we we heard it all thousands of times. Uh, what annoys me the most is that we're going to deny the Russian agency into all of this, uh, because every time that they claim it's a manufactured war, they kind of elude a whole part of the equation, which is how do you explain that Russian boots went into a sovereign nation, into a neighboring nation that, unless you give you provide me proof of it, I did not attack Russia. So why do we feel, um, do those people feel that they can deny the whole agency of the of the Russian state? Like, you know, they're also a sovereign nation and they made a sovereign choice to invade Russia, to invade Ukraine. So anyway, it's just, you know, tired tropes and narratives. And, and frankly, it's it gets a bit tiring hearing that same bullshit rehashed over and over and over again. Those people have their own spaces, namely Russia today. Let them go there. Uh, for the people that want to have a rational conversation, the Maria report is here. Sorry, just felt a bit frustrated. Pas problem. You're very welcome. And uh, but then I'll try to get our friend Freight Monkey up because he is currently still in the UAE and can possibly also advise on matters there. Righty ho. Freight Monkey. Hello. Sorry, I missed that. I was trying to get Freight Monkey back up. We lost him. No. That seems to be a logistical question today with the Freight Monkey. I don't know how that happened. Freight Monkey? Are you... I see Freight Monkey up, so... Oh, I'm here. But I didn't want to interrupt oh, there you else. go. You see, you see? Oh, not a problem. We're very glad to have you with us. I, I just wanted to... I mean, well-handled Axel on that, that lady, Brunel, or something. I was going through her, through her Twitter feed and... Uh, I think you really got that one out uh, just at the right time. It is quite incredible how whenever someone gets ready to be very disingenuous and 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 to attack, um, they first try to pose as some kind of uh, some kind of humanitarian person. I don't know if you've also seen a, an uptick in this kind of behavior. It's very insidious. It's a, I think it's a form of propaganda. Right, you first come and say, "I'm thinking about all the victims." You know, I'm thinking after the war and just the camps and the blood, etc. And then they go and and legitimize uh, what is happening. Um, my fiance posted something on Instagram. Uh, it's uh, it's a Russian Russian language text that she received from her brother on the 24th of Feb, 2022. And uh, the translation is a little bit wonky because it's not well translated, but it basically translates to the shelling has started, shells are falling on Dnipro, that's where they live, uh, we are all right, and then take a sedative, meaning, I guess, uh, you know, don't worry. I don't think it means literally take a sedative. Um, but um, whenever someone comes and tells me uh, uh, it's the Ukrainians' fault, I just think of uh, my fiance's brother, her family, and the millions of other people who have to go, who have to, or who have had to uh, go through this. So, 
no no space for the, for people like Brunello, in my opinion. Absolutely. And with that, uh, we should recognize uh, uh, another friend from Ukraine, Mikhailo, Mikhailo Konyev from uh, the Ministry of Digital Transformation. Uh, hi, everyone. Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, depending on which part of the globe you are. Uh, or as Boris Johnson in Kyiv once said, Dobry den, everybody. Uh, this is my second appearance in this chat. Uh, first was in December, when practically all territory of Ukraine was in blackout. And uh, in that time, we speak about the open data and the access to public information during wartime. Uh, but today, uh, I would like to give some reflection about previous year and some plans of Ukrainian government for the future. Uh, but first Very all, welcome. Thank you. But first of all, uh, I want to thank everyone, including the organizers of Maria Report, uh, for your huge support of Ukraine and belief uh, in our victory. Uh, uh, yeah, a year ago, Ukraine faced uh, armed aggression. Uh, I think uh, unprecedented in the 21st century and uh, we continue to suffer daily attacks from the terrorist state. Uh, but we have still uh, resisted the occupiers and have been resisting uh, for the year. And uh, uh, we are defending the ideals of the civilized world and uh, democratic society. Um, I think during this year we became stronger and uh, now we are able to unite uh, almost the whole world around us. It's uh, the great uh, achievement, I think, uh, for the last year. Um, and uh, today no one has doubt uh, that, uh, who started this war and uh, that uh, all guilty people must be punished and Ukraine's victory is inevitable. Uh, speaking about the Ministry of the Digital Transformation, uh, we have been actively participating in uh, um, producing our victory since the first day of the war. Uh, first of all, I would uh, say about the um, United24, the fundraising platform, uh, which was created by the ministry on the initiative of the president of Ukraine. And uh, United24 uh, uh, have already uh, support uh, for Ukrainian victory, and uh, we have a huge support from the um, West world to our victory uh, through this platform. Uh, can you, thought, can, uh, Mikhail, can you tell people maybe a bit more about how much money United24 has already managed to capture and what United24 typically provides the money to and what sources and users, so to say? Yeah, yeah. Uh, United24 is fundraising platform. Uh, we don't say how much money uh, we can get uh, from the people around the world, but we uh, transparent public uh, uh, all um, costs and uh, um, all of our um, and where uh, all money um, passed through this platform. Uh, first of all, this uh, this is the army of drones, and 
uh, thanks to the Ministry of the Digital Transformation in the Ukrainian uh, um, Army Forces, the world's first separate military unit of uh, unmanned uh, aerial uh, vessels, uh, drones, uh, is operating. Uh, this, uh, uh, this became possible thanks to the uh, Army of Drones project and uh, with the financial support of United 24. And of course, the first sea um, drones army uh, will be um, uh, will be started uh, through the United 24 platform. Uh, and uh, um, our citizen uh, in the temporarily occupied territories uh, continue to help the armed forces of Ukraine. And uh, thanks to the uh, chatbot Yevoroch, uh, which was developed by the ministry, uh, transmit data on the movement of uh, equipment and uh, manpower of the occupiers um, to uh, our um, armed forces. And all of this brings our victory closer. Uh, but uh, speaking about uh, standard duties of the Ministry of the Digital Transformation during the wartime, uh, we don't forget about it and uh, continue to develop the electronic services, uh, uh, electronic services for citizens, uh, especially for vulnerable categories that uh, needed uh, uh, government support in war times and that in such a difficult time. Uh, and uh, speaking about the Ukrainian application DIA, um, European countries uh, uh, continue to implement uh, um, our um, application in uh, their uh, electronic system. Uh, you know, uh, on the Davos forum in February this in January this year, uh, Estonia uh, was the first uh, uh, European state that uh, make uh, its personal uh, digital application uh, based on DIA, and uh, we hope that uh, in this year, uh, as more European and not only European country uh, will. Um, get uh, uh, the source code of DIA and uh, can get its personal uh, digital um, digital um, electronic services application for citizens in their country. And of course, uh, speaking about uh, open data, the sphere I'm in charge of, we continue to develop it despite all challenges of wartime. Uh, in 2022, the European Open Data uh, Maturity, uh, it's the European study of the maturity uh, on the open data sphere, and uh, Ukraine took the second place in that uh, uh, case study, in that rating, uh, which testifies to the high level of development of the open data in Ukraine, and uh, which is most importantly, uh, um, speak about public support for transparent uh, and democratic governance. Because open data uh, was and uh, still be the key to fighting uh, the corruptions. And uh, unfortunately, corruption is uh, still uh, our internal enemy. 
but uh, uh, together with uh, our um, military services and our internal uh, our ministry of internal affairs so we try to fight against uh, the corruption uh, and of course uh, the government is already working on the post-war uh, reconstruction of ukraine and uh, our main task is to ensure its in transparency and accountability open data i think plays a key role in this uh, we have already returned the public access uh, to the most uh, important data sets related to anti-corruption policy and uh, um, access of the func uh, functioning of the Ukrainian businesses during the war. Uh, you know, uh, in our previous discussion, it was a really fight between uh, ministry and uh, representative of the civil society uh, speaking about the um some financial information of the um businesses in ukraine and uh, fortunately we have now we have the public access to this information and uh, uh, open data services in ukraine uh, has already implemented it in uh, their product uh, I think, Michaela, this is the key aspect we discussed it when you were here uh, last time. There's a challenge um, as to the concept of open data during wartime. On the, on the other hand, if civil society were to give up on its projects, making itself available, meaning making its data available to the citizens in future, then reconstruction will never be successful. So one has to be prepared, and I mean, everybody commends you for the efforts invested into this. So, and by the way, at the same time, uh, in preparation also for the, say, not only the reclaiming of territory and rebuilding, but um, helping uh, later to find out who has been lost and who has been taken away. Um, your efforts are absolutely vital. Yeah, of course, and uh, this is the only beginning. Uh, there is a lot of work ahead and a lot of work ahead uh, after our victory and uh, um, both uh, regarding the restoration of the standard practices of uh, publishing the most important information and, of course, the creation of uh, new systems and uh, mechanism for controlling the use of public funds monitoring the uh, effectiveness of reconstruction and of course maybe um, finding a new way to um, a new way and new approaches to uh, open data and public information in Ukraine. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mihailo, a couple of questions if, you, if I may. Uh, given the fact that it's the anniversary of this uh, specific all-out attack, where were you on the day when the invasion happened and what were you doing and what was your view at that time? Uh, yeah, I was uh, in Kiev uh, on the 21st of the February uh, 2022 and uh, in that day, we, uh, the day before the uh, Great War start, we prepared the uh, International Open Data uh, Day, but in Ukraine we uh, want to celebrate not only one day, but uh, the uh, Open Data Week and we prepared uh, for that. 
But uh, after the uh, full-scale migration started, uh, uh, all of our work was uh, changed. Uh, all our plans was changed, and uh, we uh, started to um, continue working of uh, government of Ukraine uh, during the war time. Uh, I uh, personally, I was in Kiev uh, through the um, April of uh, 2022, and uh, then uh, I should go to the uh, Krivoy Rock because uh, in uh, where my mother uh, still lived, uh, and because uh, uh, the um, situation on the south uh, was uh, unstable, and uh, I can't uh, leave uh, her without any support, and uh, I should uh, do this. And, and Krivoy or Krivoy Rog, as you said. Uh, Evidently, apart from its in industrial significance, uh, Russian troops came rather close throughout the summer to Krivory, and um, Ukrainians in their fortifications, and as well as with mobile defense, ultimately defeated them and pushed them back. But they were close enough, were they not? Uh, yeah, uh, it uh, was approximately 50 kilometers from the um, south bank of Krivory. Yeah. Uh, and Krivirich uh, uh, were uh, on the airstrike attacks, and unfortunately, um, some um, strike attacks of a reactive uh, uh, system. And it's a it's a very important region where uh, where you hail from and where your mother is still there today. Uh, is she back there? I mean, um, is everybody thus far okay? Uh, yeah, everything is okay. Uh, she doesn't move uh, anywhere, uh, not only uh, um, nevertheless in Kyiv. Uh, yeah, uh, and uh, she's still in Krivorok, and uh, Krivorich is uh, the uh, fortress of uh, Ukraine, and uh, our city uh, helps to the armed forces of Ukraine, and uh, is, uh, the, I think, the uh, greatest uh, uh, example of um, how uh, municipal um, government uh, should prepare for the war and uh, help its uh, citizens uh, with uh, any difficulties of wartime. Yeah, we've heard this before that um, uh, cities such as Kriviri, Poltava, Dnipro and the likes, all of them are doing their fair share, but not everybody talks about them as much and uh, but there is a massive effort ongoing in support of the um uh, armed forces and their works yeah uh, it's a voluntary work it's a work for the um keeping equipment for our uh, armed uh, armed forces and uh, uh, of course uh, it's the um, information support work uh, because uh, um, when we speak about uh, such uh, cities like Kremerich, uh, Poltava, Dnipro, which are uh, closely to the um, front, uh, I think it's very important uh, that uh, this cities is still uh, alive and uh, work on its daily routine. Uh, nevertheless, uh, airstrike attack. Uh, 
Yeah, that's very uh, very good point which you just brought. We had uh, Natalia Andreeva from uh, a native and uh, media uh, person from uh, uh, Saporizia earlier on today, and she also highlighted the fact that um, what that literally you cannot allow Russia to dictate your life, and that people will still carry on and live the day. And uh, she stressed that humor matters a great deal. And without levity, without that humor, um, one cannot carry through the day. So somehow Ukrainians manage to actually still retain exactly that freedom. Uh, yes, uh, of course. You know, uh, in the Ukrainian uh, is a by word, moya chata nichoho which means um, my house from the age. I don't know in anything. Uh, but I think uh, uh, after this war and uh, after the, this year, um, it's uh, all uh, go down in history and. Uh, um, it is uh, like uh, everyone, everybody in Ukraine works on our victory and uh, wants it uh, uh, as soon as possible. Mikhailo, tell me, what, what will you do? What do you expect to do on the day of victory? Uh, it's a very good question. Um, you know, I have uh, relatives in Crimea and my relatives in Crimea are still waiting for Ukrainian uh, armed forces uh, uh, to come to the, uh, Crimea and uh, to save them uh, from the uh, Russian occupiers. And I think that the first things after uh, our victory I will do. Uh, I will uh, took a uh, um, ticket to the train uh, in uh, Sevastopol and uh, meet my relatives and um, my nephew. Uh, who was born uh, after the occupation and uh, I uh, haven't seen her um, only I have seen her only uh, by screen by video calls but uh, not alive this is the key there are many people under occupation waiting to be freed and liberated yeah we should never forget that. And uh, I like the fact uh, when Alexander Commission uh, was here with us, and um, he'll come back later today yet again, he highlighted that Ukrasaliznitsia uh, was about to start selling tickets. That was uh, end of last year when this uh, um, approach started, St selling tickets for exactly those cities so that people would take part in this and never forget. And which is why, for example, in Kiev and the main train station, you still see trains listed going to Mariupol, Sevastopol, Melitopol, and Luhansk. Uh, yes, and Ukrzaliznice uh, uh, make uh, um, a great part of job uh, for our victories through the first day uh, when it was evacuation from the east of Ukraine and uh, from Kharkiv, Konstantinivka and uh, other cities um, 
the role of Ukrzelnitsa uh, was uh, a key role, and uh, thanks uh, for them, uh, we have uh, a lot of uh, people still alive, and uh, um, it uh, really helps us to uh, have, first of all, to have a time, and uh, second, uh, but uh, <laughs> the last but not the least, uh, yeah, uh, to save people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we've we've followed the um, efforts of the Iron Army here quite uh, insistently, and uh, our co uh, our colleagues here, a little team of ours, has been traveling and producing um, together uh, in, in collaboration with Alexander and his team a little documentary series about it, so there'll be more released. We we'll probably should uh, make sure that it gets to the Ministry of Digital Transformation as well. Maybe we should make sure that we interview you and your colleagues when we're next in Kyiv. Of course, of course. Thank you very much, uh, Michalo. Very much appreciated for sharing this uh, with us today. Um, now, how many people in the ministry um, are currently working there? Can you talk a little bit about it? This is a, this is a very important ministry for uh, digital transformation, uh, as, for example, Estonia has done and leapfrogging out of um, what was a challenging environment for itself in the 2000s specifically, after having escaped Soviet occupation beforehand, um, Ukraine is doing the same thing, but with even more advanced technology. You're transforming the whole country. This is uh, an astonishing feat. How many people are invested in this in the ministry? Can you talk to that? Uh, yeah, uh, we have not uh, such a huge staff. Uh, it's uh, only about uh, 118 uh, peoples in uh, ministry, but uh, we have um, CDTO uh, in other ministries. Uh, CDTO is um, uh, chief digital transformation officers, which are uh, deputy chief of the uh, ministry or um, government authority. And uh, in each uh, government authority, we have a digital transformation team that helps us to uh, develop and to uh, make uh, some digital decision in uh, not only in the uh, government authority, but in the uh, sphere, uh, which are by this government authority. Uh, so um, I think uh, everyone in Ukraine is a part of our digital transformation and uh, uh, is a part of uh, our digital future. Uh, the application uh, has more than 10 million active users and uh, uh, not only in Ukraine. Uh, through the war, uh, a lot of people uh, have moved to the European state, especially to Poland and the uh, uh, users are uh, all over the world and uh, I think that uh, uh, it's a really good example and uh, um, government of European countries and governments of uh, other countries uh, can uh, have uh, our, um, our approaches to digital transformation and I think Ukraine uh, is the example for uh, a lot of countries to uh, how to develop uh, new approaches to digital transformation and uh, how to make new approaches to uh, governance of the state with uh, digital technology.
Absolutely. And this has been well recognized already by many nations in Western Europe in that regard, who still have a large body of paper-based work and procedures and processes which are determined by rules and regulations and restrictions of the past. In that regard, the crucible of what Ukraine has gone through and is con continues to go through will probably spin off a lot of innovation. So it's very much appreciated. Thank you, Michalo. This is uh, tremendous. Thank you too, and uh, long live to Ukraine. Absolutely. Slava Ukraini. Heroem Slava. Slava Rasi. Smert всім ворогам. Україна понад усе. Absolutely. We're very lucky, Mihailo. So please um, uh, feel free to come here at any time and every time. We, are, we will remain here. Maria report will not go away. We will continue to support Ukraine, create information awareness, dissect the data, and bring people the news as it is worldwide until victory has been finally achieved. And almost likely we will support the reconstruction thereafter as well, because it merits attention. It's a very, very momentous and, uh, say, effort which is being undertaken at the moment. And uh, thank you very much for sharing your time on this uh, momentous day with us. Thank you. So, everybody, give a big hand to Mikhailo Konyev from the Ministry of Digital Transformation in Ukraine on this February 24th, the anniversary of the attack. Liberty Day. George. Good morning, everyone, uh, or good day. Yoy, yoy, Yeah, it's exactly a year. Uh, right now, uh, last year around this time, uh, we were making drastic, uh, frantic phone calls to uh, our family in Ukraine. And I'm sure, uh, you know, millions of other people uh, outside of Ukraine were trying to get a hold of their loved ones. Uh, it's, it, it, it's, uh, it just seems a, a little surreal, right? Axel, that it's gone on for a year now. Sorry, I was just coughing. I apologize. It is, well, maybe I'm just too boring. It, for me, all of this is very real. And we've had this discussion, I think, last year in end of March with a number of people when people were thinking, I said, how is this going? And uh, you're all talking here 24-7 and doing this. And um, we started then, literally, in the middle of March, we started organizing ourselves here a little. And we had to. And um, maybe, again, it's, it's the boring thing of running businesses and the likes. You have to get communications right. You have to, um, you have to deal with the scarcity of available resources, be it time, people, <clears throat> vocal cords, and the likes. But the essence is that we, at that point in time, knew that this will take time. It was evident. It was a force-on-force -force conflict. And I think you know it. I know it. We can see it, we've been there, and we were hoping that Ukraine would receive sufficient support quickly enough, which came in, and fortunately it 
arrived still on time, albeit that you and I, I think, both <laughs> agree that we should have it more, faster, more comprehensively and better, but still. But I think there is nothing surreal about it. This is a projection. Well, I think this well, is as real as it gets because we expected this to happen. We expected Russian troops to behave as they do. Yeah, I think what, what I mean by surreal is that not that it's not real. It's just that, you know, come on, like, think, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, this was the the least maybe possible outcome. Not, not in, and obviously some of the neighbors of Russia's mind, but most of the known world, right? That 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 a uh, that a full scale invasion uh, uh, of a sovereign country in, in Europe would happen like this, right? Especially, you know, um, a country that you know was was gearing itself up to uh, you know attempt to become part of the EU and things of that nature. It's just. It's absolutely bonkers crazy, you know, and, um, you know, the thing that, the thing that makes me like choke up is, you know, when, I, when I've seen people posting videos of, you know, demonstrations and, you know, and, and other, uh, going on from Mariupol you know, several days or, or weeks before, uh, you know, Ru Russia, you know, but before February 24th, before R Russia, you know, decided to, 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 to blow this, like, uh, full-scale invasion on. And you look at those videos and, you know, you just, your mind just can't, keep from thinking like how many of those people are still among us you know how many of those people unfortunately you know lost their lives to these genocidal maniacs and um you know it's it's a year anniversary uh, of that tragedy it's uh you know we're glad that ukraine <laughs> that ukrainians are in the fight and that you know they've they've not only held the Russians, uh, but they've pushed them back uh, in in parts of their country and look like they're on the precipice of you know liberating uh, the, the rest of their their occupied lands. But you know you can't stop but think of like all the people uh, that were lost and uh, being a uh, you know being Greek myself and. It's just, it's just tragic, you know, like when you think back on, on how vibrant a city that was, you know, the, the, the minority communities that were there and, you know, I, I, I want people just, you know, to, to not forget that. Yeah, I'm t how should I put this? I'm, I'm the worst person to address in that regard. Really, I am. And um, 
what I've learned once, um, and my grandfather was good guidance in that regard, because uh, he had to suffer through the impact of the Second World War as well. And so had other family members, by the way, on all sides of the front. Completely insane, if you think about it. There's a time for grief, and there's a time to fight. For me, and I'm not in Ukraine at the moment, and I'm not Ukrainian, but uh, as you all know, my spouse is Tatar. This is not the time for grief. I can't do that, and I won't do it now. I understand everybody who feels that way, and that's completely fine. And I, I do respect that. The only thing I can do personally, and the, the only thing most of us can do, is to support our Ukrainians and stand by them, help them, and make sure that they're in the fight, that they remain in the fight, that they can carry out that fight, and that they feel that we are there for them so that they will dedicate themselves to that fight. There's no alternative to exactly that, fighting. Oh. Everything else, unfortunately, I'm sorry, everything else, unfortunately, for me personally, is completely, utterly secondary. And it will remain so. Now, that may be a bit simplistic, that may be something not everybody is fair with, completely fine, but I can't change it for me. I will do nothing else than support, organize, arrange, finance, cajole, and if need be, carry out the fight. Yeah, Axel, you know, <laughs> I, uh, us Greeks, uh, we grieve and fight at the same time. That's why we traditionally in, in the southern Greece were black. So, yep, we can do both. And, <laughs> I know, I've, I've been there. I, um, I I lived I lived in uh, um, Athens for a while, so I do get that. I understand this. Yeah, I I have observed it. I respect it. I just can't do it. I understand. I understand. And, and, but you know, and and, and you know, um, I just can't wait till till. Uh, I can't wait till April and May. Uh, you know, th th that's several months away. But I think that's when uh, I think that's when Ukraine's going to break uh, break the uh, back uh, or whatever's left of the back of the uh, uh, of the Russian hordes in Ukraine. And uh, you know, I think it'll, well, uh, we quickly wrap so up after that. Today, George, today we saw the first leopards go into Ukraine. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, another, another, what was it? Two billion, with a B, two billion dollar uh, package that was uh, announced by the United States, or has it not been formally announced yet? It has, no, no, uh, during the night. Ah, Absolutely. Two billion, yeah. You see? You see, you see, uh, uh, Axel. You know this. You know the history. This is what happens when you uh, f around and find out that uh, you know 
the, the United States sometimes goes into a little bit of a slumber, you know. We uh, sometimes, you know, we, we tend to get a little sleepy at the wheel, but, uh, you know, uh, those that underestimate uh, the economic might and the uh, resolve of the arsenal of democracy uh, have lost, right? When uh, when when we we go in, uh, you know, with and set the uh, the resolve, uh, there's nothing that's gonna stop uh, that flow of uh, support and weapons, you know. You know, the absolutely. United States invest. You know, uh, I so a lot of people didn't comment about it, but um, last, I think it was the beginning of of this past week, the United States uh, announced it was. Uh, Investing a billion dollars to up the um, manufacture of uh, ammunition, uh, specifically 155 millimeter shells. Just think about it. It's one billion to increase production. Think about it. And who can do that at a drop of a dime? Like the United States can. And it was high time. George, it was high oh, times. Yes. Oh yes, oh yes. But you know, just think about it. They, they like, eh, we'll drop a billion here. A couple of companies. You guys are gonna do this. You know, uh, foundries and uh, companies that uh, are making like, uh, you know, heavy steel uh, products. Uh, you know, are are going to be making now manufacturing 155 millimeter shells. Just think about that. I mean. This is this is the incredible part of the United States. Well, and let's see how this comes to bear because uh, the, these shells will be needed. And by the way, there will be a lot of ammunition needed for more and more leopards as well. Uh, because in about, well, by now, um, what's it? Um, 25 minutes roughly. We should have an announcement from the Swedish government. We're just waiting for a press conference to start. And um, as it seems, there will be news on the front of 122s, or the Swedish version of the leopard. And, and uh, wasn't it, was Spain announced uh, they were sending uh, leopards too, right? I think they announced that yesterday. <laughs> Or the day before? Yeah, they did, but the numbers are very small. And uh, I think uh, somebody has to, you know, travel to Madrid once more and give them a little shake. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's going to happen. I, I, I think this is, uh, you know, I think the, these initial uh, announcements are going to be obviously up to, in, in, in the future. And, uh, you know, if look, if if we get if we get a uh, hundred and a hundred to a hundred and twenty, hundred forty uh, Western main vital tanks uh, in Ukraine for that uh, offensive that I'm looking forward to in uh, late April, uh, they're quickly going to run out of targets. Uh, Axel, me and you know both know that they're going to run out of tar <laughs> targets quickly because. Uh, yeah, well, the the targets that aren't gonna aren't uh, gonna be destroyed are gonna be abandoned, and I I will guarantee you this. I, I'll put I'll I'll, I'll uh, I wish Stone was here. I'll, I'll eat another uh, 
full of, uh, you know, cr uh, boiled croak. But uh, I guarantee you this, you'll see a three to one factor of uh, three abandoned tanks to every destroyed Russian tank when that offensive kicks off, if not four to one. Because just people, people just don't understand. They don't understand the absolute carnage they're going to unleash on the Russians. And, you know, guys that have been training for two months or a month or three months or even six months, they're not going to stand and fight people. And that's, and that's why the faster we get this stuff into Ukraine, the, the faster that, that uh, absolute garbage of an army collapses and runs back to Russia. And maybe when they run back to Russia, they'll be pissed off that they were put in that predicament to begin with. And maybe maybe we'll see a 1917 repeat, which I, I'm all yeah. Spirit of Tannenberg. Now, uh, two questions that I got. We, we heard, it, by the way, Mikhail had, had highlighted this uh, earlier, the wonderful app which uh, Ukraine is running so that um, Ukrainians in the occupied territories can provide data. Um, that becomes absolutely valuable to the ZSU when attacking. This is absolutely key. This is something which did not exist in the past. And uh, if you think about it, what kind of advantage Ukraine actually has with its own population. The other side is an expeditionary occupation army. They are in hostile territory. That, that's the biggest thing that I think, uh, I think a lot of people, even some military people are, are forgetting. Because what happens when you plan for an offensive, right? You you plan that you're going to to take this territory or whatever, you know, and everybody uses occupy, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, they're not occupying territory. So what happens in a regular offensive is you know that you're going to lose some of your offensive power as you uh, move forward, obviously, because some of your forces may be attrited by, by the enemy defending, but also because you have to drop off forces as you move forward to um, secure your lines of supply and, and, and uh, things of that nature. The Ukrainians don't have to do that. They're going into Ukrainian territory. Their people are going to be able to... Uh, secure their lines of communication, right? There, you don't need a highly motivated, uh, I mean, highly skilled, if you're gonna have highly motivated, you don't need highly skilled and highly trained uh, forces uh, behind you. You know, you can have, uh, you know, people that were just trained up, uh, you know, that just joined the, the Ukrainian army uh, uh, a few months ago, you know, you can drop them off in the villages and things, and they'll know what to do. You don't have to secure your lines of communications like you would if you're if you're uh, occupying enemy territory. And that's and that's a huge plus for the uh, Ukrainian offensive because they're not going to have to, uh, you know, shed, uh, you know, uh, experienced combat units to occupy, you know, the the, the towns that they liberate. So that's, I think people are, are, are underestimating how, how much of a benefit that is. And like you said, Axel, the uh, on-demand intelligence they're going to have from their own people when this kicks off, 
there's no way you're going to tell me uh, two, three weeks from, from before it kicks off, they're not going to have a pretty much clear picture of what they're, what they're up against uh, when they launch this offensive. Yeah, and the fact is that it's constantly being updated. I think the, this is the, the, the key aspect in this regard, that the, they have not just satellite information, not just uh, from time to time. I mean, given the fact that they fail to have sufficient uh, air supremacy, they just don't have it. But they have satellite information, they have drone coverage, and they have deeper behind the enemy lines, second and third echelon level information from the civilian population. This is absolutely priceless. Oh yeah, there, 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 you know there's going to there's be a couple of pushkas that know how to use that uh, smartphone that are going to be sending them intel uh, up to the minute. So, and and that's that's something that uh, you know you cannot be overstated. You know, hey, there's a uh, you know a surface-to-air missile system uh, at this coordinate. But last night they moved it, and uh, now you're getting a report that it's moved three kilometers down the road. Uh, you don't have to go looking for it when you when you see on the overpass of the satellite. Okay, where did it go? Oh yeah, we got a call yesterday. Uh, you know, about three hours ago, and it's sitting in uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Volodymyr, uh, you know, uh, you know, crop field over here. So. That can't be uh, underestimated either. Yeah, uh, I was just about to pass it briefly to uh, Mikhailo, being mindful of his time. Uh, Mikhailo, this this information system which Ukraine has created is unique, um, and it has been um, assisting um, Saluzhny and Sielski and the likes. Um, how many people actually developed this? How large was that team? Do we know? Can we talk about this? Uh, yeah, if we talk about uh, the DIA application, we have a very small team, uh, small developers team. It's uh, only 25 uh, people developed uh, this application and uh, developed not only uh, the application, but uh, also all uh, information system of uh, Ministry of the Digital Transformation and uh, all information system uh, concerning to digital transformation in uh, Ukraine. See, just a double dozen people can make a huge difference. By the way, uh, we have uh, Colonel Jeff coming back up. We're back to electronic warfare and information. Jeff. He's coming up. Just while we're waiting for Jeff, um, I, I wanted to bring you a bit of uh, British news. Um, there's been uh, something here confirmed. Uh, the British government said it's introducing a package, new package of sanctions against Russia, including export bans on every item Moscow has been found using on the battlefield. 
um, a targeted um, attempt to try and stop those items in particular. So I uh, just thought that was worth knowing. There you go. Jeff, good afternoon. Hey, it's good to see you again. I wanted to let everybody know that uh, I so much enjoyed my, uh, my segment earlier today. I want you to break my internet harder. Uh, my computer keeps shutting down. I'm not kidding you. I get like 30, every minute I'm getting 35 to 40 uh, posts. It's amazing. Uh, I The offensive. So if, uh, if the people who are posting it are still listening and they want to, please start retweeting. Sorry, Colonel Jeff, you are breaking up for us. You are in a mountain area. But if you really want to hit Russian yeah, cars, you've got to stop setting up track suits. <laughs> Jeff, we heard literally every 15 seconds a burst of yours. We got burst messages only. Oh, shoot. How about now? You good? Better? Yep. Loud and clear. If they, the sanctions from London included uh, tracksuits. I'm gone again. All right, never mind. No, now you were good, uh, but uh, you're breaking up uh, every now and then. So please continue. Okay, yeah, I, 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 I'm sorry about that. Um, I just wanted to know if, if the sanctions out of London included tracksuits, because if you really want to hit Russia's hard, Stop sending them tracksuits and don't let them buy them. And then the other thing is, um, <laughs> exactly. And then the other thing is, uh, hey, the the my seg my segment from earlier today has gone nuts. And uh, I mean, there's thousands of memes now, or memes because for the UUs, uh, um, the memes out there that are are for uh, the the Russian soldiers and the fighters in the trenches and the the combat aviators and stuff like that. So. We have enough at this point. Don't stop sending them. That's not my point. But at this point, we got to figure out how we get it out to them. So please retweet that out to as many Ukrainian friends as you know. I, I don't care if it floats around the United States or Europe. I want to try and get it to the Ukrainians so they have something to laugh about today and something to smile about and bring them a little hope because uh, I think they deserve it. So that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. Now we have heard the whole story. Thank you very much. And by the way, you know who I can see? Uh, say, long-time listener, sometime contributor, operator Starsky is amongst the uh, is amongst us. So perhaps he he's already passing that on for you, Jeff. So we. <laughs> I, I just want to warn all you guys. So if, if you didn't listen to me earlier today, I did like a good morning Vietnam thing and was uh, was whacked out on coffee. And I tell you, I still am. But when I crash off of this, it's going to be it's going to be epic. It's going to be historic. And I don't want anyone to see that part of me. There you go. Somebody then. Operator Starsky. Uh, hello. 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 Do you hear me well? Exactly. loud and bloody clear it's it's awesome yeah because i'm using this uh, starlink and it has ridiculous upload speed so yeah sometimes we have like interruptions but it's very nice to see you tonight or today 
thank you very much for joining us on this momentous day, on the anniversary of that full-scale attack. Very good to have you back with us. Thank you so much. Yes, we helped Russians to celebrate their anniversary uh, by uh, eliminating almost 1,000 men, uh, pardon, 1,000 orcs yesterday in just 24 hours. Um, so, yeah, I hope they're happy. <laughs> It is astonishing uh, what, what they're doing to themselves, right, by staying in country. They could just simply, utterly turn around and go home. Uh, yes, the other day during the stream we uh, discussed uh, this uh, with, with the viewers, uh, because Russian can actually easily capitulate, and nothing's going to change to them at all. I mean, the only thing Russians are fighting for is basically uh, ambitions, while Ukrainians are fighting because we want to leave and we want to survive. And uh, even when Russia is defeated, nothing's going to change for Russian citizens whatsoever. They never controlled their uh, resources. I mean, they never received benefits from being one of the biggest uh, gas exporter in the world because uh, those resources were controlled by Putin and a bunch of oligarchs. And same same picture will be for them after uh, all that is given to Ukraine as reparations. Nothing is going to change to Russians whatsoever. However, they will have a change for a better life and become a democratic country and a democratic society eventually. <laughs> That's my personal opinion. Absolutely. Now, uh, Operator Sarsky, let's remind ourselves, where were you last year on February 24th? Um, at this very moment, exactly one year ago, I think we were already uh, moving out from our base and uh, the, the fight for uh, Holstomal finished uh, to us with the last uh, shot, <laughs> with the last round that was shot uh, around one hour ago. Uh, I was just about to say this because we're already, so to say, one year ago, we're 10 hours into the fight, and one hour, roughly one hour ago, the last shot was fired to take out the Vedeve. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, around 1 p.m., we already moved out of the base and uh, the moment our commander ordered to strike the runway using our hobbitsers. We had two hobbitsers uh, hidden not far from Pulse Tunnel. Um, so we hit the runway as well as uh, concentration of Russian uh, personnel at the airport. And uh, we were trying to move out. Uh, it, it was, I can say, a bit, uh, a bit intense because uh, we were moving out through like... Uh, something between a forest and a garden uh, because uh, there were uh, like smaller trees located far away from each other and um, you couldn't hide well in, in that location but still every two hours like every two minutes somebody would shout air and we had to fall down because uh, russian helicopters were circling over us uh, trying to search us but luckily we we made it out alive uh, and yeah, that, that, that's the main thing, you see, because uh, we are here today alive and uh, almost happy. And uh, majority of Russians that were 
taking control over that airport, uh, they became better. They are good now. Sunflower seeds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, Operator Saski, so let's then turn to today. I mean, one year down the road, lots of things have changed and nothing has changed. The Russians are still there, but they've been pushed out. A strategic defeat, now many, many, many battles. How do you see the status today? How's the sentiment amongst your troops? Um, I can say that uh, our troops... Uh preserve high morale because uh, we have no other choice we have to fight uh, if uh, if we stop fighting uh, we are dead tomorrow as well as our kids as well as as our nation and ukrainian state uh, in general so we have to continue fighting and uh, uh, we understand that the biggest challenge that we face uh, that we will that we will face in the future uh, will be just to eliminate uh, hundreds of thousands of works. That's the only thing that uh, can um, basically stop this invasion. Because uh, as we can see, Russians are not interested in uh, having any sort of ceasefire or uh, negotiations. And, and I'm not even going to talk about negotiations because what kind of things can you negotiate with people uh, who want to kill you, right? So uh, the only thing that uh, that is left is basically uh, eliminate all that personnel that is present at this point uh, on the occupied territories uh, or make them go away. Uh, that's it. So we are prepared to work hard in order to reach this goal. 100%. Uh, Jeff, you had a question for Operator Sasky. I did. Uh, hey, Operator Starsky, God bless you and what you're doing, man. I'm 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 proud to even be talking to you. Uh, hey, I had a question for you. Do you know what they say about Russian pine boxes? Russian pine boxes. Yeah. I I don't think so. The, they're so good, the orcs are just dying to get into them. Ah, <laughs> I see. Uh, yeah. Also, they like to smoke a lot. Exactly. <laughs> All righty. By the way, that brings me to another point. Um, when you said smoking a lot, I mean, if you if you take a couple of seminal moments, the arrival of the M triple seven, the arrival of HIMARS, the arrival of the extended range Gimlers for it, um, what are the key moments for you and your troop during the last twelve months? Um, I think it's uh, the news regarding the armored vehicles coming to Ukraine because, um, as you know, uh, assault brigades uh, within the National Guards are being reformed into basically assault brigades. Uh, they are um, uh, those uh, new brigades are, will be based and are being based uh, uh, on uh, existing operative brigades like mine. And uh, we are expecting those vehicles big time because, um, for example, uh, for example, having uh, a uh, two two battalions of Bradleys 
and uh, using them according to Western doctrine, um, I think it leaves Russians absolutely no chance. So uh, we're looking forward to see those. I'm personally looking forward to make a uh, review of one of those, of course. And uh, yeah, and uh, we're uh, looking forward to, to do our job, even though it will be hard and it will take time, but uh, we are prepared to do that again because we have no other choice. Absolutely. And as soon as you have one of those uh, Bradleys close to you and you've tested it, you need to come on and tell us. We want to hear that. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna do a video review because, um, as a uh, as a former NCO in my platoon, uh, I was a commander of a BTR. So I'm dying to you know to compare those two. Uh, of of course, like you know, you, you cannot really compare BTR to Bradley, but uh, still, it will be interesting. Well, um, Colonel Jeff at least had the pleasure of being shipped around with one. And uh, But then again, uh, we're all flyboys here, so we can only uh, tell you what our um, ground-pounding friends typically tell us. But they, they are very, very happy with the mobility, speed, uh, the agility, and definitely also the firepower of the Bradley. That'll be a game-changer for you. Yeah, absolutely. Firepower is something that I, that I want to check out because... Um, uh, in the in the BTR three, uh, firepower was something that uh, I valued and appreciated because there was like a thirty millimeter uh, automatic cannon and automatic grenade launcher and machine gun and laser guided missiles. So I uh, I really like to um, compare those to to the uh, weapons installed in Bradley. Well, you have a different missile capacity also in the Bradley, and the, the question is how you're getting along with the gun. But I think there will be uh, there's a lot more precision in the gunnery of the Bradley, I'm told, if you compare this. And uh, the same thing will happen probably as soon as you see a CV-90. I don't know whether you're going to see them in your brigade, but probably um, you wouldn't be mixing the Bradleys and the CV-90s. But our friends and colleagues from Finland are absolutely convinced that the CV-90 will be one of the most seminal moments arriving, one of the most seminal pieces of kit arriving in the battlefield. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would love to see that. Um, Jeff, you had a question. I did, and actually a little bit more of a comment, but I, uh, I, I really like Starkey's kind of um, uh, take on this, right? So yesterday there was a video posted. Uh, it was taken by one of the uh, Ukrainian soldiers in a trench line. Uh, he was standing next to, he was leaned up against the, the wall of the trench. Uh, he had what looked like a saw or at least a, a fully automatic weapon laying next to him. But as he was filming himself in, in kind of a selfie mode, uh, it was just ridiculous amounts of, of uh, enemy fire and, and friendly fire probably coming from other locations in the trench. And, and I tell you what, um, there, there's no doubt that guy's a hero, but uh, the video pissed me off, right, as an aviator. And, I, and yeah, I, I said pissed. And, and I'll tell you why it frustrated me. Because three things, three things eliminate that. Number one, air superiority. Number two, uh, combat air patrol flying overhead, and number three, a radio in his hand. And I just don't understand why we can't get air power uh, to you guys to get you out of the trenches and be able to move forward. And, and it just, uh, as, as, as an air guy who have, has tried to support guys on the ground as much as possible and do clo you know, close air support, 
uh, and bust up enemy positions. It just that video really sparked in, in my a nerve in me. And, and I want you to know that uh, people like me are doing everything I can to try and get uh, Vipers or, or whatever fourth generation aircraft it is to you guys, so that it's not you're not only relying on Frogfoots, but you've got other uh, combat air patrol that's going to be up there doing close air support. So I wanted you to know that, and I'd like your thoughts. Uh, thank you so much, sir. Uh, first of all, thank you for your support. And uh, regarding your uh, commentary, I completely agree with you. Uh, of course, we would like to see uh, more uh, attack aircraft uh, from uh, from uh, NATO countries. Um, but uh, again, it uh, I think it's probably uh, will take a while to train our pilots. But again, it's it's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem, of course, is uh, politicians. Uh, but again, um, one year ago, we could not even dream. Uh, basically, yeah, we, we could only dream about uh, things like uh, M777s and uh, Challengers and uh, Abrams tanks, uh, things like that. Uh, so I think that, um, and, and let alone HIMARS, right? So I think that in the future, uh, we will probably see those flying over Ukrainian soil as well. Well, that's the thing. Um, we, I mean, we discussed it here many times. Uh, we really, really need to get you the kind of kit into place, um, which normally go hand in hand with the doctrine. Because now that you're getting leopards, the first leopards arrived today in country, you're getting uh, Abrams, you're getting Challenger 2s, the right kind of tanks. Um, as we understand, the gunnery training and the gunnery uh, testing of your troops is producing absolutely fantastic results so uh, our ukrainian friends your colleagues your brothers in arms are yet again outdoing themselves but at the same time having that equipment going forward and only the frogfoot that is insanity uh, yes absolutely currently what we uh, the only thing we can do is um, improve our anti-air uh, defense uh, in order to um, avoid Russian air dominance uh, because uh, again remember uh, how many times it was predicted that Russians were gonna just uh, eliminate Ukrainian anti-air defense early uh, in this invasion and things like that uh, it didn't happen uh, so uh, that's the that's something that we're going to that is something that we're doing right now right but uh, at the same time uh, yes we need to use uh, combined forces uh, as much as we can, uh, according to modern doctrines, of course. Um, so the, the only uh, the only question we have is a question to uh, politicians, basically people who decide things. And uh, judging from the fact that uh, we keep receiving more and more uh, sophisticated weaponry and tanks. Uh, and um, uh, things like that, uh, and, and long-range weapons uh, in the perspective. Hopefully that uh, soon we will see those uh, airplanes as well, because uh, more and more people around the world, the world uh, stop being afraid of uh, Russian terrorists, and uh, they start realizing that you cannot negotiate terrorists to uh, become a, like different people. It, it doesn't work this way. You cannot uh, calm them down by trading with them, having like a partnership with them. 
because uh, terrorist regimes don't uh, appreciate and don't respect those values that we have uh, in, in the civilized world. So uh, more and more people start uh, growing, start uh, growing up, let's call it this way. And um, I'm, I'm sure that in the future, this will be solved as well, 100%. It's a very good point. Let me just briefly say hi to uh, Rusina Morozova, who has joined us again, also from Ukraine today. Hi, it's a great pleasure for me to, to be here today. Thank you for the invitation. You're very, very welcome. We're glad that you're joining us on this momentous day, and Operator Staski is also with us here. So we're very happy to have... Uh, as many of our Ukrainian voices joining in, and uh, I'm always asking the same, ver the very same questions. How are you today? How's Ukraine? And uh, what did you do exactly one year ago? Uh, you know, it's right to to remind that uh, a week before the invasion, and uh, me and uh, my boyfriend at that time. Now he's my husband. Taras Ratushny also was a guest of your program, and actually uh, we bought a generator. Uh, and uh, we tap uh, some water mm, to to the bottles. It was uh, in the beginning of February. And also, um, my husband, he was working as a fixer with foreign journalists. And um, actually, mm, I remember that day before the invasion. And, uh, you know, um, I had a plan to buy um, headlamps uh, uh, that uh, had torches, uh, flashlight, flashlights um, as much as possible. I don't know why. Maybe for, for our family, for for parents, for husband, uh, parents, and so on. And um, I uh, remember that moment uh, I was drinking coffee not far from my house and actually looking at Kiev. And um, I tried to remember, to imagine how it may be. Uh, I imagined that moment, maybe remember uh, from the movie uh, Termin Terminator 2, Judgment Day, uh, when actually Sarah Connor was uh, clinging the fence and crying and actually uh, that, I don't know, um, bombing, maybe some um, missile attacks. Uh, it was so, uh, so scary moments. And uh, I tried to imagine if it will be uh, in that way. Uh, yeah, and um, and, and then... you were in Borodyanka at the time, right? Uh, sorry, uh, where were you? Was it uh, Borodyanka? Where were you at the uh, time? No, 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 it was in Kiev. Uh, we are okay. living uh, at the left bank of Kiev, and uh, I just uh, visited a street market. And uh, uh, actually, I bought that flashlights, and uh, that women, that sellers uh, working on that uh, street market, she asked me. Why do you need so much? Why? And uh, her colleague, colleague, she answered, she told, uh, you don't know, because uh, the full-scale invasion will start. That's why she needs that flashlight. But actually, I uh, don't want to cause some panic, and uh, I just answered that, uh, well, I, I need it, and, and that's all. Um, and then uh, we had uh, a dinner in the restaurant with um, a journalist from Finland, he is a friend of my husband, and uh, actually, um, at the same time, my friends, uh, they told, uh, they actually texted uh, on WhatsApp that we have to organize uh, 
quickly organized a Zoom. And um, I missed it because of that, uh, that dinner. Um, I think I missed <laughs> the most important Zoom in my life. Well, but uh, then my friends briefly told me that, yes, uh, one of them, she had the information that it will start uh, that uh, big war, full-scale invasion at that uh, in the morning. Uh, yeah, and uh, also I remember that um, president's uh, address of uh, Joe Biden, and actually after that speech, uh, I felt uh, I felt a real panic a little bit. Uh, we went to sleep at about two o'clock at night, and um, as um, most of Ukrainians, we then woke, woke up uh, because of that explosions of that missile attacks and so on. But we didn't know uh, what is it, if it's um, missiles or maybe some bombs or maybe artillery and so on. And uh, then, as my husband uh, was working as, uh, as a fixer, uh, he used to work with New York Times. And uh, we went to the hotel uh, in the center of Kiev. It's a so nice hotel, um, so beautiful place. I was happy to stay <laughs> there. But uh, to be honest, uh, during the full-scale invasion, it's a perfect place to die <laughs> because it has so big windows, a lot of glass, a lot of mirrors and so on. And you couldn't even hide uh, in the bathroom because there are um, that walls of glass, a lot of uh, glass shelves and so on. And um, then uh, at night when we heard that first uh, air sirens that alarm uh, in the city center of Kiev, we even hide it in wardrobe. Um, and then um, my husband at that time tried to work with uh, New, York's, New York Times' fixer, and one of that uh, journalists, she was from Syria, and actually she said, she said that uh, she understands us uh, very well, okay. And um, also I tried to, to remind um, how long how long we stayed at that hotel um it was a feeling like we stayed there for for a week but not it was only one day <laughs> maybe maybe the longest day day in our lives and um, and then my husband he joined uh, the army and uh, i went to to my parents who also um live in in kiev in another part of kiev um, on the right bank not far from uh, the kiev uh, airport and a lot of battles uh, took took place there and um, i asked uh, my parents to to come to Western Ukraine, to Lviv, to Ternopil, to Frankivsk region uh, a week before invasion. But uh, they didn't believe me. They say, no, it's bullshit. We will stay in Kyiv. Everything will be okay. And uh, no, they stayed. And uh, with them, I may say that everything is more or less okay. Uh, but of course, I may may tell you that uh, that period, it was real, uh, the worst period of, of my life, the worst year of my life. Uh, but um, we don't know um, how good or maybe how bad will be 2023. We don't know, really. I think it will be so hard. But uh, my soul warms uh, an idea that um, all that... Uh, terrible things, all that nightmare, well, uh, we have seen it. Uh, we went through it. 
not everybody, a lot of people died, a lot of people Russia killed, but um, a lot of people also went through it. And we already have that uh, horrible, terrible um, experience. But for a lot of Russian people, it will be for the first time. For a lot of Russian people, um, I hope that uh, 2023 will be a lot of surprises because of uh, our Ukrainian army is the best and uh, is so strong army. And also, um, you know, uh, we had uh, yesterday a conversation with uh, the same uh, friends. Uh, the conversation in uh, WhatsApp, uh, and uh, I'm happy. That, I'm happy that all of that friends are still uh, alive and uh, they are okay. And um, uh, my friend she asked, uh, "Well, how do you think if uh, tomorrow we'll start uh, something in Transnistria near Trans Transnistria uh, Pridnistrovia?" And uh, another another friend he started to talk to tell her that, well, uh, for Russia it will be so stupid thing, uh, it will be uh, not a good idea for them, they wouldn't do it. But then she answered, oh no, I'm not as asking about Russian army, I'm, um, I'm, I want to know if our, our, for example, intelligence service, maybe our some other department of Ukrainian armed forces, maybe we have some ideas, some plans to protect our borders at that site near Transnistria. So um, a year passed and uh, we believed Ukrainian army so much in February a year ago, but today we believe it uh, very very strong and we we believe ukrainian army so much yeah, and, absolutely uh, and by the way if i may say we have operator starsky here with us who serves in the in the ukrainian army we just before you arrived we highlighted this that the battle of hostomel where he participated in his, his brigade participated in already defeated the russian approach because they couldn't take kiev they could not decapitate the government. Uh, Starsky, if I may just ask, when you when you hear what uh, she just said, I mean, the um, civilian support for the Ukrainian army is absolutely at its peak, isn't it? Uh, yes, absolutely. Since, uh, since the beginning of this invasion, um, I think, uh, you know, every, every time uh, we have this uh, air alert, every time uh, Russians uh, strike our cities with cruise missiles, uh, the, like, the best way to pay them back uh, for our civilians is to donate for, for the Ukrainian army, which they do. So the, uh, uh, our civilians are just, you know, they, they're um, taking cover in shelters and they uh send their donations to the ukrainian army for 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 the drones for equipment and things like that uh so uh, the support from from uh, our civilians is amazing and uh, the reason for that is because uh, our army is our civilians we are the same absolutely we're we are the same people and we care about each other as much as we can. 
Absolutely. And uh, uh, a lot of um, my my friends, for example, I am a philologist and some of my friends uh, from my university also now joined Ukrainian army and uh, they are writers, poets, uh, managers, um, IT specialists, people from uh, different, different uh, fields, really. And uh, for example, um, I also I'm helping um, Hurkit, it's a charity foundation from Ukraine and uh, we have <laughs> different, sometimes uh, non-standard requests from Ukrainian army. And for example, now um, we are collecting money and uh, looking for uh, some best solution for searchlights uh, for air defense of Kyiv. Uh, they are fighting that uh, fucking, um, sorry, um, mopeds, uh, that uh, drones um, from from Iran that Russia uses to uh, to attack Ukrainian buildings and uh, residential buildings and uh, and so on, and energy objects. Um, yeah, one of the biggest requests for, uh, for uh, charity uh, organizations is, is from Ukrainian uh, soldiers is like cigarettes. Because, and and you cannot uh, you cannot say no because it's <laughs> it's something that that we cannot live without. And uh, there's a funny fact that when Ukrainian soldier smokes, uh, yeah, it can hurt his uh, you know health and stuff like that. But when uh, orc smokes, it usually blows him up. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> Yeah, but also cars. Uh, our soldiers need cars so much, a lot of cars, uh, pickups uh, for evacuating and, and so on, so on. Yeah, so we have to, to find it in different uh, European countries because, uh, for example, in Poland, in Germany, uh, you cannot find at this time some good options and you have to find in uh, Ireland, uh, Great Britain, uh, Sweden, Norway and, and so on. Yeah. They need that car so so much. Yeah, yeah we, we had the discussion uh, last year already in March and April. And I think when Operator Starsky and I spoke at that time together with Ferlane, um, we were looking into how to get more technicals, more pickup trucks and the likes into the country. And the issue was that essentially the large car manufacturers in Europe uh, simply did not see the point in donating freshly produced cars. That seemingly is also now finally changing. But at the same time, Operator Starsky, you said that the highlight is now that armored personal carriers, IFDs uh, and tanks are coming, but the APCs are vital also to get troops not only to the front, but also the wounded off the front, correct? Yeah. Uh, yes, it's true, absolutely. And, um, and people, um, uh, they're curious why we need so many cars, right, on the front lines. Uh, the reason for that is because a uh, car, like a pickup truck, uh, usually its lifespan is about two weeks uh, before it gets uh, sprayed with uh, fragments from uh, shells and, and, and things like that. So uh, usually uh, pickup trucks get destroyed in, in a couple of weeks. Um, that was the reason why we needed uh, so many cars every time. And uh, with uh, armored vehicles, with APCs, I think um, it will change, of course. But again, we, we need a lot of those uh, because comparing to Russians that 
even though they lost um, almost 50% of their uh, tanks and armored vehicles, they still have uh, approximately uh, two or three thousands of uh, BMDs, uh, let alone uh, BMPs and BTRs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, professional kit is a different thing, and this is what has been lacking for quite some time. Uh, now, the question for both of you, now, what will you do on the day of victory? Wow. <laughs> um, I'm not sure it will be one day of victory. Maybe it will be some some period of that occupation of uh, Donetsk region, Lugansk region, Crimea, and so on. Uh, of course, we are dreaming about that big party uh, with a lot of people, with a lot of our friends. And also, we should remember about that people who who, who were killed because of Russian. But um, I'm sure that after victory, we will have so, 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 so much work to do. We should uh, rebuild, repair all that buildings, all that cities. Mariupol city and others, and uh, we should think how we will live the day after the victory. We should think how should we uh, help people to return to Ukraine to come back, how should we help people that uh, lost their homes, and so on, and uh, how to make our Ukrainian army stronger, uh, how to help uh, Russia to separate for little little states fighting with each other and um, we should uh, in my opinion we will begin to uh, uh, to prepare for for the next war that may take place I hope it uh, wouldn't take place but uh, it depends on how strong we will be our country how strong will be our Ukrainian army our uh, military equipment and uh, so on. We should prepare because unfortunately Russia will be still here and uh, Belarus as well. I absolutely agree on that uh, because um, you cannot have total security. Uh, you cannot be confident about tomorrow having such a neighbor uh, just across the border so we will have to make sure that they will never do the same and uh, we should also uh, put all efforts into punishing war criminals because in case they uh, they don't face justice for their crimes it will be a good signal to other maniacs that they can just do the same and uh, go away unpunished uh, for invading other countries. Uh, so I think that we will have to, I don't know, use all kinds of our intelligence, um, external intelligence, spies, uh, everything to bring as many war criminals as possible uh, to the uh, to hug court, basically. Uh, and uh, as for myself as a human, because I'm a human being, I think I will drink for three days at least. <laughs> after the war is finished and uh, my biggest dream is to uh, see all of the friends that uh, i uh, i gained uh, during this year uh, from abroad 
because currently we're in this situation when uh, you know like uh, we are locked inside ukraine and uh, it, it's a, it's a normal thing because we have to fight for our country but uh we found a lot of friends around the world uh from different 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 countries of europe asia uh north america south america australia and uh i think after the war um like one of my biggest dream is to uh see as as many of those friends as possible finally you know that's why um i have to prepare my liver of course um and uh, (laughs) yeah and um I think one of the most beautiful things that was born in this tr- tragedy in Ukraine is that uh, we found so many friends because if you have friends, if you have allies around the world, uh, it, it really matters. You will never get lost and uh, you will never get abandoned, even though you cannot see them uh, at this moment physically, but uh, they are out there and they support you. And this is the most beautiful thing that we have now. Yeah, absolutely. In my opinion, uh, it's so important when we will, uh, not if, but when, I'm sure when we will deoccupy all our territories and uh, bring back all our people from Russian captivity, it will be so, so important, uh, I agree, absolutely, to uh, restore justice and uh, to punish all the Russian criminals. Uh, in every in each level, uh, because uh, all the world and uh, other totalitarian countries uh, they are looking at this situation and uh, they may decide if it will be okay for them to cross that uh, red lines and attack some other country or maybe not. Maybe it's not okay and they also will be punished and uh, it's not normal in uh, in our uh, democratical world. So it will be so important to restore that justice, I'm sure. Uh, friends, uh, thank you so much for the invitation. I got to run. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm, I was very happy to see you. And uh, hopefully we'll see you in the next one. Anytime, you know, we're here. Everybody, a big hand for Operator Starsky and thanking him for joining us today. Absolutely spiffing. Now... Christina, what is Taras doing? Uh, Taras now is uh, a soldier of Ukrainian army, and actually, uh, he is uh, uh, he's doing an anti-drone defense with some equipment from uh, Latvia. He got from Latvian Foundation. And uh, he teach some other people, other soldiers, uh, how to defend, uh, protect uh, your well space uh, from uh, from that drones, Russian drones. Actually, not Russian, but uh, Chinese drones that uh, that Russia uses. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's excellent. And it, 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 when when he was on the program, he already highlighted to us that there's so many things we can do, and uh, uh, that uh, one of the key aspects in this regard is to make sure that the Ukrainian troops uh, will be protected against exactly that threat. So I'm very glad to hear that. Yeah, and as well, he's uh, he was he is I don't know he will be a journalist, a human rights activist. 
and uh, now he trying to advocate that medical cannabis that a lot of people in Ukraine need, a lot of children, a lot of adults, and uh, as well a lot of uh, veterans, a lot of uh, a lot of soldiers also will need that uh, that medicine, and he tries to uh, to write some. Uh, he takes part uh, also. Uh, in some TV programs, of course, uh, online, and he tries to uh, write down some articles to advocate that topic because it's it's also so so important. It's something from our civilian life, maybe, but it also affects uh, so much uh, people who were uh, and are in Ukrainian army. Yeah, and I'm so proud of him. <laughs> I can understand that. I appreciate it. But uh, civil and humanitarian activism runs in the family, doesn't it? Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, obviously, we had uh, Roman Ratuzny here on our space last year um, a number of times until uh, the unfortunate day when we learned of his passing in battle. And uh, We've seen the outpour of support. We've seen the outpour of grief uh, of Ukrainian civil society at that time. Can you talk a little bit about the impact um, he has had as a, as a figure and as a young man on Ukrainian society and what it means for Ukraine that um, many of the young, aspiring, and very worthy and important People go to fight, but some of them lose their lives. Yeah, uh, it's we are so so sorry that uh, so great that uh, so marvelous people they uh, were, were killed. Uh, Russia killed them, and actually, uh, yeah, Roma was uh, Roman was a marvelous guy. Uh, he was only twenty four years old years old and actually uh that struggle for for a better key for a better city that uh, struggle against uh not so uh i don't know uh not so kosher construction methods yeah um i remember his his protest i remember uh his uh his process in uh, in Ukrainian courts, and uh, he was uh, so uh, intelligent, so so brave young young man, uh, and uh, really it's it's so pity. And uh, now he he may, of course it 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 would be better if uh, Roma uh, stayed alive, and uh, we should we. Uh, it's better than to have street named after Roman Ratushny. Um, it's of course it would be better if Roma stayed alive, but uh, he may be example for a lot of people, a lot of young people, and not only young people. Uh, how to to love your city, how to fight for your city, uh, how to have that uh, values, that ideals uh, in. Uh, in every age, he's he's a great example for for all of us, of course. One hundred percent. We have yeah. to honor his sacrifice by making sure that we 
live up to the same standards in future. Yeah. Thank you for joining us today on this momentous day. How do you see the Ukrainian spirit amongst um, all your friends and colleagues after what you told us, both of what is projected in the future and what you've experienced on that day? But how do you see Ukrainian society today? Uh, well, you know, uh, this horrible, this uh, big war, it's something you could adapt, but you couldn't get used to it. But uh, discussing uh, what may happen uh, on the 24th of February, uh, for example, the head of our main intelligence uh, service, uh, Kirill Budanov, he said that, uh, okay, today we may have some uh, missile attacks, some shelling, but it will be not so strong, not so heavy. Uh, it will be okay. Please listen to air alarms. Please go to to your uh, underground or shelter or so much, uh, so on. Uh, so uh, <laughs> it was a feeling like we were talking about the weather forecast, about the rain, not about uh, missile attacks. Uh, so people, in my opinion, adapted. But of course, uh, that war that uh, this situation it couldn't be normal in any case for for nobody it's uh, it's a terrible experience but uh, in my opinion people are sure that we will win and uh, people don't know exactly uh, when it will uh, happen maybe um, in spring maybe in summer we don't know maybe in autumn okay uh, we don't know how much time uh, we need to occupy our territories, but uh, I remember that feeling after after the occupation of um, of Kharkiv region of uh, the part of Kherson region. Uh, for civilians, it was a real, real uh, miracle. Really, um, I think that uh, our army they had that plans, they uh, knew what to do. Uh, it wasn't a big surprise for them, but for us it was a real miracle, and I'm sure that the occupation of the rest of Kherson region, of Donetsk region, Luhansk region, Crimea, it will uh, take place uh, earlier than we than we think, and it also it will be a real miracle. Um, I think that Ukrainians now have no doubts uh, in our victory, I'm sure, and uh, we are trying to live in that uh, abnormal, terrifying situation, but we just try, continue, just try to continue to live and uh, share support and uh, help our army and civilians and so on. And, you know, uh, uh, during the last... Uh, a couple of weeks, of months, uh, also publishing houses, they uh, started to publish books about uh, that uh, full-scale invasion. It's usually some essays, uh, some poetry, some stories, fiction um, stories. Uh, of course, not novels, because novel, it's um, you need more, more time and more experience to, to write novel about that big war uh, but i'm happy that uh, we trying to uh, to think to analyze to uh, ref uh, to have some reflections uh, about 
about this time and i think it's it's a good sign and i happy i'm happy that uh ukrainian publishers started to publish some books about it and uh, it means that uh it's normal process for us i'm i'm i dream that uh ukrainian screenwriters ukrainian writers ukrainian poets um, and so on they may create some uh, good books uh, good pictures good uh, movies about the periods and uh, i hope it will uh, make us stronger really that but really bad experience but we will uh, become stronger i don't even know how to comment upon this uh, it's exactly you summarized exactly what we've experienced here by engaging with our ukrainian friends and our ukrainian team members um Ferlaine, my friend in uh, Ukraine and who co-founded the space uh, with us, um, Ferlaine said it right at the beginning in March last year, that no matter what happens, the outcome will be that Ukraine will be united. And that society, no matter what happens, will become stronger. Yeah, and unfortunately, after uh, such deaths as uh, death of Roma Ratushny and uh, some other great people, we should work, we should uh, write, we should uh, live for two, for three people, for that. There's thousands of people that Russia killed, actually. And of course, we should, uh, we should punish all the Russian criminals. Working on Russian military... Uh, factories uh helping uh putin what he does we should punish or find and punish all the people we should uh, we want that justice so much really absolutely correct uh jeff you had a question jeff i did a lot i did a long time ago and now i i don't <laughs> I don't remember what it was. <laughs> no problem. I, I'm sorry, uh, Jeff. We were, we were so engaged with uh, Starsky and Christina, so I apologize. Yeah, I think Starsky left, right? Yes, he had to. Uh, he was hopping on to the next uh, thing. He has um, still a war to fight. Yeah, I know. I just, I wanted to, and I hope he did get the message. I just, I. You know, I, I don't really care about the tweet that I put out, but I really want guys to go see it, and I really want guys to, you know, out in the trenches to get a good laugh. I, I'm, I, I do, I'm, I'm you know, I, I make no bones about it. I think that, uh, you know, as much as Russia loves anniversaries, uh, the guys out there tonight might be might be in for a tough night tonight, and uh, and a little bit of humor and levity before before that happens, I think, is a good thing. So uh, I'm just I'm just trying to find every way I can to get it out to the guys who deserve it. And gals, and gals. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're equal opportunity offenders. And as we know, 20% of the Ukrainian army is female. Yeah, we have so marvelous examples. And, uh, you know, some of my colleagues, uh, for example, from NGOs, uh, some young and not, not so young writers, poets, as I said, they also joined the army. And uh, really, it's, uh, it's a great, great example of great people. 
it inspires so much. Yeah, I, yeah, you are you're 100 correct, and you know, I people have said, you know, what are you trying to get out of this tweet? I, I'll tell you what I'm trying to get here. Here's what Fish wants. I want to get a a direct message to my account from some Ukrainian male or female out in the middle of the trenches. I don't even care if it's in Ukrainian. I'll figure out how to translate it. That says, "Hey, I just I just read through your tweet. Thanks for giving us a good laugh. That, that's what I want. That's what I want." Yeah, Jeff, I can tell you that I passed your uh, tweet thread on to somebody who is actually um, currently a soldier in Ukraine, and he said thank you for the smiles. So there you go. I love you, muckers. Thank you. <laughs> All righty. We have um, John up on the panel. John, do you have a question for uh, Christian? Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the space. It's been um, fantastic to listen to you. Uh, I, I've been doing a bit of um, help with a, a friend who teaches English in Ukraine, and he teaches English and music. and. Uh, it's the most rewarding thing I've done in 30 years. Uh, the students are 12 to 17 and uh, we've done like a Zoom chat and we've got some more organized. And I I kind of, obviously they're the future, but I think their future is going to be very different to the current present. And I just wondered, you know, the, the, there is a lot of hope for them and amongst them because I think they're kind of the future of Europe in a way. If you look at how the Polish economy has grown, or other sort of former Soviet satellite states like Estonia and Lithuania, the changes that have happened there um, that will come to Ukraine in their lifetime. Uh, it's 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 something that's really worth fighting for, obviously. So I just wanted to ask you what what more do you think could be done? What could British writers and musicians and people in the arts generally and people around the world generally do to support? Um, is there anything that you think we need to do more? Um, there's been things like universities have shared um, cloud memory space with, with other universities in Ukraine and things like that to help them preserve data and such. I just wondered if there's anything that you think would be helpful uh, or any sort of organizational thing that could be done that would that would help that uh well thank you so much uh, we had uh, that uh, great collaborations with uh, with musicians for example uh boombox and Hlevnyuk, and that uh, that great remix of of a song uh how my help? Uh, I would be happy if uh, Ukrainian music musician bands, if uh, Ukrainian writers and uh, painters, if uh, they will be interesting to the whole world and uh, to be a part of that uh, cultural uh, dialogue. But you know, um, I had um, at that first <laughs> hours when invasion started, I had a uh, just a crazy idea um just uh, my friend she was working with a foundation that uh, organized that concert of uh, first of elton john in kiev and then with uh, 
a concert of uh, Paul McCartney. And um, I thought that, um, well, we were so shocked that uh, I thought it will be a great idea to ask uh, Elton John to make a statement or maybe to uh, tweet, I don't know, use any of social medias and tell that please uh, close the sky, um, close the sky from Russian, Russian planes, Rus Russian fighter jets and so on. Of course, that idea was so crazy. But uh, in my opinion, um, uh, all people from uh, different fields, uh, musicians, artists, writers, uh, they should uh, tell the world about the weapon, that uh, this war wouldn't finish, uh, we wouldn't win uh, if we won't have enough uh, military equipment, enough uh, tanks, fighter jets, and so on. Um, of course, a lot of people, they try to help, uh, for example, uh, Ukrainian children, maybe refugees, Ukrainian women, and so on. But our main goal now uh, to, to stop this war, our main goal is to help Ukrainian army. Only Ukrainian army could uh, win, could start all this uh, nightmare. So, in my opinion, uh, two points. Um, it will be so great if we have some another collaborations uh, between Ukrainian uh, musicians and uh, musicians from uh, worldwide, from other countries. It's so important. And uh, as well, all the people, uh, if they have uh, the uh, little media, little uh, social media, or maybe uh, if they are talking to journalists, to mass media, they should uh, tell, they should uh, remind that uh, Ukraine needs more uh, modern weapon to win, to, uh, to win this war and uh, to stop it. Uh, you know, uh, when um, oh, it, was, it was the end of spring, and uh, that idea that Ukraine may get that uh, German tanks, that uh, leopards, it uh, it was a real craziness. What uh, German tanks? No, no, Germany. It couldn't give us uh, tanks. Uh, it's uh, it's so it's unbelievable. But then uh, started that advocacy campaign, and a lot of people they uh, told that please give Ukraine uh, tanks. And also, um, my friend Inna Sovsun, uh, she asked to help uh, her uh, friends from Germany, some members of uh, Bundestag, and so on. And now, now it's reality. Now, finally, I hope I hope we will get the tanks. And I wrote that two first ones uh, are already um, on the road to Ukraine, or maybe in Ukraine. Uh, so. It's, it's my answer that uh, we need uh, the next step uh, after tanks. It's, uh, of course, fighter jets, for example, or that long-range, uh, long-distance uh, weapon. It's the most important now. Well, uh, Christian, you may remember uh, Ina was here also in our space. Yeah. Uh, where a few others, and we, we did start together here on this space. We started the Free the Leopards campaign. Um, Colonel Jeff Fish, who you just heard a little earlier, has been instrumental in waging our campaign for the sweet F-16. And we have been pushing uh, this as a um, release the Vipers, because whilst 
some strange people uh, at the manufacturer thought it's good to name it Fighting Falcons, but the pilots called the dang thing Viper, and we want the Vipers released, absolutely. And uh, General Ben Hodges, who's been a true and loyal regular um, speaker here on the program since uh, May last year, already in May, stated yeah. very clearly yeah. that Ukraine needs to have the ATACMs, the long-range missiles, in order to roll back the Russian air defenses and in order to hit the logistical choke points and collection points. And it's absolutely vital. So we need to continue our campaign. And uh, you're always welcome to join us here. And uh, we will reach out and make sure that we all jointly vocalize this. And uh, we've um, incentivized uh, the members of this community and this space and the many, many thousand people who cycle through our space every single day to reach out to their elected officials in America, in Canada, uh, all across Europe, in Britain, Germany, France, you name it, to make sure that there is political will forming and there is support. And as we can see and hear by now, our British friends already started training yeah. pilots on the typhoon. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so, so much for that. It's it's really important because, you know, um, unfortunately, we don't have much time in the sense that every day a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of uh, our neighbors, colleagues, friends, friends from childhood, uh, every day they uh, are wounded, they are killed. So we, uh, we should... We should end this war as soon as possible because we have to save people's life, lives. One hundred percent, as my friend and co-founder of the space, Yehuda, always <laughs> says. Uh, John, you had another question. Yeah, one hundred and ten percent to that, Axel. Oh, um, bloody well, stop it. <laughs> the um, I just wanted to add. There's a demonstrate. If anybody's in London, there is a a gathering outside the Russian embassy uh, this afternoon. I think it's five p.m. It was retweeted by uh, the Ukrainian embassy and uh, by the American embassy. If you want the information, it's um, there's an ecumenical service uh, at a monument down the road. I can't remember the details. I'm at work at the moment, so you have to forgive me. And um, and then a gathering outside the embassy where you can see the freshly painted roadway, if there's any of the paint still there, which was painted in Ukrainian colours uh, yesterday. And um, if anybody is in London, the, the um, Ukrainian band Antitila are playing in, on Sunday night in Brixton. Wow, uh, great. Tickets, yeah, tickets are still available. Cool. And um, I think there's a lot more we could do to support them. I, I've sort of, um, I'd encourage anybody, writers or musicians to do that. I've messaged them and said, you know, if you need anything, just let me know. And um, things like teaching English to kids and all that stuff, I think it will, it will, it will pay a dividend in the future because the future is, is, uh, you know, Europe, Germany, Sweden, England, that kind of stuff, uh, not Russia. And I think, um, yeah, I, I, we're all waiting for that day, aren't we, really? Yeah. And that uh, band and titula, they have that new song. Um, it's called uh, Bahmut Fortress, and it's so, so heartbreaking, so touching song, really. 
really. Yeah, and uh, one more thing, um, you know, uh, talking about uh, the United Kingdom, um, we also um, started that uh, a little campaign, uh, Amondi Group. Uh, it's uh, a campaign that making paper uh, and uh, and so on. Uh, as I know, they still uh, work in Russia on Russian market. Uh, they are talking that uh, they are going to exit it, but uh, the question is. Uh, when because uh, full-scale invasion started a year ago and in my opinion it's also so important uh, that uh, self-regulation uh, that uh, economic sanctions um, for Russia and uh, it's so important uh, that uh, that big um, big companies uh, where a lot of people still working uh, they shouldn't work in Russia. It's uh, it's not normal in uh, in this in this century, in my opinion. So um, if you may help, if you have some some ideas, uh, how to uh, how to ask uh, this company to uh, quit Russian market, it will be also so so useful. Absolutely, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you. And by the way, uh, whilst, whilst we have you here, I have just seen there is an image of someone I know, someone from Kharkiv, a Kachanov. Hello, hello guys. I just joined you just one minute ago. Just came back to the fire station. Hello, everyone. Hello there. We're back to uh, uh, Christina. We, we've been talking about civil society and the strength and the resilience of civil society, and the uh, uh, just like we addressed it a little earlier today about Ukrasaliznitsia, the Iron Army, and the logistic support. The same thing, of course, goes for all the civil servants and the those who actually repair, whether it's DETEC or those who uh, protect and serve, such as the firefighters. How is uh, Kharkiv doing today? Uh, Kharkiv doing today is pretty okay everybody was expecting something but it wasn't anything huge in Kharkiv but uh, yesterday is a hit a lot of fire 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 trucks and fire station in the Kupensk and Durechne and last weekend Saturday and Sunday I've been uh, going there with my firefighters to make rotation there so some people who work in the Kupensk and Durechne for a long time uh, they are our chiefs sending them to the kind of you know, sanatorium, I know, to, to, the, to some vacations, and uh, guys from the Kharkiv replace them for, like, a few days or a few weeks. And, like, one week ago, I I brought my guys there, brought them to Kupensk, uh, and then we will uh, give them a ride to the Dvorechne, and then I leave them there and go back to the Kupensk and then to Kharkiv. But just after 30 minutes, I left <laughs> the Dvorechne, uh, no, my, my firefighter Roman Krivenka uh, called me and said, "Hey, Sergeyevich, like this was like very sh shocking situation here because like it was a drone, everywhere is drones. Every, we even we, no, it's, it's, there is a, a real war there. You you can even if you go on top on the tower, we have a training tower in the, each fire station. If you go in on the top of the tower, you can even see how this uh, uh, Russians uh, fighting with our guys." And also, you can see a lot of drones and everywhere. And he said, uh, I, I, "We've been taking a look on this, and it's kind kind of scary." But uh, then they seen the drone, which for five minutes been 
uh, around their territory and they just said hey let's let's just in case hide in some basement on the opposite building in the street and when they done, they've been sitting in there and like in 20 minutes all this fire station territory was covered by by missiles and he was like really like wow we have really lucky or have or have a really good intuition but uh, they been continue to be in there they still uh, have some trucks there so they they didn't go from the variation and from Kupens. but yesterday they destroyed almost all fire trucks and fire vehicle in the variation and Kupensk. So as I know right now on the updated information, we will not be going to Dvorechne anymore, but we still continue to be in service in Kupensk. So in Kupensk we sent new fire trucks and they'll be like helping people there like this. But I mean in Kharkiv city there is not so loud and not so mm, not so dangerous as usually is than it was like you know when it so the situation written right now like this. Yeah, this is all. Oh my. Wait a minute. I'm missing you. I don't hear you. Hello? I, I hear you, Roman. But I, oh, okay, I, I hear you too. Mm -hmm. The co host might have, be having a bit of trouble. Just hold tight. Mm -hmm. You see, in Ukraine during the war, we even have better internet than you are. <laughs> All right. Or hell, you can talk to me. No, okay. I just I, I know what what should I talk about. I mean, uh, I I have a I actually do have a question for you, Roman. I've I've been at, and I want to ask uh, Christina this too, if I if if she's still around. But so. I've been asking all of the guests that come in today to reflect on on this last year of war, and and I know there's a lot of hard hard work yet to do, but mm -hmm. I, I wonder if you could look back at the first days of this invasion, and and tell me what you uh, when was the first time after all the confusion and anxiety, when was the first time that you had a sense that. Uh, Ukraine was going to hold and and might might win this thing and what triggered that that thought for you just uh, or okay I I understand the question so first time first days of course was kind of nervous nobody understood nobody can imagine it right now we're kind of used to everything like this but the very 100% feeling that everything will be okay and that everything will be Ukraine it was after the, our first very massive counterattack on the. It was September or August, can quite remember, when the when our troops started to uh, take back territory from Kharkiv, like Balaklia, Izum, Kupensk. So all the territories was really something. And then another counterattack on Kherson direction. It was it was something really huge. It was you, you have 100% confidence that everything will be. Okay, and you, and you and you have only one fear that it will be uh, artificially trying that Russia will try to make it uh, artificial or not artificially. I mean, Russia will try to make it war much longer because as as long the war is going on, as 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 long Putin can be in his chair. So and probably he will try to do everything is possible to make the war longer and longer and longer. 
So I, I, that's 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 we're afraid of. But to be honest, when I'm just going on rotation to coupons to duration, and also to when I help my friend from from Polish Foundation Sepomaha Jerzy Jurczyński, he almost every day, you know, maybe not every day, but day after day, like he is going to the Kupensk, to Volchansk, to Duresna, sometimes to Bakhmut, and he is bringing to the soldiers some very useful good stuff on, and on the way on the, on the way back, he using his trucks when he bought from Poland, it's armored trucks from the like in cassettes from the who is uh, look I have really good armored trucks, so he using them to. Uh, made a medical evacuation for people who cannot walk and bring them to the shelters to the Kharkiv to Kyiv or to Poland and also he trying to argue no, he and his team uh, there is another foundation Finnas uh, Prava and another and another team here who is helping him in Kharkiv uh, they are trying to argue with people who still live in there I mean, usually they're trying to talk with the women and, and who live there with kids. They say, hey, why are you still here in Kupensk and in Duration in this very dangerous area? Let's go with us to the Kharkiv. Let's go with us to the uh, Kiev or Poland. And it will be like, you know, you you will have the free uh, free apartment to live. You will have free food, free uh, GGN stuff. And you and we also will you, we'll give you some no, some money for, you know, this different activities or something like that. And a lot of them, uh, decided to go, but a lot of them not, and that 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 is a really big problem because even I can understand I, when I've been in Kupensky all this time, you 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 hear in this like you know, like every two every three minutes you hear like everywhere like it's like going nearby the front line sometimes it's uh, maybe some rocket missed and, and hit some the city but I mean it's all the time like this and people already so 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 used to it they just walk in. They're buying stuff in the super in the, in the market. Nobody running, nobody afraid. So it's kind of, it's kind of, you know, not not a professional deformation. It's like kind of, word deformation of people. I don't know, you know, and I know like yeah, some of them probably, maybe even waiting for the Russian inv invasion. Maybe like this because like I see like, some people probably, <laughs> in interested. After some conversation, I would like to put some some information from them on the SBU because like. People I see, or so dumb, or they are really so, or 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 really when the Kupensk was occupied, uh, Russians bullshitted their their minds very hard. So they really like believe that they will believe it much better in the Russia. Like, but it's very hard to explain them something. Very hard. So like this. So and Roman, you're um you. You're a chief of a, a, a fire station in Kharkiv. Can, can you, um, uh, are you guys having difficulties fighting uh, the kind of fires that are generated by these uh, uh, munitions? Um, the, you know, the, the military muni munitions. I know they've used a lot of, uh, of uh, incendiary cluster munitions down in Kherson. Have they also been mm -hmm. using those in, in Kharkiv? And what sort of extra precautions do you have to take for your guys, or how much more difficult is it for you to put out those types of fires as opposed to what you're normally used to? Yeah, usually we do it. Usually we do it every everything we do in like in the normal time. But precautions. It's like when you come into the scene after the shelling, you need to 
be prepared as a, for the secondary shell, and so you need to uh, to save for your team and to your guys where they should hide and where they should uh, run if there will be like air air alarm and if there will be possibility of the secondary shelling. And another, it's like we all, all of we we all when we go into the fire or emergency caused by missiles. And and have you uh, wait a minute? Have you ended up losing? Uh, I mean, listen, listen. No, listen. I didn't finish. I just oh, we've ahead. been listening. Okay. What, what what the dispatchers uh, saying? They just going to the to the open the door somewhere. Uh, so and another precaution is just we all all of us we are wearing body armor and yeah, it's put on you extra fifteen kilograms. So yeah, right now all all all, all our um, clothes when we go into the fire like with the with, with the with the bottles with the fire clothes with the gear around like fifty kilograms for the each firefighter. So it's a little bit uh, hard, but that's fine. That's totally fine. We are used to it and. To be honest, the probably first first months was uh, difficult because we not, we didn't have so much experience for the tactical medicine, for the lot of injuries, for the lot of people like with different tra trauma amputation. With the uh, it was different situation with really a lot of people on the streets, just conscious, unconscious, screaming, not screaming, blood losing, and uh, also you need to uh, fight with the fire in the like five different directions in the five different buildings so this was difficult for this but uh, hopefully it's not so hard right now and we have like big experience so usually all precautions when you go into the fire caused by shelling is to be prepared if uh, for the secondary shelling know to hide uh, know where to hide and know where to run and also always having the body armor that's all what we're doing and everything else is the same like in the peacetime we're just doing our job ex extinguishing and uh, rescue and do all the stuff that's the so have you have, have you had a uh loss of manpower at all i mean are there uh folks that get called up for other military service or are your men all protected uh in their jobs because uh they're they're filling an essential service now is that right yeah, you you you're right. So nobody mobilizes firefighters for the war, but I know that around like five firefighters from other fire station just be be uh, like volunteers for the military. So they decided to left, no, stop being the firefighters, but go to the military. But uh, we are like kind of under yeah under government protection, so we don't go to the military. If you don't go to military, if you don't if you don't want it, so they cannot force you to go there and yeah like this you you you're totally right well looks like uh looks like uh, uh i'm gonna keep asking you questions because the co-hosts have disappeared so um you have to wear body armor underneath your fire protection coats and all the gloves I'm, i w i was in a firefighting no. team in a refinery and I can't imagine having to wear body armor underneath all the fire protection gear. You guys must be. Well, usually, I'm 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 wearing it on the fire gear. No, not under, but on the fire Understood. gear. Because I have a lot of stuff on my on my body armor. You know, like the like the lighting, like the like knife, like uh, radio station, like a, a lot of useful stuff I have on my body armor. But with all the extra weight, you guys you guys must be fit as I reckon. 
I, I don't say I am a fit ass, but I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. What I could say is that from the I yeah before war I had a big kind of trauma. I've been injured at the fire. I broke my backbone. It was comp compression backbone on the chest section, in my how do you call it? backbone, right? Yeah, backbone. So yeah, after this, it, it, yeah, vertebra. So and it was it happened 2018. So for years I've been. Without discipline, stopped my training, and without discipline, uh, I gained around 30 kilograms. <laughs> so first day of force, I was like 136 kilograms. And right now, I am, how much I am right now? 118. Well, no, 120. After I came back from the Germany again, I, <laughs> I, I gained two kilos. So I'm right now 120. So I lost 60 kilograms for the like, last eight months, probably. Fighting fit. We should we should have our friend uh, Tim Sennett visit you more often then. Yeah, <laughs> <That's true. laughs> He was already he was already complaining. No, he was not really complaining. He was already saying, you know what? If I had to carry that heavy gear, the the boys are mounting there all day long. I'd probably be much fitter. I'd say <laughs> he's probably right. Yeah. He also did. He did not have the opportunity to see live action on that day, but at least he stayed twenty four hours with you and your crew, yeah. and um, did a number of interviews. <clears throat> well, we didn't highlight it uh, in the interview as much, but and that will be published soon, as you know, as part of the mm -hmm. uh, series. But w what is striking to me is what you told us once when um, discussing what firefighters have been doing, not just actually fighting the fires in Kharkiv or doing the work in Kupansk. But uh, you've also been to Izium. Yeah, I, I no, but you, you are remembering very old story about exhumation and about all this stuff. Yeah, usually firefighters here are doing the the work when you know, like some people and some services don't, don't like to do or probably will be refusing. So, but <laughs> nobody likes this job. But I mean, we've been always ordered to go there and do this job, and we need to do, do done the job as fast as we can because. There was a raining, and uh, coroners didn't want to lose any evidence of the cr crimes of the Russians. Like, you know, like when they're trying to describe what they seen on the bodies, like, you know, I, I not pretty experienced in it, but when I listen in what they, you no, know, it, it's like it, it goes like this: you go, go into the zoom, they give you the section, and they say, okay, you you need to d dig here, here, and here, and this is your territory and nearby you there is a coroner and the guy who is like coroner mm, list of paper and the pen so like remote uh, remote computer or i know like i know how to describe this person but she is the person is writing what the coroner saying anyway yeah and when we are yeah so we are digging the, the body and when we, when we already found the body the coroner trying to also go in with us and trying to show us how to carefully to do it and then his and of course some bodies was totally decomposed. Some bodies was like in very awful condition, and you can imagine the smell. But the coroner trying to take a look on all these damages on the body and just say, "Hey, this uh, no." He they always try to understand when it's civilians, they always try to put a lot of attention on the civilians, like uh, which body parts was cut. It you know like, you know when, when it's like trauma amputation or like somebody done somebody somebody just did amputation to your, to your body parts like to your, to your fingers or 
a lot of men was just without genitalis. Like it was I, for me. I know to be honest. When I, before I, I, I before I came there, you know, for me it was kind of very hard to believe that it could be like real. Because you know, I said maybe it's kind of media information war. Like you no, know, like our troops, our uh, media info space trying to. Uh, put a lot of bad information about Russia, but shit, when I see it by my own eyes, all this torture which these people been through, it was, no, I'm telling you, tears from my eyes dropped a lot of times when I've been doing it and listening, so it's, it's kind of it's kind of traumatic memories, I would say. No, but it was, it was awful, even kids, when you see all, all this dead kids, it's, it sounds really awful. You understand that the kids didn't die because of the normal cause of the it was always but by shelling or by something else i don't know but then we took all these bodies and put them to the trucks and then transport from the trucks to the kharkiv morgues and then in this morgues coroners as i understand trying to figure out how many kids and women was raped and i understand this already they have these numbers officially posted on some uh, on some website but i can can Kevin remember which one right now? I cannot say this, but but yeah, they done very big job for this. I mean, I've been there three days in a row, and we are transported like no, just my team been transported 100 bodies from the truck to the morgue each day. So I've been transported with the. It was also guys from the project Joint Guardian who help us for first two days. So. We, we we done like 300 bodies for, for for three days and then already in another guy has been doing this job i did you know, my my team wasn't used for this again and as we understand uh, the excavations in the area surrounding Izium, including the forest have mm -hmm. not stopped uh to be honest i don't have this information right now you know i i just done my job and come back and to be honest, i said no maybe maybe not stop maybe stop i know when when, when we are when I've been there last time, of course, it's still been continued, and and then like even after after a week, I came back. I, I I didn't even interested, you know, like what is happening there? Is it finished? Is it not? It's also like kind of a little bit dangerous because a lot of this uh, little mines was around this forest. Like you know, like before we before we went to this job, the uh, how does how do you call it? Deminers when demining, yeah, uh, demining the companies been there and trying to. Uh, be sure that the whole area secured, and they found a lot of shit there. You know, this little little tiny stuff, and you just put your step on it, and you probably will will, will be without fingers or without your foot. Yeah, butterflies and betties. Yeah, but, oh, butterflies. Yeah, babushki. Yeah, we call it but also babushki butterflies. This brings um, home yet again to the global audience that uh, this anniversary today is. Uh, uh, both um, somber as well as one of fighting. And uh, having spoken of fighting, um, um, if you give me a second, let's just uh, say hi to one of our other guests, Yaroslav. Oh, super. Uh, good day. Good day. Welcome back. Uh, I was so missing. You... Absolutely. But it's a long time ago that we spoke. Uh, how are you guys? Very well. We've uh, had uh, we started our marathon by now, 
15 and a half hours ago, and we continue to cycle through to, uh, and trying to honor the sacrifice of those who have been fighting, those who have lost their lives, and those who are still in the fight, as well as uh, civil society in Ukraine and its supporters. So, Yaroslav, thank you very much for joining us. So, okay, I'm open for your questions. <laughs> I was just about to say, where do we start? Um, maybe for the rest of the audience, let's just introduce you back and maybe tell us what you did on the day of that attack, February 24 last year. Uh, you know, at that moment, I uh, didn't make my, uh, my decision to enter the uh, Ukrainian armed forces. Uh, and I remember that on the February uh, 24th, uh, 2022, me and my wife and uh, my whole family, we were uh, fastened to Twisat. We were watching news uh, around the clock because uh, no one understood how far uh, do Russians are going to go uh, and what they are going to do. We were in Kyiv. Originally, we from Mariupol, but we moved in uh, 2016 successfully, luckily, as it happened to be. Uh, so uh, there, there was no panic because uh, all the war experts uh, from uh, Russia till the USA they underestimated Ukrainian army because all the previous eight years, Ukrainian army from scratch to the most combatant army all over the continent grown, uh, was continually growing. So there was no panic, there was no fear, but every life, every destiny, every family history is different. Of course, many of uh, our citizens, uh, they were in panic, they were scared, uh, many moms with children left uh, for the Europe and so far. But uh, if we are talking about me and my reaction and my reflections, I was not scared. I felt only anger and I was sure that we would beat them. So what did you do? What happened next? What happened next? I, I'm telling you, uh, in two days on the 26th, of February, uh, we uh, heard a, a, a loud shelling. It happened to be that uh, the Russian missile uh, shelled the tenement house three meters from our home. I measure it via Google Maps. Then uh, I started to uh, volunteer to supply our uh, uh, Ukraine armed forces and uh, territorial defense with all the uh, necessary stuff. And uh, then in, in the end of the March, I took decision to enter the Ukrainian armed forces and now I'm junior sergeant. Now, uh, some of our audience may not remember this because they haven't been there when um, you uh, last summer actually came onto our space and we discussed this. But maybe you can highlight what you did then because you did a few things not, not everybody would have done, meaning um, given the fact that you came from Mariupol. Mm. 
the history <laughs> the history about Mariupol is uh, quite dramatic. The, that okay, yes, me and my wife we were lucky that we uh, took decision to move to Kiev in 2016. Uh, but my father and his family uh, they were in Mariupol uh, when Russia invaded, and uh, I didn't have connection any connection with my father because. Uh, GSM apparatus didn't work, Wi-Fi didn't work, there were no uh, electric power supplymen in Mariupol, so uh, I, uh, for, um, for a month I didn't know what is going on about my father, and I, uh, I was a little, not a little bit, no, it's false information, I was truly uh, scared uh, because my father worked in special troops of uh, Mariupol police uh, um, in time of invasion. Uh, but uh, on the 19th of March, uh, he wrote me in messenger that he's in Berdyansk. They managed to escape. Uh, he asked me to, uh, to transfer him some money because they asked uh, in Berdyansk uh, a huge amount of money for uh, gasoline, but uh, I transferred him, and then in a week he was in Lviv uh, with Orphan, uh, who uh, twelve-year boy from Mariupol, uh, who became Orphan on his own eyes. He saw how his mother died under Russian bombs. Uh, actually, we adopted him. Now he lives with uh, my father and his family in France, uh, and everything is okay. <laughs> So where do you stand today after having uh, done this uh, magnificent feat? Because uh, uh, we, we all discussed this in quite some detail, and there's a long interview which we did here on the space at that time. But uh, now that you're serving, wh where are you now? Uh, by now I'm uh, in Kiev region, and uh, as a, a junior surgeon uh, uh, whose, duty, whose military duty is uh, supplying the, my native battalion, my battalion 243 uh, in the, uh, I'm just uh, roaming all the Ukraine and uh, getting stuff, fundraising money, getting stuff and uh, providing delivery to my battalion. Uh, uh, that's like this. And in civilization, from the uh, point of view of uh, civilization, I understand that uh, me and my brother Renams uh, you know, like uh, white Anglo-Saxons Protestants made uh, industrial revolution. Then, uh, in uh, uniting with Asian civilization, they made IT revolution. Yes, later uh, at the end of the 20th century, I understand that uh, Ukrainian civilization mission is to is to let our planet to get rid of Russians, like a state. <laughs> uh, okay, our shoulders are strong. Uh, we uh, are not afraid of them. Of course, we are paying the huge price with the blood, flesh, and lives of the best sons of, and daughters of Ukraine. But we will pay it off uh, till the end. I think I have heard this message many times before. Um, that Ukrainians have accepted their own mission to free their own country and to deter the evil from the East. Actually, uh, and frankly speaking, uh, a year ago, Russia started 
the uh, ongoing and dynamic process of its own devastating. Okay, we will help and assist. Yeah, never, never stop the enemy when they, you see them making mistakes. Absolutely, I tend to agree with that. Yaroslav, tell me, I've been asking this pretty much every one of our guests uh, today, and I will be asking you the question as well as uh, Roman Kachalov just as well. What will both of you do on the day of victory? Uh, besides alcohol? <laughs> besides the party, what will you do? You know, I, I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm a kid of 90s. Uh, there, uh, I was uh, raised uh, under the blockbusters with uh, Bruce Williams, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone. Since at that time, I have a blue dream to to attend Big Apple and to eat hot dog in the Central Park. I think after the victory, I would realize it. Good, good. Roman, what will you do on the on the day of victory? Roman, can you hear us? Uh, yeah, but interesting. I can I, I can hear only you. I heard only your answers, but only your okay. That questions. that happens from time to time. Yeah. Um, okay. Jaroslav, he couldn't. Roman couldn't hear you. This is a glitch in Twitter, which occurs sometimes. So, the, so uh, Roman, what's your answer? What do you say? What will you do upon victory? Oh, that's I don't know. It's an interesting question. I'm pretty sure. The whole Ukraine will will be drunk as hell, <laughs> and I probably will be one of this one of this beautiful uh, part of the Ukraine. I will probably drink in somewhere in the fire station, maybe in the some restaurant, and maybe somewhere, or or, or it will be. I don't know. I just I, I just trying to prognose what will be, or we have like in Kharkiv we have very big. Uh, square is one of the biggest in the Europe, and probably we all will, will be gathering there. It will be something, probably super duper show or something like that. I don't know. It, no, I can definitely one hundred percent say I will be drunken and 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 and, and singing songs <laughs> like this. <laughs> uh, President Zelensky, when asked, actually he wasn't asked directly. He was just projecting as to what he would do he simply wanted to he simply said he wants to go to the beach and he, yeah, cried me. he wants to go to the beach and have a beer hey wait wait it, it wouldn't be yeah of course everybody will do it <laughs> everybody but he wanted to go no, not on the beach he said to the sea and to the, the sea, sea yes and he, and he meant the probably black sea <laughs> like sevastopol alushta alubka like you know probably this this sea he was he was thinking about but it won't be Absolutely. the first day right the first day probably everybody will be like happy whole restaurants will be open everybody will be i just imagine it like in the like how it goes in like saturday and like well like like weekend well like weekends going in the london like you know like when it's people going the pop tour so it will be like probably people just going around the city from the one pub to another pub from the one restaurant to another restaurant songs and i will be part of the team Good, good. Well, that's the thing. Um, whilst you fight, you have to project as to what happens after and what happens when you can rejoice. So, yeah. thank you for that. Thank you. 
Yaroslav, what's next for you? I mean, you're organizing logistics, as you said. You're supporting your own troops. You're uh, working with your colleagues to raise funds and raise equipment. Um, how can how can we help uh, get the message out? What uh, what would support you best? Uh, me, I know. Like no, right no, now, was, I... yeah, the question was for Yaroslav. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, you should have my uh, sincere advice. Never ask a Ukrainian volunteer what else he needs, because I will take everything you have <laughs> and even more. <laughs> so. Well, I don't know. Just, just help us in all the way you know, in all the way you may, in all the way you are available to help. The informational front line, of course, equipment aid, funds, fundraising aid, all these. The, the, the ocean of our victory consists of all these little but significant drops. Then we shall do so, and uh, we will not go away, Yaroslav, as you know. We've been here now since uh, last year. Uh, we'll be here until Victory Day and almost likely going to support you um, with the same intensity after the Victory Parade through reconstruction. And by the way, as somebody just said that uh, you want to have a hot dog in the Big Apple, let me just say hi and welcome to my friend and colleague Peter Duran, um, because I think his heart just melted. Okay, thank you for your words of support and uh, have a nice day for everyone. Uh, the Russia is, is starting to be stopped. Perfect. Slava Ukraini. Yeroyam Slava. Slava Nazi. Peter Doran, how are you doing? Seems he can't hear me. Peter Doran, can you hear uh, Axel? He's probably away from the keyboard. Not a problem. Um, Roman, whilst whilst we have you here, um, what will the firefighters of Kharkiv need? Do, do you currently have enough support from uh, the many, um, say, charities, your colleagues from abroad? Uh, what's the process there? No, to be honest, like I, do, I know the big scale of need, and I always like shared the list with some organization, because like our fire, you know, like our main fire department has a list, like or some kind of technic vehicles we need. But to be honest, we have like great support for everybody, and right now, I'm trying to help collect money to the foundation, Sepomaha, uh, which creates uh, from, from the first day of war, they created the project PolandHelps.com. So it goes on the way, their website, and there are like around more than more than one more more than half million of the Polish people already donated some money. It's like it's 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 more than half billion grievance that they donated, and this money was they spent on like uh, to the hospitals, to the microscopes, to the X-ray, uh, modern X-ray from and for the military, for the there is generators for the R fire station. Also, I've been helping them with some money making some interview in Poland and in Germany and all this stuff. So they helped me and bought for my, for my fire station two brand new fire trucks and they're very modern. And even guys from America, from the States who came to me and said, well, we even 
we don't have like some some kind of equipments you have here so well it's super so to be honest i, w I would like to have like more trucks for the for the fire department so i mean if somebody right really want to help and want to like donate it's probably will be okay to donate the sepamaha foundation helps.com because i know with the coordinator of this foundation living just with me and my fire station all too <laughs> all, 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 almost all the war and all the old war time and even right now he is with me so two months already living here and like almost almost every day he is going and helping to ukraine to the ukrainian citizens and to the ukraine well, no. When they have like more more money there, they will buy another new trucks for the Kharkiv. Well, that's fantastic to hear that you've been getting um new equipment oh, yeah. and that you you do have uh, a lot of the things that you need. Um, uh, Chris has got his hand up here. Do you, do you mind taking a question from Chris? I I don't mind about any questions. But I, I'm not sure will will I hear him or not because the, I hear you, I hear another guys, but I probably didn't hear the Chris. Let's see, uh, Chris, go ahead. Hi, Mockers. Hi, Axel. Um, I just been. Uh, I guess Mockers, you probably told everybody. Uh, can you hear me? I can't hear you. Unfortunately, I can't hear you. What is that? Is it me or him, Mockers? It could be either. Um, I think it's Roman. Should, should, should I log out and log in? Yes, please yes. do that. Uh, then uh, it will be uh, hopefully fixed again. We will bring you up uh, back again. Yeah, just whilst that's going on then, Mockers, I was just going to say, presumably you've told everybody about the minute silence in the UK, I, I assume, at 11, yeah? Everybody knows about that. Um, I, I went into a meeting earlier on and uh, everybody said to me, oh, give us an update on Ukraine, Chris. So I, I spent, you know, some time telling them what I knew. And my wife's just come in in the car and she said uh, Ukraine is on the radio and that. So she's quoting loads of things um, at me that obviously uh, we've discussed in the space and lot uh, and that. So you know, just hopefully um, Ukraine is, is getting um, a lot of um, airtime one way and another today. Let, let me know, um, is, is Roman back yet or not, Sadi? But I, I was going to make a, anyway a point, you know, the... Um, I'm here. Obviously, I was here. Uh, Roman, okay, yes. Well, obviously, I've heard you before, my friend, and I, and I, I was listening to you, you know, talking about... Uh, the firefighters not only having to firefight, you know, but also do this terrible job of of going and exhuming people from graves and that, you know. And I and I want you to know, you know, we will never forget what the Russians have done to Ukrainian people. We will never forget it uh, that they've murdered and raped uh, um, Ukrainians. We will never forget it. Um, and. Um, you know, I I got banned on LinkedIn for saying that um, Russians are savages from a past century, but that's exactly what they are. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just want to say, you know, that my heart and my thoughts go out to you and, and everybody there that's um, 
suffering. And, and I think Axel's quite right as well. Um, we need to uh, visualize the victory. So we're visualizing. I, I'm, I've got another hashtag coming here, Mockers, which is uh, Victory in Ukraine Day. So uh, and I think I might start the Victory in Ukraine Day hashtag. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah, so, so uh, yeah, I want you to know, I want you to know there, Roman, that, you know, we're always thinking about the victory. And, and I believe that if all of us focus on and pray for that victory, that it will come. Yeah, transurfing of reality. <laughs> I also wanted to think um, that the, uh, the continued effort to supply um, weapons and uh, assistance is also very important. So we, we'll keep on that as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, Bill, you've come up, uh, William. Sorry, do you want to speak? I, I do. And uh, first of all, um, I, I've got a little bit of free time throughout the day, so I'm going to pop up and down as we as we go through the day. It's been a lot to think about, but I, I really I was really happy to see Roman on because I wanted to uh, Roman. I, my, my name's Will, and I'm, I'm a, actually a trade unionist in the United States, and um, I just had the uh, opportunity to meet with your ambassador, and one of my jobs is to to connect. Uh, as many of our unions to, 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 to Ukraine and create relationships. And one of my really good friends is the president of the Firefighters Union in America. And I would love to get offline with you uh, because uh, they, they want to offer some support. Um, they, they represent every firefighter in America pretty much. And, and he's a veteran um, and, and he really cares about, about the cause. So I just wanted to make sure while we're there, while we're on, online, that we connect, brother. I think it's 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 kind of real that we, we we can meet offline because I know like one week ago, the press secretary of our fire department called me and said, "Roma, like there is there will be some kind of um, uh, conference conferential in the states, uh, caused by firefighters of the United States of America. Do what do you think if I will send you there?" I said, "Shit, <laughs> of course I can. I don't, I don't mind about it <laughs> to go to the states in the first time in my life." I said, "Okay." So I, I know it is true or not, but maybe we we can meet offline sometime. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Just shoot me a shoot me a DM, and and I, I was we were very lucky very early on in in February. We brought a delegation of 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 uh, miners and some other workers uh, to, to one of our conventions, and it was it was one of the powerfulest moments. We had thousands of people supporting them, and again, we we don't want to just support. We want to make sure we got what you need. So, um, mm. as I said, reach out to me, brother. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. That's one of the great things about this space. We can bring people together. Um, fantastic. Uh, Pauli, you, you popped up, but you never popped your hand up. Did you have something you wanted to add? Me? No, it's okay. It's uh, Pauli. He's obviously away from his mic at the moment. Never mind. Um I just wanted to uh, really say a, a massive thank you, not only to yourself, um, but to all the firefighters and all the um, emergency services, including those who are repairing um, the, the equipment, the rail lines, the 
electricity lines. It's uh, it's incredible work that you all do, and a lot of the time people don't see it, but uh, it it's ex exceptionally important. Um, uh, so thank you for that. And uh, Pauli, you popped your hand up. Go for it. Yeah, thank you, Marcus. Uh, just briefly, uh, so um, from Helsinki, um, there's been shipments from the five departments to um, Ukraine. And I think uh, we'll keep the uh, shipment flowing. Uh, but Stroman, uh, from Kharkiv uh, point of view, can you say what are the uh, like the most important things you need at the moment, or what, what's what's like uh, something that maybe Nordics and the Finnish departments could help help you and, and the whole Ukraine? No, I, I I'm not I'm not sure about Ukraine, but I, I know about the Kharkiv city that we have like main goal we wanna to repair all the our fire guide hydrants and right now we have like around 600 or 700 of them which need to be replaced and uh, we found a company in Poland which is ready to sell uh, the fire hydrant for 600 euro or 700 euro each but before it was a price like 1300 so right now it's kind of better and Yeji will help us maybe with it maybe not but uh, so we we have a problem with the fire hydrant, so we need to kind of raise money for for buying it and with the kind of new fire trucks because usually what we what we what been here sent by Europe for, for the first months to kind of used stuff and we are really trying to kind of find some money to buy a, a new trucks which can be 100% working all the time, not like you are going to the fire after the shelling and. When you know it will be like secondary shelling, a secondary shelling just happening, and this truck can be like you know don't don't go, it can be stuck. And so that's why like we are really interested in buy in trying to buy to new fire trucks. And what I see like everything else we have like thankfully for the Europe for the whole world help, we have like fire gear, fire fire clothes, everything. But of course like uh, like Halligan sets and like. Uh, we just fire gear, fire clothes. It's always stuff which we will be, which we will we'll really need, and we don't have like normal production here in Ukraine yet. But this stuff, like we, we it's always you know like fire, fire clothes. It's like six six months with this ex very intensive work, and your fire clothes not not all, not already closed anymore. So you need to you need you need a new set, kind of like this. So that's why it's you. We always need it. And exactly, yeah, good. And I think in the Nordics, um, due to the like new regulations on on uh, emissions, a lot of fire departments have been like um, actually, actually like replacing good uh good trucks to like new trucks with with lower emissions. I think this was done in Norway at least. So I think there are trucks that can be shipped that are new. Uh, that are already in in in, in uh, use or in reserve. So, yeah, thank you. That's a good good uh, in, info. Thank you. Thank you. Fantastic. Um, <clears throat> thank you very much, both of you. Uh, and again, it's all about making the right connections, isn't it? Um, so, if anybody wants to pop up and speak to. Uh, Oh, I'm just going to mute you a second. There we go. If somebody wants to pop up and speak to a firefighter, Stars, uh, oh, crikey, firefighter Roman, 
excuse me, I'm so confused today, obviously, <clears throat> then by all means, do request to speak. It, in the meantime, um, I just need to ask you, um, is there a is there a reduction in the fires that you've been going out to or is it very much the same story? Can, can you tell me that? You might need to unmute. I would say that right now is mostly fires in the Kharkiv city. It's like more like in the peacetime, just, just, you know, apartment fire, house fire, car fire, there is I can't remember, like, huh, no, no, last time I've been under some fire caused by the, um, by the missiles, it was on my, it was on a Twitter account when it was the uh, electricity station. So after this, I, I, I didn't been on the, any of it. So I know, like, it's happening in, the, in, other, in other parts of the city, but not in my area, so. Like, Everything in Kharkiv, like more or less, like calm down, calm down. So, like this, I don't know what 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 what, what should I say more. Hello. Well, in, in a way, in a way, that's good news because um, you're getting a, a bit more of a normality, normality, I suppose, um, as normal as it can be at the moment. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I lost, I lost my internet connection for, from the Wi-Fi for the for the few seconds, and it's probably changing it. Hello. Can you can still hear me? hear me? We can still hear you. Yeah, I still hear you. Actually, sorry. Don't be sorry. You can't help it. Uh, it's the connection uh, issue. There. Hello. Can you hear me? Hello, Roman. Can you hear me? No, his internet's gone. Oh, gutted. Well, he, he might pop back and see us, but um, even if he can't, uh, it does sound there as though um, in his area there's a uh, you know uh, a distinct change in the um, sorts of fires that he's attending, and uh, that that's interesting in itself. Um, I've got some people popped up to the panel, uh, and hello to all of you. Um, I've got, um, I've been doing a little Russian embassy watch today, um, and, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> I uh, thought I would just bring you the information of what's been happening at some of the Russian embassies. So, um, in London, we had the, uh, London street art, um, Outside the embassy, they painted the road in yellow and uh, blue. And uh, thank you, thank you. Sorry, I've got loads of things to do all at the same time. Oh, hello. So sorry, can I can I just say goodbye to everyone and thank you for having me because I need to go. To be honest, all right. And sorry. Yes, uh, it's uh, okay, yeah, Roman. Uh, thank you for being here and uh, please uh, give them all a big hand uh, for the Roman. And please uh, we uh, come back uh, soon uh, when you have some time. All right. Thank you very much for your support. Thank you very much for everybody. Thank you, Thank you so much. So, Slava Ukraini. Thank you, 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 Uk
We got you. Okay, so I will just go back to Embassy Watch. Um, so they uh, they painted the road outside with yellow and blue. Uh, we spotted that yesterday, and um, they were apparently uh, the police were called, and um, they declared that it was art, and um, there was uh, no no nothing done about that. Um, I'm quite sure the police felt that it was uh, not really anything to worry about. Um, so uh, in Berlin, there has been a destroyed Russian tank displayed outside um, the embassy there. And now uh, there's also a NAFO fella on board that tank. Um, for anybody who knows, it looks a bit like Ben. Um, and uh, there is also a demonstration, including uh, children singing the Ukrainian national anthem, uh, which is terribly inspiring. Um, in Amsterdam, uh, there has been a Dutch organ playing outside the uh, Russian embassy. Um, it continued for at least two and a half hours before they called the police. Uh, I don't know what the rest of that story is, but uh, even so, fabulous. Um, in uh, Warsaw, in Poland, there was a very early wake-up call for the Russian embassy. Um, they apparently treated them to an early morning air raid siren, uh, a shame for them. Um, in Moldova, no, no, Romania, uh, Chisinau in Romania, somebody, somebody redecorated the uh, front of the Russian embassy with some red paint. Um, must have been an accidental spillage. These things happen. Um, but yes, yeah, so I just wanted to bring you up to date with uh, Russian embassy watch. So uh, thank you very much for that. And uh, Chisinau, that's actually Moldova. But having said this, Marcus, could you check what came out of the press conference in Sweden? I have not checked what came out of the press conference in Sweden. No, I'm so sorry. I've been doing a spreadsheet. Well, then we need to get one of our guys onto it. And hopefully Daniel will come back to us or Dan John for that matter. Yes, I'm afraid, unfortunately, um, with everything that's been going on today, I have uh, I have just not had a chance to catch up too much with the news. But I do have some things that uh, I can bring to you. Um, that uh, the British government uh, on this morning said it was introducing a new package of sanctions against Russia, including export bans on every item Moscow has been found using on the battlefield which I think is certainly a step forward to target those. Um, the Chinese peace plan, um, we haven't really talked about that, have we? And uh, that um, has uh, been spoken about by Jens Stoltenberg. Um, and his, uh, his opinion was that the proposed peace plan by China does not have much credibility. Um, they haven't made any attempts to condemn the invasion, uh, but instead signed a limitless partnership agreement with Russia just days before. Um, and uh, so he's not having any of it. And uh, so uh, I don't know if there's any more opinions on that, but uh, I, I think that pretty much says where most people stand on that peace plan. 
You could say it's stillborn. Well? So, uh, I was looking at this earlier. Uh, I thought we might it might come up earlier, but I, uh, in in looking through their plan, it looks like much of much of what China off usually offers in these things, which is uh, enough enough in it that sounds like they're being reasonable, uh, but usually enough points in it are objectionable to either or both parties that it you know it, it has zero chance to succeed. I mean, if you look through the twelve points. Uh, there's very little that, you know, on the face of it, uh, you, you would think is, is, is objectionable. Respecting the sovereignty of all countries, well, I think we can all get behind that. Uh, abandoning the Cold War mentality, well, we've talked about that, but I'm not sure it, it means to the Chinese what it means to uh, those in the West, because uh, them assuming that the Cold War mentality uh, is what causes people to join NATO is, uh, you know, crazy. Uh, you, you join NATO voluntarily. It's not like it creeps up on you and uh, sucks you up like the Borg. So the, the manner in which Russia and China talk about uh, the Cold War mentality um, is, is different, different, I guess we'll have to say from what my view on it is. I also believe that the world ought to be not thinking in a Cold War mentality of the enemy of my enemy is my friend, because that has led uh, the West into a lot of alliances which make it look like they're not uh, principle-based you know, countries themselves. So, yeah, I, I'm, two, yeah, it could go either way. Ceasing hostilities, well, we're all in that, uh, sure. Uh, hostilities can cease at any time Russia wants to uh, stop firing and, and head home. Uh, resuming peace talks, sure. Once once we've uh, are at the edge of you know return to the 1991 borders, we can talk about long lasting peace along the lines of what Roman and Christina were talking about. I mean, real real peace that the folks in in Ukraine no longer need to worry about a threat from the from the east uh, would be uh, ideal. Uh, resolving the humanitarian crisis, sure. Who couldn't get behind that? Uh, protecting civilians and prisoners of war. Ditto. Who couldn't be? Who couldn't get behind that? Possibly Russia, if you look at the manner in which they have sent POWs of Ukraine home, including the fellow who died of a heart uh, a heart failure the other day due to the fact that he was massively emaciated, and uh, even though they were getting him recuperated, that sort of stress on him at a young age uh, caused him to die of a, a heart attack, much like like an older person would. So. Um, protecting civilians and prisoners of war isn't something Ukraine really has to worry about. That's pointed also here at Russia. Keeping nuclear power plants safe, well, I, I think, you know, we're all into that as well, um, uh, except perhaps Russia, who is purposely flying caliber missiles across nuclear power plants, which seems, you know, a little dodgy, uh, in my opinion. Reduce, reducing strategic risk, absolutely. Uh, let's do that. Nuclear weapons shouldn't be held. Uh, nuclear weapons must not be used and, and nuclear wars must not be fought. Completely agree. And let's hope uh, uh, that uh, Russia is denuclearized as part of part of whatever settlement comes out of this, because, uh, frankly, they're not responsible.
parties to be holding nuclear weapons with their, what are we up to, nine iterations of threatening to use nuclear weapons if, if they don't get their way? Um, not exactly an adult, uh, you know, use of, of that threat. Facilitating grain exports? Yeah, also, here again, who, who couldn't be for that uh, to solve food crises in Africa? Uh, but, you know, you want to facilitate grain exports, I'd like to do the ones that were are legal and not the amount of grain that's heading up toward Russia uh, through Mariupol because they're still stealing grain uh, and restricting trade. So, it, it honestly, this whole thing, I'm, I'm up to 10, but the whole thing looks like it applies to Russia and not, and not uh, Ukraine. Uh, but I know that uh, um, China didn't mean it that way. Uh, and now, now here we get to the here, here we get to the part that uh, that that you know would be objectionable to to Ukraine possibly uh, stopping unilateral sanctions. Mm, how about no? When you're a war criminal, uh, humanitarian. Uh, uh, if you cause uh, 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 humanitarian. Uh, uh, what is it? Oh, what's the name? Uh, they were declaimed, they were declared as crimes uh, against humanity. That's that it. one, yeah, that one. Um, if 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 that's the declaration that's made made against you, um, stopping unilateral sanctions is not reasonable at that point. So I don't think Ukraine or the world would be interested in that uh, post uh, uh, maybe post negotiations, but not but not to go into negotiations. Keeping industrial and supply chains stable. Yeah, really? Should we do that for, I mean, Russia? The, I don't want their supply chains, uh, industrial supply chains, uh, especially if, if they lead to things that are, are going to be used against Ukraine. I, I'm not interested in those, keeping those supply chains stable or, or, or full of goods. And then promoting post-conflict re reconstruction. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a given. In, 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 the, in the case of, of Ukraine, but I'd join um, Christina and, and especially what Christina said, I 100% I agree that the, it's gonna be 20 years probably before any major uh, Western company wants to put any significant capital into Russia unless it's a criminal organization. So I don't see that. Uh, coming back soon as far as post-conflict reconstruction. And I think the only people that are going to be interested in helping Russia rebuild anything after this conflict are the people like China who want to make Russia a client state. So that that's my take on the 12, probably a little bit long, but uh, uh, it, it doesn't look like, you know, it's, it's not quite platitudes, but it's it's nothing that would, would move either side toward the negotiation table right now, uh, and I think it's just China trying to hedge its bets and look like, you know, the reasonable party in a in a in a conflict that uh, they haven't taken their side really strongly yet on because they're waiting to see who the actual winner is going to be. But you know, if they were smart, they'd line up with Ukraine now because I, I just don't know anybody who uh, believes uh, other than you know the Votniks who who spout nonsense on the internet. I just honestly don't believe anybody um, who who thinks that Russia has a chance of winning uh, any of their strategic goals, either the original ones or the ones that they've re revised them now. So uh, those who want to be standing on the right side of history, 
including China, should probably line up on, on Ukraine side. Um, but I, I realize that, that they probably don't want to left, be left in the whole world as the only other nuclear power superpower uh, in competition with the United States, especially if all the rest of the world's lined up with them. But I, I think, oh, Anda's not here, but I think Anda had quite a look at, a look at this earlier too and has something to offer. I'm, I'm probably Mr. M or somebody else does. Yeah, I just wanted to come in. I mean, I, I agree with all your points there, Nick. Uh, well, Nick, um, I'm confused today. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I've had a um, note about uh, Sweden, um, Sweden's announcement that it would deliver around 10 Leopard 2 tanks and anti-aircraft systems, anti-air systems to Ukraine. Uh, this is the latest Western country to pledge heavier weapons. Speaking at a press conference to mark the one-year anniversary of the war in Ukraine, Prime Minister Ulf Christensen and Defence Minister Paul Johnson said the Nordic country would send around 10 of Sweden's Leopard 2A5 tanks, as well as the anti-air missile systems Iris-T and Hawk to Ukraine. And uh, thank you to the person who DM'd me that information. And that's quite perfect because that complements and nearly then therefore uh, kits out uh, the third company of uh, the A6 Germans and Portuguese A6 company um, or um, battalion. Technically, that battalion would need three companies of uh, 14, but it seems with uh, 10 from Sweden, the Ukrainians can create whatever structure they desire themselves. But I see, I see we also have one, two, two coming up. So before we go to Nick, maybe we can just address the tank question very quickly and sort through this because one, two, two will be able to tell us exactly about the quality of the tanks and what Axel? the specific Axel? detail was. What? Uh, would you please take a look at your DM? I sent you the whole uh, uh, from Sweden, from the Sweden, Sweden government. Yeah, I'm I'm back at my desk in a minute. I will do that then. Okay. One, two, two, please. Yes, great news today. Um, what a way to uh, oh, sorry, celebrate is not the word, but I hope you get my point. What a way to uh, remember this day. Go back and send more tanks, especially the our version, which is heavily upgraded armor. Um, uh, good luck, Russia, trying to penetrate this armor. You will have a hard time. Uh, doing that um, it's uh, heavily upgraded in just this fashion uh, so I'm, I'm very happy to see the government doing this and also with the um, uh, air defense system <laughs> yeah, it's also great that, that they're announcing this um, uh, I've been expecting it and hoping for it for a while now that they would expand on their previous package of the CB90s um, so uh, I just want to hear some more information about the archers. That's the only thing I'm lacking, uh, which is a system I hope it will get there, but it's sort of like, yes, they have announced it. Uh, not sure about when. So um, I just were hoping that we're going to talk. They were going to talk a bit more about that. But yeah, can't ask for too much. I guess I'm just happy Ukraine is getting more stuff. Um, by the way, I've been away for a while, you know, real life stuff. Uh, I've seen some people on Twitter saying leopards in Ukraine right now. Have you discussed that today or and have any validation on this? 
we have received uh, several reports of uh, at least four leopards uh, roaming around Ukraine. So um, apparently so. Polish ones. Amazing. Lovely. Uh, Will, did you uh, want to add to that? No, I, I, that is, that's what I was going to add. The, the commitments are all great, but the, the first shipment of, of leopards actually occurred from Poland today. So, yeah, they're on the ground. That's very good news. Yeah, that's awesome news. Um, Nick, please uh, go ahead with uh, what it was. Yeah, I, 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 I fact-checked your ridiculous imperialist claim that there's a Dutch uh, organ playing on the street in front of the Russian ambassador, Russian embassy in Amsterdam, and it is, of course, the Russian embassy in the Hague. This is the kind of this is the kind of lies that we've come to expect from NAFO propaganda in the last year. Um, for those who don't know, these um, people may have seen it. Uh, if you walk around a, a shopping center in the Netherlands on a on a Saturday, uh, these organs are an absolutely standard part of the streetscape there. Um, so I wonder if any other countries had them, but in the Netherlands they've just stuck around and, and people earn a living from them. I don't know whether people earn a full-time living from them or whether it's hobbyists who bring them out the weekend. What would you say, Mr. M? It's mostly uh, seasonal uh, work, uh, Nick, uh, because most uh, in in the uh, when the spring begins, when the tulips yeah. are going to bloom, and uh, yeah. in the summer times, that these are the times that there are mostly uh, uh, these uh, music uh, is uh, played by these people, and sometimes uh, they also can uh, be. Uh, uh, ask for uh, a wedding or an uh, other party yeah, shows. Yeah. They can live from it, but I don't think it's uh, very. Uh, uh, they can live from it. Let's uh, say it that way. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, they're, they're they're absolutely delightful. They're always beautifully maintained, and and uh, um, it's uh, all part of uh, of being. Uh, so uh, we we need we really need a campaign. We've had huga and all of those other Scandinavian words, and I think we really need to get the word chazelach uh, into into American lifestyle bookshops. Uh, it's all part of being chazelach. Hail chazelach. Oh, So um, uh, you can also just you can also just pronounce it correctly. Gezelik. Gezellig, gezellig, yeah, gemütlich. Gezellig, 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 um, and uh, I've, I've just been contacted by someone. I don't know if they're a member of the space or not, but if, I, if you are and you're there, thank you. Um, uh, who telling me that there is a uh, demonstration in support of Ukraine this evening, I guess many people here will be going to them, in beautiful downtown Palma de Mallorca. So if anybody here is, is, uh, is in Mallorca or 
near an airport, I guess. It, it starts at six, so you'd have to be pretty near an airport um, and wants to get down to Plaza España for six o'clock this evening. Uh, I will be walking around in a light blue jacket and I look like, oh, I was going to say I look like my profile photo, but I really don't. Um, and I've, I will hope to meet the person who sent me this message there and uh, we will, yeah, we will have a good time there. So, um, I, I, I need to I need to get out more and meet the Ukrainian community of, of Parma, and I will be doing that this evening. So uh, I think for everybody, have a look around in your local uh, What's On um, group. I know there are 50 demonstrations in Germany at various times today in, in major cities, um, and uh, today is really an excellent uh, day to go out and meet uh, both Ukraine, your local Ukrainians and your local uh, supporters of Ukraine and, and uh, maybe find ways to do something that uh, might even take you away from Maria Report for half an hour, but if it raises money or something, I suppose it's that's allowable. Thank you, Nick. I'll allow it just this once. Um, <clears throat> I've also been sent... Um, uh, an, another uh, Russian embassy situation uh, in Serbia. Um, the Russian embassy in Belgrade uh, is surrounded by police, and I do mean surrounded. Um, uh, however, one uh, Russian pro uh, sorry, one pro Ukrainian activist. Um, yeah, I'm not going to pronounce his name. I'm just going to retweet the tweet. Um, he tried to deliver them a cake, um, which was a skull uh, on a bed of uh, blood. And um, apparently they didn't want to accept it. But uh, there's a nice picture of him stood outside with very proud of his cake. Um, don't know who made it for him, but uh, it's uh, it's just another symbol of how people are starting. Uh, well, how people feel, how people feel. Uh, not starting to feel how we feel. <clears throat> Sorry. It's great to see uh, such uh, uh, support uh, for uh, Ukraine. I bet uh, the Ukrainians uh, are uh, happy to see this. And uh, it will give an uh, other uh, image uh, than uh, the Russians want to... Uh, let us uh, think, or let the Ukrainians think that they are alone. They are not alone, and we all stand with them. And uh, in these uh, in these ways, we can uh, show them that we stand with them. We absolutely can. Um, the, these, uh, you know, they they might not be uh, extreme acts, but. Uh, it's one way of getting the message across for certain. <sighs> um, so uh, I've just brought up Abdullah and uh, go ahead, Abdullah. Howdy, howdy, Watkins. Uh, thank you so much. Because uh, I, I, I was just concentrating. And, uh, because uh, as Dr. Nick was talking about, uh, there are a lot of events going on. Yeah, I couldn't find any event in Dubai, so today, so my dad and I just went on a hike. 
My father, my father, as you know, he was in, in Russia. He went to school in Russia, and he spent almost yeah more than ten years. So, so I'll say he understands the Russian very well. So just uh, just a few days ago, he met one of the guys, one of the Russians that lives here. He's a he's a specialist physician. I want to say he's more he's more he's more of extremist. He's more to the right of Putin. It's hard to believe, right? But uh, so we have people like that, highly educated, but still believe in all this BS, the Russian Empire, spirit, spirit influence, how NATO is encroaching on, on their land and all that crap. But I also, I wanted to ask uh, Mr. M. He was speaking of tulips. Mr. M, uh, when I went to Turkey, <laughs> now the Turkey, uh, as they're known, uh, they told me that the tulips. They had to try, they had the tulips before the Dutch did. Is that true? Just wanted to confirm it. Oh, that's something I don't know. I don't know the whole history of the tulips, but uh, it. Uh, what was the What was the question? The tulips. Yeah, yeah, when, yeah. yeah when I went to Turkey, Turkey, uh, they said that the Turkey, had, the Turks had the tulips first before the Dutch. But I just wanted to confirm with them. I, I guess it's quite possible. I mean, the the Dutch just turned it into a national, um, into a national symbol, and and you had the the the, the tulip speculation um, uh, crisis of three hundred years ago, which was kind of the Bitcoin of the time, where people were bidding a year's salary to own one particular tulip bulb. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if, if these things originated in one country and became it's, popular in another. It's originated in Kazakhstan. Well, that's greater Turkey, isn't it? Yeah, it's the Turks. Yeah, so so they're right because usually the Turks like to like to claim everything. So so apparently they're right on this one. The uh, it, uh, the the in the other direction, of course, is the is uh, the the Turkish toilet, as that that's what we call it in in much of Europe, the Turkish toilet. You'll you'll be familiar with the construction. There's no water in it. There's just and uh, the the Turkish toilet was not actually invented by the Turks. It was invented by the Russians. The Turks just added the hole. Uh, a bit of history for uh, about uh, the tulip. Uh and uh, Turkey uh, claiming it. Uh, it was uh, in in the time of the 16th uh, century and the Ottoman, uh, Ottoman Empire uh, uh, did uh, seize uh, Kazakhstan and then they found in the mountains of Kazakhstan, they found the first tulip. So it's original Kazakhstan and not Turkey. Didn't they come from that area, the Turks, as a tribe, you know, the people of the steppe? So I think they have, they can claim that. We'll give, we'll give it to them, Mr. M. Yes, let's give them to them. Then they have, then they have something. Well, there you go. We, we've sorted out some historical uh, situations right there. Um, Freight monkey, please go ahead. I love a bit of history, and uh, if you think it's stupid to go and spend one year's salary uh, for a tulip, there are people who are spending more than one year's salary for a digital piece of art that uh, can literally be copy-pasted. And uh, 
recently Prigozhin has spent uh, many, many human lives trying to capture a salt mine. So, um, you know, human beings put strange put strange priorities and prices to uh, to, uh, to 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 some things. But uh, yeah, that's all I wanted to say. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, would you like a little uh, rundown of today? Yes, please. Um, yeah. So, so far today, there has been um, lots of cities in famous places lit up in support of Ukraine overnight last night. Um, one year on from the first troops, tanks, planes and bombs. Um, so uh, there's uh, some pictures here of Brussels, New York, Paris and Berlin, but there were many more. Um, at the event in London that was held last night, uh, Dame Helen Mirren was close to tears as she recited a poem, gave her support. Um, overnight <clears throat> in Australia, Detectives have busted a Russian spy ring. Um, that sounds exciting. Uh, we've had some big numbers today. Um, we're up over 146,000 with uh, 970 liquidated personnel, 13 tanks, seven armoured personnel vehicles. My favourite here, artillery systems and MLRS. We've got 11 artillery systems and three MLRS. Uh, three anti-aircraft war systems, uh, nine vehicles and fuel tanks, and uh, one of those special equipments, which um, someone told me what it was before, and I have no idea. Um, if anybody can uh, remember on my behalf, feel free. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, um, the British MOD uh, believes that um, Russia has likely change their approach and the campaign now primarily seeks to degrade the Russian military rather than seizing substantial amounts of territory. Um, the Russian leadership is likely pursuing a long-term operation where they bank that Russia's advantages in population and resources will eventually outlast Ukraine. Um, I think we can uh, safely say that that's unlikely to happen. Um, it looks like there's been some sabotage in Crimea. Um, I'll be honest, it doesn't look massively exciting. It looks like it could be repaired quite quickly, but still, it's still a pain. Um, it was an important railway route uh, that had a section of it removed, possibly by explosive, um, that there's no further details, but we're quite sure that there's uh, active resistance. Um, military transport and passenger traffic was affected. Uh, one passenger train and two um, with other cargo. Uh, the first Leopard tanks, yes, have indeed arrived in Ukraine today. Uh, Polish Prime Minister uh, apparently also arrived with them um, in Kyiv. And uh, he was pictured uh, meeting with... Uh, his counterpart, Denis Schimal. Later on, um, he will officially announce the Leopard's arrival. Um, so uh, that's going to be something to uh, 
look forward to. Uh, King Charles uh, of the UK has um, put out a message of solidarity today for Ukraine. Um, his message here, I can only hope the outpouring of solidarity from across the globe may not only bring practical aid, but also strength from the knowledge that together we stand united. That's uh, that's his message there, and I think we can all agree that uh, he's a he's not a political figure, but um, it's good to hear uh, unequivocal support there. Um, <clears throat> there have been um, a number of uh, ceremonies, but uh, one in particular this morning was held in Kiev's St Michael Square. Uh, a ceremony to mark the anniversary and to celebrate Ukraine's heroic resistance. And uh, I think that's how we, we have to sort of see today. Um, it is indeed a heroic resistance that, uh, what was it, three days? Three days, yeah. 365 days later, um, here we are. So <clears throat> that just goes to show that uh, Ukraine has the, the heart to uh, continue as long as it takes. Um, there was some power outage in Kherson um, due to shelling. Uh, that's happened uh, this morning. Um, and meanwhile, Russia, of course, hit another hospital in the area. Um, luckily, there were no um, casualties. Um, Wagner troops are continuing to beat their head against Bakhmut. Uh, they claim to have taken control of the village of Berkhovka or Berkhivka. Not sure. Um, <clears throat> it's just northwest of the outskirts of Bakhmut and it is at a slightly higher elevation, which may indeed uh, be an issue if they have captured it, but. Uh, We've seen what happens around Bakhmut when uh, the Russians move in and capture a piece of land. Um, they don't seem to be able to hold it for very long. Um, as well as the UK imposing additional sanctions today, um, New Zealand have also imposed additional sanctions on Russia. Uh, 87 individuals have been targeted, including political actors who have strategic re relevance to Russia, and proximity to Putin. Um, <clears throat> again, uh, it's a case of tightening up and targeting sanctions, I think, here. Um, now, uh, there is news of um, further resistance inside Russia, um, but this time a schoolboy. Uh, he was arrested in Russia on his way to set fire to the local military enlistment office. Um, so, uh, yeah, that they they seem to be very flammable, those uh, military enlistment offices, don't they? Um, apparently he was caught uh, with a lighter and a number of Molotov cocktails. Um, seems to be the way they like to do things. Um, <coughs> yeah, it has now been confirmed. There we go. Uh, short shortly uh after that initial uh statement poland's defense minister indeed confirmed the news
Um, uh, here to contribute. Thanks, Axel, for hosting. And yeah, Biz and Marie aid that all to give what you can. I, I was moved to, to stick my hand up and come up to speak about that young gentleman, that innovative uh, freedom fighter that was being arrested. Uh, Schoolboy age, which gives us great hope. I would just commend his action and uh, encourage others to do the same. Um, and just perhaps, you know, to avoid a similar problem, maybe stash the sugar and the gasoline closer to the spot and just come down with empty glass bottles. You don't want to be moving around with live stuff like that. Obviously, they're catching people. The second thing that came to mind was, aren't they very good at policing in Russia that they knew where he was going to? They arrested him when he was thinking about setting something fire, which I thought was excellent policing. And just to encourage him and other young men and women like him, who do want to plot a free future for themselves, I would encourage to burn down uh, recruitment centers and train switching control panels, the little electrical panels. They burn real easy and they're usually out in the middle of nowhere. And I would also burn down post offices because that country seems to be bureaucratically inclined and paper-based. So burn anything paper that belongs to the state. And just uh, congratulations to the young man and to encourage others to do the same and perhaps make a couple of trips, you know, over a couple of weeks. Maybe one week you go down, you leave your sugar. Maybe the next week you go down and you hide your gasolina. Maybe the third week you come down with some glass. Maybe the fourth week you come with more glass and you don't have to carry everything at the same time and get arrested like this poor man. So, Slava Ukraini. Uh, please retweet and share. Thank you very much, David. Yeah, thank you, David. Uh, always uh, happy to uh, help the Russians brush up on their guerrilla tactics uh, against themselves. Um, Freight Monkey, please go ahead. Yeah, thanks for that. that very good update. I also fully uh, endorse all acts of uh, sabotage um, that anybody can get up to, however small. I think uh, they do end up making a difference. Um, history does teach you that uh, even insignificant uh, small acts of, uh, of heroism uh, can change uh, things for the better. So uh, congratulations to anybody uh, doing that. And I was doing a bit of reading. There's a guy on Twitter called Chris So Wiki, and he makes some very good um, makes some very good threads. Now it's all his translation of various things and I don't speak Russian so uh, you know you have to take his word for it but um, he was talking about uh, he was writing up a thread about uh, Prigozhin uh, over the past few days we had um, we were talking on this space about how Prigozhin was complaining that um, that he wasn't getting enough ammunition etc uh, it seems that uh, at least the speculation is that he's really fallen foul of of the authorities uh, so uh, uh, if I can just uh, quote what Chris O'Wiki said, uh, it is forbidden to mention him unless absolutely necessary. It is forbidden to quote him except when he is in, when he is the first to report news of successes on the front line. For example, that Solidar has been captured or that we have reached the outskirts of Bakhmut, uh, which, um, as one commentator put below, it looks like uh, a window is awaiting him. So it's interesting to see how someone who was very popular with uh, Russian media and with uh, Russian Twitter spheres, uh, pro-Russian trolls, etc., um, uh, no longer is on the good side of the authorities. And uh, 
might just disappear. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be uh, too much of a shame if it did happen. I'm quite sure that there's not many people who would sop for him. Put it that way. Um, maybe only with re relief, anyway. Uh, however, um, uh, well, he wasn't uh, apparently invited to uh, Putin's speech either. But maybe that was some sort of mercy because um, the people who went didn't look very uh, pleased to be there. Um, however, the uh, the thing with Prigozhin is it's possible that um, there's some theatre there. Um, you never know. Uh, th there's always people set up as um, some sort of opposition in some way. Um, and uh, I, I don't know if this is the latest iteration of that. Um, difficult to tell from the outside, obviously. Um, do, do you want to just add to that, Freight Monkey? Yeah, that, that is something, um, this, this fake opposition uh, is, uh, is something we've seen again and again. Uh, if, you go on, or if you go and look at the, the clips from Solovyev's uh, uh, propaganda unit, uh, they, they often have uh, one or two people in, uh, on the panel uh, that are there as a uh, to to sort of fight back on any kind of idea and to create this uh, this opposition so that they can be blamed, um, and uh, we've seen that for the past eleven months. It's it's interesting. It's an interesting idea that he would now be um, uh, he would now uh, become some kind of opposition member. But I would have thought he would be closer to the media if that was the case. But uh, I can totally imagine that. Uh, so uh, another thing I, I saw is. Uh, I was very surprised I was on Jackson Hinkle's uh, um, uh, profile. I mean, that guy, is, that guy is something else. I was very surprised at how good Solovyev's English is. I don't know if you guys have tried to watch a few minutes of the so-called interview that they had. Uh, it's horrendous. After, after three minutes, I, I lost interest. I had to, I had to switch it off. Uh, but I was very surprised at how good his English was. Well, they learn English um, from quite an early age, I believe, uh, and uh, they learn it as well as possible so that they can blend in. Um, it, it's something that uh, I think is part of their schooling, that um, they, they learn English with a good, good old-fashioned English accent. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's part of what they do. Um, David, please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, uh, Freight Monkey. I really appreciate your thoughts and contributions. I look forward to hearing you here, so thanks very much. I would definitely be a student of the same theory that Mockers, you just mentioned that um, uh, there is no opposition. There is government. There is FSB, which is KGB. There is mob, and everything else is just bullshit for us to consume and confuse ourselves with. Um, we can really gauge the Russians and how they feel based on how they act, not what they say. So, yes, they put together these nicely theatered pieces to force the brainwashed nation to continue uh, down the path of fascism and uh, the old imperialistic tropes. It is not genuine conversation. That is illegal in that country. It is not acceptable to have any public show of protest. Never mind television. You can't do it at the bus stop. If you hold up a blank piece of paper, it's considered sedition and attacking the state. 
So there is no debate. There is no open democracy. What there is is a mirror put up for the people to be confused and think they live somewhere where debate is. And then a secondary benefit for the Russians from that is that we look at it and we think, oh, hey-ho, they're so democratic. It's like watching ITV News or, or you know, the, like the BBC show where everyone sits around and gives out to each other and they say what they feel and then the show is over. That doesn't exist in that society. What there is is security state and total oppression. But what we can tell from these little petty court battles between the different lords in front of the Tsar is they want us to think they're fighting. They want us to think they're falling apart. Prigozhin used to own, I think he still does, what they called the IRA, the Internet Research Association, or Assembly, or Assholes, or whatever they were in St. Petersburg. So he does have quite a powerful media background, and it is self-delusion to call him the chef of Putin. Uh, he was only called that because he was the guy who was able to do the dirty contracts to provide... That's how he made the billions, how they washed money out of the coffers into Putin's pocket. So whenever he is used, or any of these false individuals are used as fronts, we can tell that the Russians are up to the usual jiggery-pokery and they want us to think something. But it's most definitely not what it is the first thought is when you look at it and think, oh, well, they must be fighting. Ho-ho, they're going to eat each other. Not a chance. It's just bullshit. He's making a lot of noise because he got orders from the boss to make a lot of noise. And that's what's happening. Um, and the Internet Research Agency, just you know, to tie that one in a bow, lest we think they're actually good at this online media nonsense. They're not. It's just repetitious. In fact, they're so poor. They were so poor at their internet research agency. That's what it's called, St. Petersburg. The IRA in St. Petersburg were so poor that Dutch intelligence had hacked into their CCTV cameras and were watching them tap on their keyboards for like, I think it was three or four years, um, which is very embarrassing and uh, feathering the cap of the Dutch. So I would just say whenever they have these fake fights, it's like when mobsters sue each other in court. They're not really interested in justice. They just want to use the court to be able to wash money to each other via judgments. Same here. They're not really interested in fighting each other. They don't even believe in the Russia. There is just some advantage to be gained from this display. Um, but it is not on its face to be believed as it's not believable. So thanks very much for the space and please retweet and share. Visit mariaaid.org. Give what you can. If you can't afford it, that's fine. Just make sure you retweet a couple of times. It's just as good. Thank you very much, David. And um, yeah, uh, I think a lot of uh, what they do is um, propaganda, sowing division, um, creating division. Uh, yeah, all, all of these things. Um, and I've become a very cynical soul in the last 12 months. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> uh, George, my love, you finally got up. Please go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, um, so did... Did we discuss the um, the the uh, tanks coming from Sweden? I see one two twos up here, so I I hear he's headed to Sweden uh, to to Ukraine from Sweden. Uh, any, do we have any more information on that? How many or anything like that? One two two, are you there? Yes, sorry, I heard something about numbers, but. George was just asking about what Sweden had uh, announced earlier. Uh, I think the phrasing was up to 10 uh, tanks. So the exact number is not known, but they said up to 10. 
and that's one two twos right yes which, which are yeah. which are really they're 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 two a they're not really a two a five because they're they've got improved armor and they they actually have the uh the slope the what do you call it uh, turret face not the flat turret face right so they but, look more like a 2a6 and a 2a7 but the 2a5 has the slope that's the slope turret if i'm not mistaken oh, that, that's the 2a5 the 2a4 is flat okay all right all right right yeah but they do have uh they say they have even more improved armor than the german 2a5s and uh and some other improvements right is it's a uh, <laughs> they say it's heavily upgraded ballistic protection uh, how much that is but uh, i don't know but i know it's very very uh, rigid uh, it, it, uh, there there isn't really much they can you know uh, make a real impact on it especially not over distances uh, of course it can be penetrated but it's it's hard um the fire control system is also very very high end um the optics, everything is, you know, upgraded even more than, you know, the other versions of the A5. So, uh, yeah. It, I was uh, going to ask you, I was going to ask you, but uh, on the, so it can, I heard it can, it can compute or, or different targets so that you don't, once you fire at the first target, it, it moves to the next target, like the turret and the gun sight moves to the next the site moves to the next target and doesn't have to be recomputed. Can you elaborate on that a little bit or uh, describe on what, what's going on there? I, I can't say too much other than basically what you said. Uh, me as a commander, I can designate targets for the gunner or put it into the system. So while the gunner is, for example, let's say we have five targets. The gunner is um, aiming and focusing on target one and engaging that one. Meanwhile, whilst he's doing that, I can spot other targets. I can program them into the system. And once the gunner has fired, uh, I can you know, give him the command uh, that there's another target in the system for him. Then the uh, system will assist the gunner and already start moving the uh, gun so to speak if he, if you're in that sort of like mode selected mode and you will have assistance so you don't have that you know downtime it will act, uh, already go there and it will give you a visual and audio uh, notification when it's locked on target every calculation is done then you just yeah depending on what order you have you just recheck everything and then you press fire and then you go go down the line so to speak uh, it's really really amazing it speeds up the process from you know uh, command to fire by a lot so uh, really really efficient uh, i have some also some news from sweden and uh Ulf christerson at the joint press conference with minister of defense paula johnson and they uh will supply Irish T and, and Hawk air defense system as part of the new packages. You beat me to it, Mr. M. Oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, th those are also partly included. <laughs> um, 
we've got Martin come to visit us from Manitoba. Uh, welcome, Martin. Slava Ukraini. Thank you, Markers and Axel. And uh, I see my friends there, David and George and, and all of this gang who I've come to regard as very close friends over the past almost year since I've been listening to the Maria Report. Um, we're all in this for the good common cause of defense of freedom, independence and democracy, because Ukraine's fight is our fight. And the genocidal illegal invaders from Russia will lose. They will lose. That is my my prediction, and of course my fervent hope. Anyways, I didn't come up here to uh, to be a, a preacher like that, um, but I just wanted to say that um, I talk like that because um, my belief in in the goodness, the justness of this cause has been reinforced, and I say this from the bottom of my heart, by uh, the Maria Report. Um, it has been um, a very strong, and uh, it's, a, it's a powerful um, source of uh, ongoing and accurate, updated 24-7 news about Russia's illegal war of aggression against Ukraine. So please, as my friend David Farrell always says, please retweet, retweet the uh, the space. So I just wanted to mention here from Winnipeg, Manitoba, that um, um, Canada, as you know, and uh, has has been mentioned before by myself um, and others, has taken in probably more or at least as many uh, refugees from Ukraine as as any other country. And my own province, Manitoba, has the highest number of Ukrainian refugees. Uh, and that's not just a bragging point. I just wanted to point that out and emphasize that. Um, and the Canadian government remains unflagging, of course, in its support for Ukraine against this illegal, horrendous war of aggression by, uh, by as uh, David always says, and David, you hope you don't mind me quoting you, uh, the Russian Federation. Uh, not the Russian Federation, you say uh, Muscovy, Muscovy. Um, I also wanted to point out, and, and again, thank you for listening to me, everyone, um, that there was a news item on um, CBC, uh, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, the other evening, and, and their news coverage of this one-year um, anniversary of uh, this illegal war of aggression and genocide has been excellent. Um, of a um, In southern Ontario, just outside of Toronto, uh, where Ukrainian uh, refugees are working uh, and essentially they're building um, armored vehicles um, from, uh, you know, at, at the factory of a, of a Canadian company owned by a Ukrainian Canadian. Um, he's, uh, he's from Ukraine. I think he's been in Canada a number of years that are being shipped, of course, to Ukraine. So they, as, as one young man, 17 years old uh, from Ukraine, came here last year soon after the uh, the illegal war of aggression began, said, he says, I feel like um, I'm at home because, uh, as I said, most of the people building these armored vehicles that are being shipped to Ukraine right now and are in service um, are being built by Ukrainian refugees. So uh, that really um, made me feel good to see that, that they are contributing that way to uh, this important and just cause of defending their homeland against the genocidal barbarians from the east. So I'm going to drop down now 
to listener. And again, thank you, Slava Ukraini, and uh, we're in Slava. Thank you. And Maria Report, um, what can I say? I've said it already. Um, you are an indispensable source of, of um, reinforcement and of ongoing reporting on this illegal war of aggression. So thank you. And I'm dropping down to speaker. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Martin. And uh, it's uh, an honor to do this uh, great, uh, great work. And uh, I'm just going to welcome to the speaker panel, Victoria. Uh, good afternoon, Victoria. Hi, Mokers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for getting me. Um, hi, everyone. I'm just, what a day today. We've been having so many great guests and speakers. And um, first of all, guys, I would like to say thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, thank you for listening to the truth and spreading the information about what is happening in Ukraine. Um, thank you for all your donations and contributions. I, I honestly never expected that Ukraine would receive so much support from all over the world. And you guys are part of history. And uh, let me tell you that Ukrainians will never forget, never forget your help. Um, you know, while, while today is one year mark of one of the darkest days of Ukrainian history, it is also universal uni Ukrainian unification. Uh, Ukraine has never been so strong, so resilient, so united, and so determined to fight for its freedom. And uh, I have never been so proud of my motherland. Um, well, while today it is years since the full-scale invasion that Russia launched in Ukraine, um, let's Let's not forget that the war started not a year ago, but nine years ago in um, 2014, uh, when Russia occupied Crimea and Donbass. Um, did not ever believe that a civil war took place in Donbass. It was Russia. It was, it was always Russia. Um, nine years ago, my family had to flee as refugees from Luhansk because they refused to live under Russian occupation. And today, Russia is trying to occupy all Ukraine. And, but we all know that it's not going to happen. Uh, Ukraine will prevail, and Russians can go fuck themselves. I totally agree on that, uh, Victoria. And uh, it's, uh, it's... We couldn't do this 24-7 without all the listeners who are listening to us and uh, I also want to uh, thank them for being uh, loyal listeners and uh, help us to spread the real real truth about what's happening in Ukraine about the deportations about the the war crimes uh, and that we could be in this space a voice for Ukraine people and that we have uh, many good Ukrainian come here and that they can talk about how how they cope with the the, the war that is conducted on them and a big, big thank you for all of you listeners who made this uh, possible thank you very much
Yeah. You all guys are part of the history, like I said before, and it doesn't matter if you're just a listener, um, because that's it's more important than you may think, because you're going to hear the information, and then you're going to go and spread that information. You're going to tell this to your neighbors, to your friends, and then they will tell someone else about the genocide that's happening in Ukraine and the truth. And so, it, or if maybe you contribute money to Ukraine, anything, anything helps, and you... You have no idea how much we appreciate that and how much Ukrainians feel your support. So thank you so much, guys, for, for the part of, of our victory. Thank you very much, Victoria. Um, and uh, we obviously are... Um, it, it's our honour to be able to stand in solidarity with Ukraine. It really is. Um, last night, uh, or maybe the day before, I received information from um, <clears throat> a soldier who is actually um, sat in a trench, uh, and he admitted that at uh, times when he's, it's possible, he listens to the space, and um, he finds it a comfort that uh, he knows that there are people here who are burning the candle and keeping the flame alive um, and making sure that people know what's going on. Um, it, it's something that um, he and uh, his fellow soldiers actually do listen to. And that, I'll be honest, um, made me feel incredible. Um, so if they're listening right now, hi. Uh, sorry, a bit fangirly. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Waypoint, go ahead. Yeah, hi everybody, Mockers, Axel, and Victoria. Um, wonderful day for you. Um, absolute heroes, every single one of you in Ukraine. Um, and uh, we're all extremely proud of, uh, of how you've uh, fought the fight. It's a hard fight. Um, very sad that a lot of people have you know, lost their lives. Um, and we, uh, we have tears and bleed with you, every single person that actually loses their life. But um, some fantastic news of obviously equipment that's coming from Ukraine or arriving in Ukraine today. Um, and on the other side, um, I've seen actually spotted something which, uh, which um, where my my jaw actually jaw 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 hit the ground was uh, BTR fifty. Now um, I've seen BTR fifty um, quite a lot when I was younger, um, and the last time I saw one was actually eighty nine when I was went over checkpoint Charlie into um, I think it was the. 10th or 11th, it was like the day after the wall came down, I actually was going in for a meal, it was already planned anyway, and I had to officially go through Checkpoint Charlie, and I went into, um, I actually went into East Berlin for this meal, and, um, and I saw them there, and they're old, um, they're the, the BMP1s, um, and a very old, they, they first came out in 54, and they retired in 1990, uh, with the uh, the National Folks Army, the, the, D the DDR Army, and uh, they haven't been used obviously since then. Um, but it's a really, really old APC transporter, can float a little bit on water, but I mean, I would trust it, it must sink anyway. But yeah, and that's uh, that's the sort of thing the Russians are getting. So uh, good news all around, because uh, they're death traps, they're even worse than the BMP1s. So uh, yeah, great stuff. Slava Ukraini. Here we Slava. Oh, I'm so indeed. Um, <clears throat> uh, Axel, 
Are you back from your dinner yet? I'm going to take that as a no. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, while Axel's enjoying his dinner, um, I just had a little bit of an update about uh, Sarah Ashton Cirillo. Um, she's obviously um, overwhelmed with the words of support and um, everybody wishing her well. Uh, she's being transferred between hospitals and um, she is... Uh, very thankful for the Ukrainian people for showing the world one year of bravery and inspiration. So even when she's um, obviously injured and uh, in the hospital, uh, she's um, making a point of uh, thanking the Ukrainian forces and the Ukrainian people for everything that they're doing and everything that they've done. Um, <clears throat> she's also uh, put up a video which um, I might just add to the nest for you uh, when she finally got evacuated from the front lines the boys sent uh, the Russians a gift to their camp especially from her a nice little see you later gift um, and uh, I think that that's a, a beautiful thing to do in um, you know in the in her honor uh and uh david you've got your hand up i i do sorry i was trying to dry my hands real quick and come back to the microphone um i just want to say thanks very much for the update on sarah ash and cirillo i did see their her post yesterday and uh, i just want to commend everybody for expressing their love and support and to remind that that is what makes the difference. Uh, those who love freedom and individual sovereignty also know the power of love and how it can uh, bridge <coughs> gaps in time and space and bring a lot of solace to people. So just commend you for, for reading out that support and I hope other people and we all here continue to support each other. Uh, I wanted to just say hello to Mr. Waypoint. I always enjoy when he comes to speak and to ask uh, I was listening, as I said, you know, absolutely doing stuff here, but I know, I think I heard you said it was first, that piece of equipment was first fielded in, in 1954 and then out of action then the 90s. Is that because there has been, is it being spoken about, this is what I mean, I was only listening in part, is this subject being broached because we've seen these on the ground in occupied Ukraine? Uh, and that would that would be a 70-year-old machine, right? Well, exactly. It's, you know, it's a, uh, a 1954, it actually came into service. And uh, I, I don't know how long, I mean, obviously the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Soviet Union and Russia, they've, um, they've obviously put it into some, some storage somewhere. And they've now brought them out. I mean, supposedly they're being traveled, they're, they're being transported now um, into theater, into the Ukraine um, to, um, yeah. And there's, there's a, I mean, I, I, the stuff, the stuff that Ukraine is getting is stuff that works. This is stuff they're getting, and it doesn't work very well. You can really virtually just literally see it, say it, see it that way. I will this weekend be speaking to um, a friend of mine and ask him about it because he was actually in the um, in the NVR, uh, the DDR army. Um, so I'll actually speak to him about it, and uh, if he can tell me anything about it, I know a little bit about it because we had to do like uh, vehicle recognition and also like aircraft vehicle recognition when we were um, Cold War uh, soldiers and. Um, I can remember. I can remember seeing it then. It 
they already had other, obviously newer stuff that was coming out, but um, it was one that I had seen um, when I was on the border in the helicopter. I did see it as well. Sometimes it was quite close to the border. You could actually see things like that um, with various means. Um, so you did you did see them around. There weren't really that many of them that I saw. Um, and it's <clears throat> yeah, like I say, it's a, it's a death trap. I mean, it really is a it's a death trap. It's a very it's a, it's, a, it's lightest armor. It's not heavy heavy armor or anything like that. Um, whether they can upper armor it, I've ne- I mean, I never saw it. I mean, not, I'm not sure whether they could upper armor it. It's a sixteen something ton uh, APC. Um, but it looks like you know, it looks like the the, the normal um, the normal Russian uh, piece of kit APC. Um, but then obviously look a little bit old. It's got like a big uh, big like flat looking thing at the front of it. Um, that it, when it goes to water, you know, it uh, it um, it creates like obviously a wave, you know, a wave. Uh, uh, so it can actually float a bit. I, I, it can't swim, but it will like float over a you know a shallow a shallow river. You know, they go with speed and then try to go through a shallow river and that sort of stuff. But it's like it's a really really old piece of uh, rave. I see ravers on here. Most of you know it as well. It's an old piece of kit, and you can you can forget it really. I mean, there's there's a there's, if they use it and put people in it, and it gets hit with anything, then they're they're dead. It's as simple as that. Thanks. So you mean to say that it's more trap what the Russians are putting in the battlefield? Uh, Mr. M, it's no, it's 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 worse crap. Let's put it that way. Oh my God, they are so fucked. Sorry for that. Swear out. Um, Raver, do you want to come in on this before I go back to uh, David? Yeah, so White Point, are you talking about some? I missed the first part of that conversation. You've got to be talking about either the BTR 50 or the BTR 60. Which one is it? The BTR 50, brother. Wow. Yeah, so last combat use, I think, was probably like Egypt 1973. Um, I guess the Transnistrians field a few of them, but I'm going to be a, a little bit of, of a, a, a contrarian here. Um, the way the Russians overload their BIMPs and uh, BMDs with ammunition makes them exploding dead traps. The BTR-50, because it's steel and only has a machine gun, um, it's not much worse off than, say, a 113. So if you're going to use it in that type of a role, I think it's open top, so you don't want to have anything exploding your head. But it might actually be safer uh, to ride in than a, a more modern BMP3, where if something penetrates the, the paper it calls armor, the whole thing heads for the moon. Yeah, but I think the problem is it is what they actually take in is they take in with themselves. You know, the actual stuff they take in with them. And then obviously, if, they, if they're taking anything in that RPGs or anything like that, then they, it uh, just makes it a little bit uh, a little bit worse because, like you say, from ab- from above, this I've I've seen closed closed variant, and I've seen um, like an op- like you say open variant. Um, and I mean, if anything explodes obviously above them, then it's, it's even worse because uh, there's there's nothing left there. And even well, it doesn't matter. Even if it gets hit from the side, it's just they're, 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 it's um it's 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 not it's not armored as, as such. You know, it's like um. It's like the old scimitars or something. I mean, ours was aluminium there, just steel, but it's it's very very old. Mostly rusting. I mean, I can't. I, it's really really old. Yeah, I mean, it's seventy years old. You know, fifty four. 
Yeah, it, it's definitely a post-World War II design, and I'm not saying it's well-protected at all. All I'm saying is it doesn't have the, if you've ever looked at the turret design, that universal turret they had got for the BMD-4 and the BMP-3 and whatnot, that the, the gunner is just absolutely surrounded by explosives and not armor. And so if anything, you know, from a heavy machine gun up, hits one of those in the side, they explode like a T-72. I mean, they just absolutely go to pieces. And at least the BTR won't do that. So maybe you'll, if you're, you know, Private Ivan the Orc, have a have a split second to maybe think about your life decisions. Yeah, when the the, the ones I, the ones I saw, they had a uh, they had like a like a uh, like a Jimpy, you know, a 7.62 uh, machine gun on them, um, and that that's the only the only variant I ever saw. There is one with a bigger gun, I believe. I can't remember what it is. 14 point something millimeter. 14.5, I don't know. There is another variant with it that they have um, uh, as a uh, as a machine gun, but um, but I never saw that myself. Most maybe it's even older. I don't know. Thanks. Yeah, you definitely don't want to use them on the front. Uh, definitely, like use them if if the Russians had brain cells and they don't, they would use them the way the Ukrainians are using the 113s. They wouldn't be pushing them up into the line of contact because that's how you die. David, go ahead. Thanks, Muckers. And uh, Mr. Raver, I wanted to say good morning. I salute you. It's great to hear you here. Um, and also, just I had heard Miss Victoria speaking, and I don't know if it has been done already, so I'm going to give it a poor attempt because I hadn't heard it. I wanted to play great uh, tribute for the work you've been doing, Miss Victoria, both seen and mainly unseen. And the largest part of the iceberg is under the water. So I know you've been working like a demon doing Trojan work for the year and that it's never difficult being away from one's home. And so I, I send you uh, love and support and uh, thank you very much for the, donating your time and being here. Um, that's all. And, and then for to the topic of these vehicles. Um, so what, from what I understand, Raver, that you've been saying there is a potential it's usable. It could be used if one was to deploy it in a manner that's most useful for that kit, uh, rather than what will happen, I think, from as exempl exemplified in Volodar there last week or the week before. Uh, they're going to jam guys into it who don't know how to drive and point them forward into a minefield, probably, and then they're going to try and overtake each other, and it'll be a clown show. And I'd also like to flag that that was the attempt at combined arms. I heard it mentioned here by I think it was Axel. That was their attempt at doing, you know, modern maneuver. And I'll remind you, they couldn't drive over mines quick enough or into areas that are dialed in and known to be fireboxes or fire zones from the artillery. Because if you were to look around, like I did watching the video, you'd see all the holes in the ground and the burnt out previous trucks or vehicles. But they didn't stop these guys. So I would think they're probably just going to uh, fill it up like so many cattle in a truck. And point them west for their slaughter, and it's astounding. Uh, really, am just blown away by the implication of what you've said, Raver, that it could be used decently and well. But sure, we know they're not going to do that, right? So, what the blazes? I'm avoiding the swear jar, Mr. M. That's why I said blazes. I hope you noticed. <laughs> yes, I noticed. Uh, <laughs> Go on. Raver, go ahead. 
sorry, I wanted to, to uh, add something to uh, what David said. Uh, Axel uh, has uh, explained uh, uh, some week or two weeks ago, uh, we had also this discussion about the, 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 the equipment of the Russians in compared with the equipment that NATO has. Uh, after a 1954, uh, uh, I think it was, that uh, Russia turned uh, to being uh, the same as they always have been, uh, uh, they, the NATO started to build equipment that was uh, at least 10 times better as what the Russian claimed they had and uh, it's always been uh, that and the materials uh, that and the equipment NATO has now and is getting now is, is so much more advanced as that that the Russians could even imagine in their baddest dreams. Reza. Hey, Mr. Ahmed, actually goes back farther than that. Uh, when uh, North Korea invaded South Korea, the Russians had spent years training North Korean tankers on the T-3485. When the U.S. finally got Shermans and Pershings over to Korea, I don't know of a single Sherman or Pershing knocked out by a North Korean T-3485, but many, and granted there weren't a whole lot of tanks in Korea, but but many North Korean tanks were knocked out, sometimes at jousting ranges. So even as early as 1950, there was already a visible discrepancy in the quality of Western kit versus Soviet kit, and some of the myths of World War II started to be dispelled once, you know, steel on steel. As to uh, David's point, yes, the stuff could be used effectively. If you want to see how effectively old Soviet kit can be used, Look at the Ukrainian army. The, the, the real difference between the Russians and the Ukrainians is an equipment. It's brain power. It's brain cells. It's ingenuity. It's intestinal fortitude. It's all these things that the Russian system is designed to drum out, and the Ukrainians are harnessing because they have to to fight a bigger foe, and now, now look what we're dealing with. It's, it's not just David versus Goliath. Now, now David has put down the sling and picked up a rifle. Um, so that's, that's the difference, and that's why, even though something could be useful on paper or maybe useless on paper, depending on who's using it, you can get a whole lot out of it. Commercial drones, Toyota pickups, um, harnessing the Internet with crazy cartoon dogs and, and delivery services like Amazon. I don't know of anything the Ukrainians have not been able to turn to their advantage, whereas the Russians are just floundering because they did not invest in brain power. Exactly. Brain power. Uh, I think uh, what I said uh, for a few days ago, uh, I don't think that uh, the Russians are born with uh, brains. They are not included. I said, uh, Mr. Mr. M, I know you're joking, but I think there's this very serious kernel and it's a friend Jingu enunciated it here very clearly that free societies select for good and efficiency and that rises to the top and it seems like this uh, secret service state mob conglomerate that has emerged in
has uh, decided to select for brutes, rapists and stranglers. Because, I mean, yesterday they sent war criminals who are sanctioned to uh, the OSCE plenary session. Um, we had a visitor last evening, Mr. Black, I believe. Kyle, maybe it's not Black, but he was speaking to us from Vienna. And Russia's doing that today, yesterday, 23rd of February. They sent war criminals who are sanctioned to an international meeting accepting, expecting just to, you know, waltz in and put their feet under the table. Um, so, you know, irredentist and revanchist. I think uh, we should um, try and encourage as much donation as we can via the Ukraine Aid Alliance and here through Maria Aid, which is my personal favourite. And just any time, which is going to come in the next three, four, five weeks, there's going to be uh, some kinetic action and things of interest and things of horror and shock. And just to remember not to be frozen by this panic or fear, to feel that and then take the next step to be like a Ukrainian, take an act. And usually that would be to support uh, either on Amazon or a few funny brain damaged dogs or donate what you can cash or monthly cash to Maria Aid and be active. Be active because we have a very powerful tool here. We we live in places where it's uh, people have already fought and died for the right to think and, and speak freely. We have earned that, and so as a legacy responsibility, we must make sure that those who are doing that today get the support they need. Um, to Slav Ukraine. Reva, please go ahead. Yeah, and, you know, on the issue of, of Russians and brains, um, I, I think it's a mindset. So one of the very first Ukrainian voices I ever heard on this space, um, and sadly we lost him, was Roman. You know, and, and if you look at Roman's history, he was a living example of, of that Western ethos that, if not me, who, where we assume it's our problem, it's our problem to fix, and so we get to work. And I, I don't see that out of most Russians. They've got that whole dad, father, czar mentality that still continues. And so they always expect somebody else to do it. And so they don't put in the initiative to develop. To, to, to develop. I guess there's, it just stops right there. You know, put a period on it. I don't think there was any disagreement from this panel there, Raver. No, I totally agree with uh, Raver on that. Uh, uh, education uh, and uh, that kind of things uh, are not uh, very, uh, very good. And uh, I'm thankful for that, that that's not very good because uh, they are doing very stupid things on the battlefield. And... Uh, <laughs> so. uh, they certainly are. Um, Victoria, um, I wondered if you wouldn't mind just speaking to um, the, the incredible um, change that you've noticed in um, the, uh, the very fact that we had President Biden in Kiev a few days ago. Um, that sort of thing. Um, the incredible uh, 
uptick in support, shall we say, that you've noticed? Um, do you feel as though people are finally listening? Um, do, does it feel as though somehow you've made some sort of breakthrough? Um, yeah, I've been asking about how Ukrainians feel. Um, yeah, I suppose. Um, yeah, in general. Yes, I, I like I said before, I never expected so much support from all over the world, and I think I'm not alone. I don't think that Ukrainians thought that everyone is gonna fight for Ukraine, and um, we've been having so much support, like I said, from this this year. And then, yeah, when Biden came, I got a few calls and texts from my friends saying they were really excited about this. And then they were saying, okay, so America is not going to give up on us. So people people see this hope and they feel all your, all your help and your contribution dies. And it, it means so much for Ukraine. And I Today is a year, you know, it's anniversary of, like I said, the darkest days in history. But when you open social medias, Ukrainians are nuts after day. They, I don't want to say they celebrate, but people are full of hope and they're strong like them never before. They're resilient and everybody's just saying, fuck Russia. So, so yeah, it's um that that was uh, that meant a lot that Biden's visit to Ukraine and it's I feel it's um gave more hope to Ukrainians. Absolutely. I, I talked once about um <clears throat> Pandora's box and um th this is the sort of thing that um you know, it reminds me, all, all the horrors, all the terrors, all the fears coming out of Pandora's box, and yet um, there's always hope. And uh, that that's the one thing which I, I find um, amazing, that uh, that's never faded. In fact, if anything, it's got stronger. And um, with the, the weight of uh, a great deal of um, strong and... Uh, steadfast supporters now and uh, i just i feel as though uh that it took a while it took a long time uh for the world to really wake up to what was going on um it's taken an awful lot of pressure from the public and um politically and yet movement has been made things are happening today the first leopard tanks are confirmed to have rolled into Ukraine. And um, that is, you know, it's the the end of a very long road. But um, here it is. It's uh, the beginning of a, a new uh, story now for Ukraine. And um, that gives me uh, immense hope. Um, uh, I'm incredibly impressed that uh, Ukraine has managed to inspire so many people and um yeah it gives me great hopes for the future uh, no matter what's going on um obviously uh we are still experiencing um <clears throat> the 
the war at the moment. Um, they've uh, not stopped um, launching missiles uh, from uh, the ground in some areas, but um, things like this keep happening. In the temporarily occupied city of Sevastopol, the Ukrainian flag is seen flying over the arches of uh, the Grafskaya Pier by local supporters. Um, <clears throat> these are the sorts of things that uh, keep happening and I keep hearing about them. Um, there was even a Ukrainian flag flying in Minsk today. Um, that That's uh, something that uh, I, I noted earlier on this morning and um, it just goes to show that um, there is always hope. Uh, I think that uh, those little symbols, those, those lights in the darkness, um, that that's who we uh, we know still have hope, and uh, that's why we can do it too. Uh, Kerry, you've popped up to speak to us. Go ahead. Hello. <laughs> I'm at school, and I just gave my kids a really hard time because I asked them to be quiet, and I could still hear some noise, and I realised it was because I had Maria report on. <laughs> so I just... I had it playing. It was the end of lunchtime and I'd had it on and I turned it off from, I think, my headphones or whatever. So it was going through my phone and they're such a well-behaved class. And I just gave them such a hard time and they went, Miss, it isn't any of us. Oh, Miss. <laughs> I realised I had you not on. <laughs> so I had to turn it down. But just so you know, um, before they came into my lesson today, we decorated the stairs to my classroom with the Ukrainian and British flags. So, um, and I am, as you know, I'm going to see Auntie Tiller on Sunday evening. So I've got my um, uh, electric bricks and I've got my Ukrainian flag and my British flag ready to decorate myself. So my love to everybody and in particular, obviously, to everybody in our hearts from Ukraine. A lot of love uh, back to you, Kerry. Thank you. And I hope you really enjoy the concert. Um, I'm quite jealous, actually. I would have liked to have gone myself. I have some more news from Poland. Uh, Poland is ready to train the Ukrainian soldiers on the F-16 fighter jets. During a joint press conference with Volodymyr Zelensky on February 24, Polish Prime Minister Mateusz Morawiecki said that his country is ready to train Ukrainian soldiers to fly the F-16s fighter jets. Well, I love to hear news like that. Um, <clears throat> it's it's a statement, uh, obviously, at the moment, uh, but it's a... Uh, well, you can't argue with that. You can't say he was beating around the bush. He's uh, obviously made a quite a strong statement there. Uh, Nick, it, have my, you seen that? My sound, my sound glitched. Who was which? Which country was that, uh, Mr. Poland. Poland oh, okay. is ready to uh, go and train the Ukrainian soldiers on the F-16 fighter jets. So, the the effort is uh, uh, being uh, ramped up. Uh, I think it won't be be very very long, and we will see some some action.
Well, like I say, thank you very much for that. Um, uh, that's uh, amazing news. Um, I'm also getting um, more news. Let me have a quick look here. Something to do with Leopard 2 tanks. Um, so uh, obviously we, we've heard that Sweden is joining the Leopard family. Um, and uh, I'm being told here the four Leo 2 A6 in reserve are now added by Germany to its delivery. Um, so that may indeed complete an A6 battalion. And um, we're having here 31 tanks by Germany secured and 31 by Poland. Um, I don't know the breakdown of what they are, but that's being sent to me um, by somebody who would know. Uh, Raver, please go ahead. Yeah, I see Constantine there in the listing. Um, I'd love for him to come up and tell us how his brothers in the 92nd are doing. I'd even give up my place if the speaker panel is full. The speaker panel is not full. Um, it's whether or not he has the time. We, we shall see. I will leave it up to Constantine. I'm not going to uh, pester anybody. <laughs> um, oh, apparently there are people requesting and I cannot see their requests. So uh, bear with me a moment. I will send um, one out to the person who's just uh, messaged me. And I obviously uh, am one of those people that I can't do two things at once. So I have to tell you what I'm doing while I'm doing it. I had also yeah. some uh, questions uh, about uh, you uh, not seeing them, but I told them that you are uh, momentarily uh, holding the fort alone and uh, uh, very busy with all the things. And uh, it's not easy to be a co-host all on your own. And also then have to watch the screen or who is requesting. So uh, sorry for that, people. But uh, we, it's not that we don't want to bring you up. We have uh, a very busy uh, moment. It's also the fact that I have a rubbish phone and it doesn't always show me speaker requests. Um, I do apologize. Uh, I, I've been told I have to get a better phone. But uh, where well, apologies accepted. Uh, one of those things. Yeah, it's entirely my fault. I'm afraid. Uh, Freebird has been waiting to come up for some time, so please go ahead, Freebird. Yes, hello, thank you, Marcus. Hi, everyone. Raver, Mr. M, Victoria, Nick. Uh, very nice to see everyone still hanging around after one year. Um, yeah. I um, I'm a bit sick today, so I'm not able to make some big speeches um but anyway um i just wanted to um announce uh, what democrats just said um the german defense minister um announced that uh, for more leo 2s will come to ukraine and so therefore they are now able to uh, have a full battalion as you said um yeah that's <laughs> that's all what i wanted to say but yeah again uh, thanks uh, to everyone who is uh, upholding this base. Keep it running uh, behind the scene, uh, in front of the scene. Um, also, yeah, hi to Constantine. Uh, you're one of the big heroes um, outside of Ukraine, supporting your your folks. 
and um, yeah, I'm uh, really much respect for everyone who um, who's donating, who's keeping the awareness, uh, who's spreading true information, and um, yeah, I'm I hope we won't be here in another year, and I think this I hope this will end this year. Um, yeah, talk to you soon. Bye. Well, we will stay uh, as long as uh, the war is going on. We will be here, and you will find us here. After the war, uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I think uh, we are going to have a big party first, and then we will see further what uh, lies in the future. But uh, thank you very much, Freedom. Or Freebird, I mean, sorry for that. No problem. I hope you will bring some Dutch herbs to the party, Mr. M. I don't think that is uh, very, very likely. <laughs> That's not going to happen. No, 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 no. Yeah, we're, we're not going to encourage smuggling now, please. No, not of those, anyway. Um, no, no, nothing that can get you... Do, we cannot do that. That's not possible. That's, uh, no, that's not going to happen. No way. Besides, they like to keep it all for themselves, so... Uh, George, go ahead. Speak for yourselves. Uh, I finally get about as high as that uh, uh, T-72 turret that uh, we saw at the beginning of the war. If I can reach that height, uh, anything is possible. But what happens after is uh, we have the uh, big Kahuna surfing beach party in Crimea. Right. Uh, I want to see Zelensky uh, surf. You know, the, the, that's what I want to see. So that's what I'm planning for. That would be very nice to see that uh, Zelensky is surfing uh, on the waves free as a bird. Well, you know, I did suggest free birds, didn't I? Um, <clears throat> uh, David, please go ahead. I, I come only to give support to Mr. M and yourself, Muckers. We never encourage uh, the breaking of international law like that. Um, or as some people say, if you're going to break laws, break one at a time. Don't add them up. You don't want to add too many charges. Secondly, I'm looking forward to the Crimea Beach Party in all seriousness because I think it's actually... Uh, not just <laughs> a funny meme that we've enjoyed for a year. I think there's actually going to be a big a big Kahuna Beach party, and I intend to be there uh, wearing a ridiculous Florida shirt. And to our friend Freebird, who <laughs> I didn't know was in the police, um, good morning, officer. Um, no, don't worry about smuggling anything, sir. I mean, I believe Odessa is well-renowned. Well, well for having uh, local soils that are very conducive and it is very sunny there. You could say it's almost like the northern uh, soils in, in California, it's so rich. Um, I believe someone said it's 25 feet or 20 feet of that uh, highest rich brown soil in some places around the south of Ukraine. So, I mean, if you can grow watermelons, you know what I'm saying? Don't be smuggling anything. Uh, and let's look forward to Crimea. Slava Ukrainian, retweet the space. Let other people know we're here. MariaReport.org. 
Thank you so much, David. Uh, Raver, please go ahead. Yeah, I was, when you guys are talking about the beach party, uh, I'm look, definitely looking forward to it. But also, the, 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 the last Russian troop exiting Ukraine doesn't mean the war is over. It just means President Zelensky has to trade his, trade his olive drab for a reflective vest and a hard hat. Um, Ukraine's going to need our support for years to come to try to rebuild and undo the damage Russia has done. So I'm in this for the long haul. Uh, I'm going to be standing by Ukraine until the, the last traumatized kid has untraumatized kids of his own or her own. Um, Freebird. Yeah, Rave, of course, you're absolutely right. Um, this is not going to end, uh, even if the Russians are kicked out. Absolutely true, yeah. But still, you know, um, at least the first step will be will be done when Russians uh, are kicked out of Ukraine. And uh, yeah, maybe we will continue the effort, of course. I mean, many people will continue the effort. Um, and uh, the question will be if... Um, if we if we need a day-to-day -day coverage then anymore that's i think some people can be quite uh, uh done with that i mean domin is really has covered so much time um i i think he will be glad <laughs> to to end uh, and and maybe just to um help occasionally but yeah of course we will be there for the long haul absolutely yeah hey, i definitely sorry mockers no problem Feel free to go ahead, Raver. Go on. Yeah, I'm definitely going to celebrate when Ukraine wins the kinetic part of this. I was just the, the the pessimist in me is also looking down the road at everything that needs to be un, undone that the Russians have messed up, that fixed and rebuilt and repatriated and everything else. Um, it's probably one of the most depressing things is just how much work the Ukrainians are going to have to do once the war part is done. And I hope that the international community doesn't forget about Ukraine. Yeah, Dahman definitely needs a break. Uh, he has definitely done an amazing amount. So have all the staff members. Uh, hats, hat tip to anybody who's co-hosted or worked behind the scenes to get the things up at uh, Spotify or any of the people at Myriad or Ukraine ADOPS or Renegade Relief Runners whole lot of volunteers have stepped up and put themselves out there to help Ukraine. And they're, they're, they're heroes. Um, they've got brave bullets like the Ukrainian soldiers, but they make sure that the Ukrainian soldiers can brave the bullets. Yeah, absolutely. Behind every soldier's front line, there is um, a, a whole host of people making sure that they are um, supplied and um, <clears throat> that they're able to do their jobs. Uh, that doesn't happen without a, a long logistics tail. And um, some of that uh, is coming from crowdfunded public support. Uh, it's incredible to see the amount of public support um, and the way people have been able to uh, use grassroots movements to fund um, certain items that the Ukrainian army wouldn't have a chance of getting hold of otherwise. And um, it, 
it just impresses me it's so much that um, there's so many people who are uh, clearly so supportive of Ukraine that they're quite happy to give up, uh, you know, that bit of money that you might have left at the end of the month or, um, you know, ju just give up a coffee and uh, make sure that you have a little bit to donate towards your favourite charities um, that are supporting Ukraine. It, it makes a massive difference. Uh, and yes, you're right. Um, there is a lot that goes on behind the scenes, an awful lot. Uh, you would be surprised. <laughs> so, yeah, the, um, Victoria is one of those people who definitely helps us out with all those things. Um, I, I'm pretty sure we keep her quite busy, don't we? Yes. Um, talking about that, we are going to have so many more people coming today. Walkers, do you have a list of people that are going to join us today? I do. It's actually up in the nest. Um, let me just find it. I think it's one from the, yeah, one from the left. Sorry, I had to check which hand that was first. Uh, the roster of Maria Reports uh, 24-hour marathon. So um, we have coming up next, and bear with me while I cough. <coughs> Excuse me. Um very soon, I would imagine. Uh, let me just see. Da, 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 da. Yeah, that's not the time. That's not the time. Oh, right. They've confused me by putting three different times on here. And in my head, I, I've still got Keith time in my head. So we have Jakob Carsbo is our next um, visitor. Uh, he will be... Uh, popping in he's from Denmark and um, I should know an awful lot about him uh, and give me two seconds and I, I will make sure I do um, I, I love that I've got all this information at my fingertips yet I still can't find it uh, I, I am that kind of person I do apologize uh, for being so terribly unprofessional no I can't tell you about him because I've lost it um, anyway, uh, he will be coming to talk to us, but uh, the the one that everyone's quite excited about um, in uh, a few hours, um, let me see what time is it now. So, yeah, in just over an hour, about an hour and a quarter, we will be speaking to Malcolm Nance and um, Thomas Diner. Uh, so uh, make sure that you join us for that. Uh, that's uh, something that I think quite a few people are looking forward to. And um, we will be getting uh, their take on uh, one year on and um, what the, the changes have happened and uh, what it means to them. So um, I, I think that should be a really good conversation. Uh, and I know Victoria's had a part in arranging all these guests with us today. Um, and thank you for that, Victoria, because uh, we couldn't do it without you. Oh. That's the least I can do. Uh, we actually just added Igor Smilansky joining us at 8 p.m. Kiev time. He's a CEO at Ukraposhta, Ukraine's national postal service provider. Um, I'm not sure you guys saw that. Uh, then we're going to, yeah, we're going to have Thomas Tainer, Malcolm Nance, um, Igor Smilansky, Rip Rollins. Uh, then we will be joined by Alexandra Commission. 
um, that he's still at Google Zalizneitsya. A lot of great guests. Uh, we'll have Ivan Astradner and uh, Alexei Hancherenko. He's a Ukrainian MP. Um, I think he's a vice president uh, of the Committee of Migration, Refugees, and Displaced Persons in Ukraine. So, yeah, please stay with us, and we're going to have a lot of exciting guests coming today. See there, you did that a lot better than I did. Thank you very much. Um, <clears throat> Constantine, you've popped up to join us. Hi, how are you doing? Hello, doing great, thank you. I heard someone calling me, so uh, I think it was Raver, but I was in the shower when that happened, so uh, joining only now. Thank you for having me. No problem. Uh, Raver, did you have something that you wanted to ask Constantine? Yeah, on this uh, day 365 or 366 or whatever of the current invasion, uh, how are your brothers in the 92nd doing? They're fighting. Uh, they had uh, repulse. They had uh, two attacks. Um, well, in the sector that I, you know, 92nd is a big, really big brigade. It's 7,000 people. I don't know every every sector that they control. I know a couple of battalions, and those guys have repelled uh, two attacks recently. They are Russian armored groups, uh, like the size that you've seen. Um, like uh, comprising of five to six uh, armor vehicles, uh, a couple of armor groups like this attacked them in Novoselovsky direction, and they were repelled. Uh, uh, just and they turned around when they uh, heard the um, uh, artillery shells, 155 uh, artillery shells exploding nearby. They turned around and left. It happened three times uh, or two times. I don't remember exactly already. Uh, during the past uh, 48 hours, and basically Russians are trying, but it appears that they are not really, uh, don't really want to do it. And as soon as the shell uh, shell starts exploding, they turn around and leave. So the heart's not in it then. Um, well, that's certainly good to hear. So uh, we've been asking everybody here, Constantine, um, what will you do the day the war is over? Um, do you have plans? Do you think you'll just get drunk? Um, is, is there a plan? Uh, well, I have no plan, to be honest. I, I really don't know what I'm going to do, but we're definitely going to celebrate it. But I don't, I don't know how. I don't know how it's going to happen. And, uh, you know, celebration can be different because... Uh, uh, no, no matter how the war ends, uh, already too many people uh, have died. Too many we lost too many friends, too many relatives, and uh, even though it's going to be a victory, it's going to be also a mourning day, and it's um, uh, it's hard to celebrate things like that, even though you know they were celebrating. Yeah, I can totally understand that, and. Um... <clears throat> I believe that is something that uh, Zelensky himself said, that um, we will wait until after the war to, to mourn, and then we will take the time to mourn properly. Um, and I, I think that's, um, you know, uh, it's it's going to be, uh, yeah, bittersweet, because um, li like has been said many times before, uh, it's the the best 
people, the um, the, the strong people. Uh, the, these are the people that uh, Ukraine, you know, uh, has uh, relied on uh, the best of the best. And um, it, it's unfortunate that these people are being lost uh, in, in this terrible aggression. Um, George, please go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, um, you know, Constantine, uh, understand, you know, but this is the, what I call, uh, we used to call a take home message. That, uh, Ukraine is going to rebuild. Ukraine is going to celebrate its uh, national holidays, its religious holidays. And Ukrainians are going to live life uh, to the fullest extent that they can. That's, I, I believe, that's just my personal view. Is that's the way you, uh, you honor those people's memories the best is zero. Build and the Ukraine its most potential. It's the best way that you honor that you show that their uh, passing was not in vain. You remember them on the days that you set aside to remember them. But that, uh, everyone doesn't waste a day. Doesn't waste the day honoring their spirit and their culture and their life. That's what you have to do. You have to celebrate the, the lives that you have and live to the fullest. That way, they look down and say, "They're doing it the Ukrainian way." I love that, George. Thank you so much. Um, David, please go ahead. Oh, I've just been blown away by George. Um, thank you for invoking the ancestors and those who have given their lives, uh, what to say, their last full measure for the cause of freedom. Uh, I think I'd like to think of those who are uh, either working or captured on the front or behind enemy lines and are yet to um, be traded out um, in POW camps, whether they're known camps or they're dark camps, where their location is not known, they're just missing in action. I'd like to think of those boys and girls today. And also to project out into the future as to what I think may happen when it is uh, military freedom achieved and then uh, peace sued for and achieved via treaty on Ukraine's terms with the aggressor nation. Um, what, will what would happen after that? Well, what have we seen happening in the international space recently? We've seen people have got on the right page and they realize the future is Ukrainian and freedom is being defined again in a, pe in a free people's struggle against a, a, a tyrannical empire that would uh, subjugate and kill them all. And that, I think, has some footy-duddies shifting in their chairs, realising the future's going to be pretty Ukrainian, Polish, Lithuanian, Estonian, Latvian, you know, Europe is shifting to the east as they have uh, as they have shown the way forward. And why am I saying this? Well, I'm saying this because I would think 
along with the ending of hostilities comes with the nation's ability to engage in treaties with other big groups such as the European Union or European or international bodies or interestingly NATO. So I would think on the day of peace, quite shortly after we'll start seeing these pieces of paper hitting tables and things being done quickly because at the same time as fighting this war, Ukraine is still building itself a democratic state as we see them root and branch uh, correcting methods and procedures and even uh, managing to outfox um, people who would not just betray military secrets but betray the nation by seeking to make uh, sick profits in a time of war. So all these things to me show that and, you know, the matching pace which we see from Europe and Ursula von der Leyen, president, and various other features who have power and when they speak, it means um, I think there will be a jostling and that, you know, people won't be able to get in quick enough to make trade deals um, because Ukraine is being recognised as the um, 21st century European home of freedom and democracy. How can I say that? Well, because they said no when the tyrant wanted to subjugate them. That's how I can say that. So I think we should project that into the future and start thinking in that way. Um, the future is definable, and the future for, Euro for Ukraine was decided as European in the last decade, I think even 20 years ago, two decades ago, and they're realising that uh, today. So please retweet and share the space, and Constantine, it's lovely to hear you up here, and uh, thank you for taking the time. Thank you, David. And um, I would like to draw your attention to the most recent post in the nest. Uh, it is photographs of the first free leopards on the territory of Ukraine and uh, retweeted, uh, tweeted there by our friend Special Hearse on Cat. And um, thank you for sending me that. Uh, I uh, thought we all might like to just have a little look at them uh, in, in their in their freedom. Um, unchained, that's the one. Uh, happy to see leopards actually in Ukraine. And um, <laughs> I've been sent this treat by an awful lot of people. So I thought it best to pop it into the nest so that everybody knows that I've seen it. <laughs> um, so yeah, <laughs> thanks for that everybody and everybody else um, and you as well. Excuse me, I needed to cough then. So, uh, I'm going to uh, hand over to uh, one of my uh, esteemed colleagues shortly. <clears throat> but uh, before I do, uh, Nick, have you seen anything interesting that you want to bring up for me? Not since I was here about an hour ago uh, that I can... Uh... Um, the, there is a certain atmosphere of uh, um, soreness among some of the uh, some of the pro some of the pro Russian accounts. Um, I notice in the UK that uh, today's line of what about is why aren't we invading Turkey because they occupied Cyprus um, from some of the usual suspects. Um, but uh, 
it's um i haven't seen anything it, it seems to be a very quiet day uh in ukraine um i i that doesn't particularly surprise me the people on here are saying oh you know people will try and do something symbolic for this date or that date or the other date i i, I don't think the russians go in for going for symbolism especially certainly not in terms of it affecting the military decisions you know i think they they launch their air raids mostly when they've scraped together enough missiles to do it and, and got enough people to give up their you know their their precious stocks i don't think i was expecting anything either way today um and uh perhaps it's as it should be uh i'm i'd be interested i i, I don't know why I'm, how i feel today um on the one hand i didn't expect that the that ukraine would still be defending itself one year on on the other hand people are still dying one year on i i find it really hard to think is is today a positive day uh or, or not and my my overall conclusion is it's just another day and a bit like you said about we should we should grieve uh you know when the war is over we should mark these anniversaries with a little bit of a nod um and grit our teeth and say well you know the 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 job still needs to be done so you know a, a small candle i'm going to the demonstration in town in half an hour and uh but today is neither a victory or a defeat uh from the ukrainian point of view from the russian point of view today i think is just an indication of the continuing catastrophe that they have brought upon themselves you know this is this was meant to be three days and um so i hope uh i hope the russians are looking around at each other and and, and because you know i don't think anybody yeah, i don't think anybody either expected or hoped to be in this situation you know we, we we were all there was some interesting discussion yesterday wasn't there people coming up here and saying i didn't think they'd invade or i didn't think the ukrainians would would at least in terms of the sort of centralized army command hold out uh, for, for for as long as they did um but i mean in russia uh it, i doubt it i doubt if anybody imagined what, what what what's going on now and so you know they're, they're in an even stranger world they're in an even stranger world in a way than the ukrainians are um because you know whatever they may and and we've seen this in the change of tone on their on their talking heads show um and now they've had to come up with you know they, they keep coming up with new and more creative excuses for why they're losing and um those those kind of spirals are always fun to watch uh you know as as, as they sort of blame it on they'll be I, i'm actually waiting for them to blame it literally on the world economic forum that seems to be about the only uh the only group they haven't uh, swung around to blaming it on yet um but i think george soros has had a mention um you know just why is everybody against us well gee i wonder so um yeah no but it, it, it just seems to be it seems to be one of the quietest days in the last couple of weeks uh in terms of news maybe something will happen after dark which seems to be as, as we as we often say ukraine owns the night and uh, maybe they have uh maybe they have a little something planned for belgorod uh who knows but uh, no it's it's just uh it just seems to be uh, a much less 
Uh, well, it, I, I'm glad that it's giving us time to have these kind of discussions. Uh, it's it's perhaps not the best of days to be a co-host, uh, but uh, <laughs> with with uh, with arguments, you know, arguments to moderate and and but um, yeah, quiet day, quiet day, and and um, let's hope those leopards that we hear were are being delivered literally today um, will be giving us uh, some uh, some good footage uh, in the next weeks. Well, there was actually uh, news earlier this morning that there may have been some, uh, what they said was shelling into Belgorod. Um, I, I wonder if that was uh, more of their own, um, their own missiles coming down upon them, um, as we saw the other night. Uh, that, that might just explain what's going on over there. But um, other than that, uh, you're right, there is not masses of um, news or movement, as far as I can tell. Um, it would be nice if it was a lovely, quiet day, but uh, we can't count on it. Um, George, please go ahead. Yeah, Nick uh, made a very uh, a great point. Uh, today, if you're a Russian, you're thinking back on what the hell is going on over there, you know, like. That's the biggest problem. Is it's blown up in their face, literally. Well, you're not wrong there. Uh, it absolutely has. Um, it's uh, certainly something which um, seems to be uh, a struggle for them to uh, back out of. Um, Okay, so I've I've seen this three times now, so uh, I'm going to admit that I've seen it. Uh, it's news that uh, Russian sources uh, report that this is one of the reasons I didn't do it because I can't say his name. Vichas Vichaslav Gladkov. Well, anyway, the governor of the Belgorod region is apparently um, suffering from food poisoning, um, ju just to uh, to add insult to injury. Um, yeah, so uh, I wonder if he's been uh, drinking some tea recently. Probably Vyacheslav. There might be an A in there. That's how I've always seen it spelled. You know what? That that's fine. If uh, yeah, if that's how it's said, that's great. Um, I'm just not going to attempt it again. <laughs> um, I, I, I think he actually, I think he probably ate some, Axel will confirm, he probably just ate some British sausages. How terribly rude. I'm not going to say anything, though, because I haven't eaten British sausages in, uh, let's just say... I mean, when, when it says he's suffering from food poisoning, I mean, I presume that doesn't, you know, he's not just kind of... Sitting at home with a with a a packet of uh, a packet of low pyramide. Oh no, uh, we're talking hospital. Yeah, so uh, mm. that, that's a a bit more serious, I would expect. Um, do we know what floor of the hospital is on? This could be this could be important for his prognosis. <sighs> I'm sure he's hoping that he's on the ground floor. <laughs> um, Tom. Please, uh, save us. Yeah, um, 
I mean, I just wanted to say that Vyacheslav is the sound that he made after he ate the poisoned food. Um, that's not his name. You are sassy recently, Tom, and I love it. Yeah, it's all the defense against the tragic world that we, uh, we live in. It's, you know, the whole you've got to laugh otherwise you'd cry thing. Um, I remembered that Roman died today at lunchtime. And that just made me feel really sad because I thought he was going to live and have a long and happy life after the war. And uh, the Russians stole that from him. And uh, yeah, that was making me... I, I wasn't quite crying, but let's just say tears were in my eyes at lunchtime. Um, and uh, yeah, this is a really sad day. It's like Nick said, it's not a victory. It's not a defeat. It's just the war's dragged on for a year of people being murdered by Russia. So we've just got to keep doing everything we can to support them, really. Um, I don't know what else to say than that. Um, other than that, I'm just cracking jokes and making making art. I'm making propaganda now, like actual serious imagery as opposed to raccoons and dogs and things. Excellent. Although if, if you want to make me as a cat, um, I'm quite happy for that to happen. Um, okay. I've seen your artwork with him, and uh, I loved it. Any particular type of cat? Um, well, I've got several cats. I've got a black one, a black and white one, and a, a gingerbread. So, uh, yeah, any of those. And thank you for taking my order, sir. Hot marking on me now, are you, Tom? Yeah, just hot marking. Uh, Nick, go ahead. Um, this Justin from from Visegrad, Germany. For summary, I, well, for some reason, it's great. Germany to send another four two A sixes to Ukraine, increasing the number to eighteen. I've never understood why tanks come in fourteens, um, unless that's some kind of NATO magic magic squadron size. Yeah, I'll tell you, Nick. Was 14 makes uh, what, what the Brits call a squadron or a company? That's why. Well, yeah, but that's, that's why a yeah. But why is a squadron 14? Oh, yeah, joy. Because you have a, a platoon's usually four, and then you have two as a reserve. That's kind of how it breaks down. So, okay. Yeah. No, but I notice case, everyone sending multiples of 14. Anyway, Germany. Just to be, uh, just uh, in, Germany is not usually non-standard, but Germany is sending 18. So whether that means um, four, uh, what, what's what's the, what's smaller than a squadron? A platoon? Uh, yeah, a, a platoon is four. Okay, so maybe they're going to send four platoons into reserve. But Germany has apparently to send another four, which is you know, four, another 14 would have been better. But there we go. Um, there are also pictures emerging of. Uh, the Leopard 2s claimed to be physically in Ukraine. They're being taken off low loaders, uh, and uh, the defense minister is shaking hands with, I presume, his Polish counterpart. And uh, so that's what I've seen in the last few minutes. And the failing New York Times, which I just always call it these days, has a nice, uh, a nice um, uh, editorial by Paul Krugman uh, about... Why is the far right 
why does the far right support uh, Putin as a tough guy and you know why they should stop doing it? So um, that appears to be un free of the paywall. Let me just quickly treat it, uh, treat it. And um, so that's, yeah. I will treat that in the next five seconds and then I will drop down because I've got to go into town and uh, uh, meet at least one person who has invited me to go along to this demonstration. So again, in the unlikely event that you are anywhere near beautiful downtown Palma de Mallorca, I will see you at Plaza España in just under an hour. Enjoy and uh, feel free to dial in from when you're there. Come and say hello. Um, I've got two hands up, so uh, I will go to David Brookfield. Uh, yes, Nick, don't go yet so I can explain. So 14 is the magic number in a battle group, right? Uh, the uh, And 18 is the number of challenges you would find in a squadron, right? Uh, but that depends on what type of squadron you've got because we have a heavy armoured brigade squadrons, which actually have 12. So the magic number 14 you hear is a battle group makeup, right? Um, and there's the magic number 14 goes into, with your 14 MBTs, you also get two groups of 14 IFVs as well. So that's why you're hearing the magic number 14 so often. Yeah, but this is right. but this is like me asking why there are 14 pounds in a stone. That's just you're now. Okay, well, uh, let me, well, will you just slow yeah. down, slow down, just slow yeah. down, Nick. Slow down, right? So anyway, right, so back in the old days, right, because we've got to remember these have come from uh, from um uh, the days when we were cavalry and everything. And by the way, there is no such thing as a cavalry platoon, it's a troop. Right. So it used to be that you would have um, uh, three or four tanks in a troop uh, so, uh, in a section troop 12, 14. Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, and what would happen is you would have a um, um, an officer in charge of one tank, sergeant in another and probably a corporal in charge of another or something along those lines. Right. And when you have a squadron. Right, so you've got a couple of a uh, couple of call them sections, if you want to call it like that, um, in your troop. Um, you have the person in charge in the squadron. You've got the person in charge, and you also have the two IC. So there's a whole load of different factors. But what makes it worse in the UK is because we have different types of armoured battalions. We have a heavy armoured battalion that has um, fewer tanks, which doesn't quite make sense, does it? Yeah, the the only thing I'm wondering is, was there some point where people decided that 14 had some kind of battlefield advantage? I don't know. I or, don't know lots about battle ah. groups uh, because uh, the uh, um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, battle groups are a a newer a, a newer thing, right? Because we used to have brigade. You do all the whole brigade thing, whereas. Um, Battle groups are a combined arms part. Maybe it's just come out of, listen, we're supplying X number, right? And uh, within that group, because when you do, if you look at the battle group makeup, they also have lighter armor in there, right? 
we call them recce vehicles, but you might call them a, a, you know something like a scimitar or something like that, which is designed as a light armored tank. And you might have, in actual fact, the OC in charge of one of those because he's zipping around doing stuff and giving orders to everyone else. It's all complicated, that, I know, Nick. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. It's just every country is sending 14, so presumably there's some kind of... And which I go back to, which is they... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so for, for whatever reason, in the battle group, there's 14 tanks, right? And uh, you have 28... Um, uh, yeah, 28 IFEs, right? And then there's other vehicles as well, right? Um, but it's two groups of... 14 IFE. So I assume, I don't know, uh, that the, the uh, with the uh, MBTs, that they split them, there's seven, you've got 14, and actually, here you are, this makes sense, right? So if you split them down uh, into groups, and you would expect that there might be um, two IFEs per, per tank, right? Because you want something like that um, supporting a tank. So I can I can I can do the mathematics from fourteen to twenty eight. It's just mm. I don't know. I just I, maybe I'm just get? sort of yeah. How do they get to fourteen? Is it like three times four and then two spare? Or you know, th there's a logic, and it's I just no, find it interesting. There's no spares that in that in that number same, that I'm aware of. If everyone uses the same number, there's either a compelling logic that leads you to that number by a natural process, <laughs> or it's just some kind of tradition that nobody knows, and and that's just the question that sort of could just be an arbitrary figure. Uh, uh, could just be an arbitrary figure that someone came up with. All right. Okay. Well, the mystery thickens. And uh, uh, well, I'll, I mean, yeah, may, maybe John, if he's if he's listening, he might be able to supply a, a little bit more than that. It, it could be related to how many people uh, you can get into um, uh, 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 in the IFEs, right? So. Uh, the number of infantry you need to support a tank. Mm. No, no, I'm, I'm sure at one point there will be a sort of a number that makes mm. sense and everything follows from it, but that's mm. what I was curious about. Anyway, I've, I have to go. I have to go into town, and yes, I will I will try, and uh, I, I we'll see who's co-hosting then, but I will try and come up uh, from uh, the middle of Parma and uh, see if any, if, I'm, if any of the Ukrainians there want to just maybe shout out a message i'm sure that'll be acceptable uh, and have a couple of glasses of wine on me nick uh I'll, I'll i'll send you the bill cheers no don't send me the bill just have them on me I, oh. i'm just giving you permission to drink oh 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 some, some, clearly some <laughs> some usage of the phrase on me that i wasn't previously familiar with will do <laughs> no, not, for, not for me it wouldn't be <laughs> Uh, and Tom, uh, while I'm about it, um, make that cat a British shorthair. Very, very friendly cats. And I think that's Mockers. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed, actually, that you didn't change your profile picture to the Frogman. <laughs> no, so I fully intend on doing this, uh, Tom, it's, uh, except for uh, what I really was, go I was going to ask you. Can I have that picture in a landscape so it could go on my as my profile not the profile you know the 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 sad man that i am in a wearing a pinstripe suit but the one that you know the hero image that's across the top mm. but i fully intend on doing it i can try but that was supposed to be you blowing up the crimea bridge 
<laughs> yes. Well, yes, it is. And now I find that I can't even mute myself. I'm trying to allow you to speak. So uh, if anyone is getting feedback, I do apologize. I will try and see if I can fix this. But yes, I, I think I should do it, Nick. Uh, I mean, for anyone that doesn't understand the joke, I think it... I'm just going to jump in here and say, David, go and recycle. Uh, th then I will do that now. Right. <laughs> you jumped out, I jump in, and look what happens. I understand. I know. Woman's touchy feet. You just don't have it. Um, you may as well go ahead, George. I got your answer. So I'm sorry I couldn't get it, but it's 14 tanks to my company because there's three platoons of four, and there is a fourth platoon, which is a headquarters platoon. That headquarters platoon has two tanks. That's why. That's why you have 14 in the company or for your squadron. The two are kind of like spares, but not really. But why only two spares? Why, why not seven spares? <laughs> because then you <laughs> then you just build another another platoon. Uh, it's just the way the way it's been designed. Headquarters company has multiple vehicles, but uh, uses usually uses two uh, tanks as defensive because the headquarters uh, the headquarters uh, platoon is usually in, in the rear, so it needs uh, about two to protect it. With other IFBs, and that's how it's that's how it's set. Yeah, so while, while David's coming back up as uh, co-host again or whatever, I had another thought about, you know, Nick was saying how the failing New York Times is reporting on right-wing uh, admirers of Putin and his whole tough guy image. You know how he likes to go out into nature and, you know, ride on the horse with not very many clothes on. And then he likes to wrestle with bears and maybe practice judo with them and, you know, get drunk with guys out in nature you know showing off their bodies and that like he, he's got quite a lot of fans in the west because of this um but i don't think they're the kind of fans that he was expecting you know apparently there's certain sectors of the gay community where big tough guys are known as bears i believe is the term which is appropriate really for a russian and uh I think Putin would be pleased to know about how he's admired by certain people in the gay community. He's become something of an icon. Um, and, oh, no, hang on. No, he'd think that was Western degeneracy, wouldn't he? Yeah, and actually, so would the right wing. Yeah, it's probably best if they don't know about that. Don't tweet about that, anyone. Don't let them know, because both the right wing and Vladimir Putin, possibly the failing New York Times, would get quite upset about that. Yeah. Anyway, I'll shut up now. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. I'm really enjoying this newfound sass that you have. Uh, the, the sass was always there. I just covered it up with a veneer of professionality, and uh, I think COVID has beaten it out of me. It's when you became a NAFO dog. That's what it is. You're just getting more and more brain damaged as time goes on. I don't know, like, a lot of people say that they became a NAFO dog, but for me it was more of an unmasking of this human face. 
I've had to wear for many years in order to get into my profession because they still don't let dogs be clinical psychologists for some reason. Um, but, you know, finally, when the war happened, the one good thing was that I could take off the latex mask and reveal my true face. Thank you very much, Tom. Uh, I'm going to hand back over to David now, if he can, uh, if he's all sorted. Well, apparently we can't hear David. Oh, no. can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Yeah. Can you hear me now? Okay, right. I'd, yeah. I'd moved my mic away. Uh, and um, and uh, yes, so now it uh, explains everything. I was saying it's all relative to being all sorted, but I am here now. So you go have your snooze, dream of uh, British short hairs, and then come come back sometime when you're very very rested. I'll be listening. I'm always here. Right, with that, I appear, everything appears to have gone silent. Can someone say something and let me know if 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 you can hear me or or whether it's just all silent at my end? Oh, good. Yeah, right, I, can I, can, I can hear you as well, Mark. Wonderful. Right, um, so uh, I wasn't listening that much uh, beforehand, so I don't really know what we were talking about other than the little question about um, uh, the, the, why, the magic number 14. So, uh, Mark, take it away. Yeah, yeah. Thank, <laughs> thank you, David. Yeah. So George came up with a, a very practical, very sensible explanation for why it's uh, for why it's fourteen. Not quite sure if you heard all that, David, when you were having your your problems there. And um, so this idea of having twelve plus two, and I have to say, twelve is a number I like a lot because you know you can any job you can carve it up into nice little chunks, can't you? You can say half of it. Well, it's only six of them four or you know thirds or into quarters and it all works very well so i can imagine in a in a in a like a, a tank um or even in horses you can say right for that job we need half and that job that job we need all of us or that job just a few is fine you can really carve up the work and and divide into teams very effectively but i was actually wondering before george came up with this very sensible proposition i wonder whether it's something like you know this thing that uh, the Saturn V rocket and the Romans is that the, is that the one? Do you know that one? Uh, no, to, to tell everyone. I thought there was some. I may have mixed mixed the other stories. I thought there was some. The suggestion was the the way the Romans built their roads and the the size of the roads and that in some way influenced modern uh, the trains you mean through to today. And I wondered whether maybe with the you know the tanks have come from cavalry, the cavalry had horses, the horses had to have grooms, they could only look after so many horse you know so many horses each, and they each had to have so many you know horseshoes, and so all because of that, because there's some poor old guy back in the day trying to look after some heavy uh, heavy horses for the heavy cavalry and light horses and light you know that had an influence on their thinking through to today's modern fighting forces, but. Uh, George's is much more sensible than mine. 
sorry. So I, I just realised that I, I hadn't muted myself. But yes, except for uh, the the problem with Georgia, what George is saying is there are eighteen challenger twos in a a, a saber squadron, right? It's not fourteen; it's eighteen. <laughs> uh, and and there is a there's a there's a different number in a, a different type. So so hence why I'm saying that fourteen is the number f needed for a battle group as opposed to um, being in a Sabre squadron. Yeah, but David, you're mm. talking British. You're talking, uh, you're talking metric, and I'm talking Imperial here. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, of course, because you, you have light tanks and we have heavy tanks, right? Yeah, no, no, no. We, it's, it's, for us, it's 14. It's, it's uh, three, three, uh, four for the HQ company. Because the HQ company stays in the rear, and uh, you know they need a, two tanks and, a, and some infantry fighting vehicles uh, to give them uh, some defensive uh, support in case they get attacked. That's why that's why we have the magic of fourteen. So three platoons of four tanks. That's our attack element in our uh, in a what you guys call a squadron, what we call a, an armored uh, company. Uh, then, uh, then, uh, yeah, okay, that that still makes sense, but it doesn't make sense within the British bit. But as I was going, but it does make complete sense for everyone if you see that as the makeup of a battle group. I, I think which was what I was trying to say, and I appear to have lost sound again. Oh, yeah. No, oh, right, okay. All right, right, well, that's good. I'm hearing someone. Anyway, uh, but yes, so the the whole thing about the uh, the reason why uh, our rail tracks are whatever it is, you know, X number of uh, feet wide is because the uh, uh, that's the how um, uh, the, the wheelbase of a, of a Roman wagon. I've heard that story. It sounds great to me, and I, I'm, I'm prepared to go, for, go with that as well. So, and yes, and, and fun fact, by the way, uh, the uh, the uh, uh, the UK cavalry has more horses uh, than it does tanks at the moment. There you are. That's that's. <laughs> Maybe we're going to go back to that. You know, give the guys give give the lancers some some lances, but stick an explosive head on the back and a horse, and we'll be all be done. Yeah, I, I do wonder about the cost ju cost justification for having <laughs> for having all those horses. They look very pretty, right? And <laughs> well, well, yeah. I mean, there they are. They look, they look very, very, they do look very pretty. Uh, the uh, and I have sp spent some very uh, enjoyable times riding some of those horses up at uh, up at Sandhurst. It, it's a very fine place, and, and there were fr it was free, so so I'm not going to complain, right? It was going to the taxpayer, uh, taxpayer, and it probably only cost each individual taxpayer a penny, and it, it caused me a lot of enjoyment. Yeah, great. Thank you. Yes, it's complete abject selfishness coming out here. Um, right, I'm looking for some hands. Oh, right, um, uh, and James has got some weird icon by his name. Uh, what's what's all that about, James? He's trying to speak it. There's a. I'm looking at. There's a little. Some little red. Oh, right. No, he's 
bouncing around at the moment. Right. Okay. Let's. Uh, if any, whilst I try and find someone else who might want to talk, um, uh, let me. Uh, let uh, if you would carry on, Mark, with was saying that would be well, wonderful. It gives me time to bring people up. Yeah. So I was going to. I've been busy today, so I've only just come in fairly recently into the space, and I, I did see the tweet last night with a load of the uh, planned. Uh, people who are going to be visiting and speaking, which is, um, I, I, sorry, I've probably missed half of them, which is a bit annoying, but there we go. Um, including, I think, uh, Chef uh, Zelnia is coming back up again, and he's been already. Uh, he has shared, he did share, and he's on Twitter. Uh, and I do in. see, oh, sorry, I'm interrupting you here. I do see the amazing Sarah has come up after only just recently been injured. Sarah, uh, very welcome to see you. How is that hand of yours? Well, I just I saw so many of my friends and 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 believers in liberty and democracy in this chat, and I know you were doing the Freedom Marathon, so I wanted to jump in when I had an opportunity. Um, they've just transferred me to uh, another hospital again for very heavy security reasons, as you all could imagine, especially with the amount of attention that the injury has received. Um, I, I don't think I've ever been more careful with my OPSEC than which hospital I've been in. <laughs> uh, so my face, I had a hole in my face, uh, for lack of a better term, that was uh, repaired last night. Um, it, that was in the cheek area, along with some lacerations. The hand, they've not been able to do um, any surgeries on. They cleaned out some of the tissue and uh, cleaned it. I've now been to, so how the process works, um, we were uh, in a battle, as, as everyone I'm sure in the room knows. And because I was the senior medic, I played a significant role in, in my own um, uh, my own care while being in the trench. Not that the soldiers didn't know what to do, but uh, one of the keys was that I chose not to be evacuated until nightfall in order to um, not put uh, my fellow soldiers at risk. And so by the time I got to the stabilization point, it was about seven hours after the injury, uh, they immediately took me to one hospital. From that hospital, they uh, did some cleaning of, of my face and, and the hand, and then immediately sent me to a second hospital where I stayed the night last night and had the procedure on my face. Um, this morning, they moved me to, uh, they, I began transport to a different hospital at which point I, I just arrived and I'll be staying the night and hopefully have some answers. The good news, just so people um, don't misunderstand, I suffered significant tissue damage to my hand, but my hand itself, the fingers are, are mobile, they're operating, they have, um, I have dexterity and, and feelings in them. And so it's going to be cosmetic issues and pain issues, but I will, if all goes well, um, be able to maintain full, you know, use of my right hand. And, and because of that, I learned a big lesson. I'm so blessed. And whether somebody wants to, I'm talking about in the God sense, but if somebody just wants to say lucky, because you realize a couple of centimeters uh, up a little bit where my, my face was hit, I'd be blind. A couple of centimeters up where my hand was hit, I'd be missing two or three fingers. And so it truly makes you appreciate the bravery of those around you. I've never been more honored than I was in the last day and a half, surrounded by a bunch of uh, my fellow soldiers who were casualties. 
it makes you understand that a year ago, this was not a professional army. This is what I've taken uh, really in the last 24 hours. A bunch of people came together and understood what being soldiers were and warriors were. Oh, I have to let you guys go. Bye. Okay, Sarah. Uh, bye. Uh, well, uh, the uh, that was uh, wonderful news to uh, to hear. I mean, uh, Sarah is talking really about comrades and in arms and and hey, all the feelings you, you get. I am. Oh dear! Oh, the sound's gone. What's happening? That's George's problem, not you. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's great. Uh, so, no, but let's blame George. So, so I think, so. I think uh, someone came in the room where Sarah was, and she had she had to go. So. Uh, it, was, yeah, uh, it's, that, uh, Marcus, do you want to tell George yet that it's in the, the loss of her dexterity on her hand or anything like that? Um, David, I don't think George can hear any of us. No, I don't. <laughs> I can hear you. All right. Uh, well, there we are. Oh, you can hear me. That's fine. Um, you just can't hear David. Uh, you may want to recycle, George. Oh, this is the fun of Twitter, isn't it? I mean, this is why we stay, isn't it? It's it's despite the problems, right? At the look, at the uh, it's wonderful that Sarah was able to come in, tell us uh, how she's doing. She's sort of explaining, you know, what being comrades in arms does, right? Uh, that she'll have seen, you know, um, wounds that other people get, as you know, and how serious they will have been. And uh, it's tragic that she has been injured, but let's hope uh, everything goes very, very well. It's nice to know that uh, things appear to be uh, uh, cosmetic. Um, right, I'm going to cycle some more people up. Uh, one second. Uh, then, uh, oh, uh, we have Prince as well, Iwana. Uh, there. Yes, let's. Uh, uh, and then David Bowie, Jamie Bowie. Right. Okay, uh, I, I could let, let me carry on uh, uh, whispering. I, I said, what is uh, uh, brilliant is how Sarah was talking about the fact that you know, in, instead of her immediately disappearing um, uh, and the rest of it, which would inevitably put uh, people at risk as well, it's just waited. You know, she's a uh, she's evaluated her own injury, et cetera, et cetera, and then gone back. Uh, and tragic times, isn't it, that she's she's now putting more OPSEC into the hospital uh, of where she's talking about is where the hospital she might be in than anything else because uh, the Russians uh, might be tempted to try and blow the thing up, right? Just more war crimes whenever we talk about it. Uh, Prince, you've got your hand up. Yes, I did. Is Tom Zimbardo busy working, or is he available? Um, I'm here. I'm driving, but I can talk. Okay. I was thinking about this last night, and uh, I have this odd feeling and, and strange, strange, strange feeling of celebration. I feel like I want to celebrate today, and it's a very it's it feels like it's a wrong feeling to have however i was thinking about why i feel like celebrating and what i why i feel like celebrating is because ukraine has sur survived is the wrong word but 
Ukraine has endured and Ukraine has has performed in a way that is absolutely fabulous. And I want to celebrate that one year into this, Ukraine is free and Ukraine is winning and Ukraine is going to have all of her land back and her freedom. But it's just an odd feeling to want to be happy that we've made it to this one year mark. And it's because we made it to this one year mark, because Ukraine and Kyiv did not fall in three days, because Ukraine is being supported so well by the entire Western Western community. And, and it's just an odd, odd feeling for me. And I just wondered if you have any input on that or if that's something you guys have talked about at all. I mean, I'm still, I realize the gravity of everything that is happening and the reality on the ground and, and that, 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 you know, Ukrainians are dying every day, but I still want to celebrate because they have persevered through the last year and they will continue to persevere until all of their land is taken back. So I just wondered if you had any input on that. Yeah. Well, it's it's a beautiful thing that they've gone. Oh, sorry. I, I, the question was for Tom. I completely forgot. I'm sorry. Tom, go ahead. <laughs> no problem, David. But it'd be interesting to hear your perspective as a veteran as well. Um, so I listened to a really good book called On Combat by uh, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman um, that he co-wrote with uh, a policeman and, and martial artist uh, whose name I can't recall now. Um, I think the book is about two-thirds Colonel Grossman and, and one-third this American policeman. And what it talks about is the psychology of combat, be it either warfare or um, policing. And one of the things, it talks about a lot of emotions um, and a lot of physiological responses that people get to fighting, broadly speaking, but also like combat and warfare. Um, and it talks about a lot of emotions that aren't as commonly talked about. And one of the things was about positive emotions that, that come out of combat. And there's really, really good evolutionary psychology reasons for these things. You know, if you've got a tribe of people and they only care about themselves and their families and they don't give a damn about the guy who lives three doors down the road, um, and another tribe attacks them, that tribe is gonna die because they're not going to help each other. They're not gonna put their lives on the line for one another. They're gonna behave like a group of individuals, maybe only caring about their own families. Whereas a tribe of people who really care about all of their sort of wider family of, of brothers and sisters, even if they aren't you know, that closely related. I mean, some of them will be cousins and whatnot. You know, they might be broadly the same clan. Um, people who will put their lives on the line for other people, they have a much, much better chance of pulling together in a really, really strong way and surviving. And that's what Ukraine has done. And that's what people who are supporting Ukraine have done, albeit to a lesser extent. And what pulls people together in those times of combat are 
really, really, really powerful positive emotions. So, you know, Lieutenant Grossman would talk about like love, like really, really strong platonic love between soldiers. Um, and, you know, I've seen John Spencer, his unfortunately his account's been hacked, so he can't be with us at the moment. But he's posted things on YouTube of like um, real, real tough, like what in the Brits we would call a, a double hard bastard type soldiers tearing up thinking about people that they've lost but also people that they've saved and i think to have really really powerful positive emotions um and to experience those in a group setting really binds people together and so you know my grandfather who fought in world war ii as many people's grandparents did he said there are good things that come from war and i think when i was a teenager i did not understand what he was talking about um, but he said it brings people together. It, it makes people who otherwise wouldn't have anything in common and might be arguing with each other. They all come together. They all work together to make something happen. And, and that's a good thing. Um, and, you know, there are positive sides to this. You know, like the heroism that's happening every day in Ukraine is inspiring for us to see. And it is a good thing to see, even though it's happening for a horrible reason. So even though we'd all prefer this war never happened, and overall, obviously, war is horrific and horrible, to have loads of positive emotions happening is actually quite normal because people and tribes that evolved to experience those emotions and pull together were actually better at war. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. I think it very well does. If I may just add, we also have been joined, and sorry, I was away from the desk for a few minutes, but uh, we have just been joined also by Jacob, Jacob Kersbaum from Denmark. How are you doing? Hello. Ah, now I'm on. Good to be here. Thanks. Th <laughs> thanks a lot, Axel. <laughs> Good evening. Sorry about that. I've been too much in the media, so I'm not used to all these buttons and kinds of things. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. And by the way, if I may say, what a day. We are here now, what, since 18 hours and 46 minutes, talking about nothing else than February 24th, because it is February 24th. It is the Freedom Marathon, and we're trying to say make sure that the anniversary of the attack and the resilience of ukraine are highlighted and gosh we've had what uh please somebody remind me a double dozen guests already here speaking uh exactly to this anniversary telling us for example where were you on the morning of the 24th Jacob? where were you i i i just remember getting that news as soon as i was out of bed and just standing there thinking, oh, my God, this can't be true. And just last night, as a matter of fact, uh, one of our Danish journalists was uh, reporting from Kiev, and uh, he was talking about how exactly one year ago, uh, the night of the, tw uh, of the 23rd, he didn't, still didn't believe, he was reporting from Kharkiv at the time, that, uh, that that the Russians would uh, would go in and would start the invasion, and uh, when I saw him last night, it reminded me that I'd actually texted him the the twenty third, saying, 
I think you should get out of Kharkiv now. This is gonna, within the next 24 hours, it's going to happen. Uh, take care of yourself, man. And um, so I took a screenshot last night and sent it down to Kiev, where he is now. And he said, my God, I remembered that as well. As, uh, yeah, uh, and it's, I just want to echo uh, the, 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 the last uh, question there with the emotions you have today. I mean, at one stage, you know, it's a, it's a celebration of, uh, of uh, Ukrainian bravery and, uh, and also the, the fact that, you know, most of Ukraine is in fact free at this point in uh, time, but also, on the other hand, all the grief that's still before us and all the, the big challenges and, and, and the war that's still ahead of us. And uh, so uh, the, the feelings are mixed, a lot of feelings but, uh, and a lot of emotions. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's it. Uh, but uh, definitely when I look back on the 24th uh, that morning, I didn't think we would be in that kind of a shape as the shape we're in looking at Ukraine, looking at NATO, looking at the collective West. Uh, we're in far better shape than, than what I feared at, at the time. Interesting that you would say this. And whilst you were talking about Kharkiv and uh, talking about the shape we're in, let me just recognize because somebody else has just joined us as well. And today this happens all the time. So let's, uh, let us be patient and flexible. Yeah. Sarah, Sarah Ashton Cirillo, because somebody had a very, very tough day in the trenches. Welcome, my dear. So, Axel, um, before you jump back in, David had, had called me up a few minutes ago, and I want to apologize to Jacob for, for jumping in here over top of him. But <laughs> No worries. Um, I, I just, okay. I, I described a little bit of uh, my injuries and what's going on, and, and specifically the fact that being around so many soldiers in the last day who have been in similar situations to myself made me understand, and this dovetails with what Jacob was saying, we're in so much better shape than I think anyone anticipated because no one could have foreseen hundreds of thousands of men and women taking up arms and learning how to be soldiers in such a short period of time and doing it at, at a professional level that's allowed them to uh, not only maintain their country's freedom, but also inflict substantial damages to the Russian enemy. And uh, as Axel and I have used this term before, we're on our way to contributing a transformative defeat uh, against the Russian Federation. And uh, for me personally, on February 24th, I had made the decision, uh, I said to, to several people, there was only a handful, um, my editor at the time, publisher, a couple of people in Nevada politics, I said, if there's going to be an invasion, um, I'm going to go and cover the story for a couple of weeks. And obviously a couple of weeks, have, I got here a week later, on March 4th, and a couple of weeks has turned into 11 and a half months, almost 12 months. Uh, it's, it's, it's an honor. And uh, my last tweet, I'll stick to it and then I'm gonna leave because there was the doctor that came into my room. Um, I, it, it truly was a privilege to serve as, as a journalist, to serve as a volunteer in Zolichev, to serve as a soldier, and the reason I'm not tr truly, the reason I'm not feeling the, any remorse over any injury that's happened is because it's the greatest privilege of my life to have been allowed to bleed for, for this liberty and this democracy and this freedom that we see blooming and growing and taking hold after 30 years of revolutions. 
And that has been the most incredible anesthetic. That's been the most incredible painkiller. And whatever happens moving forward, I'll say it here on Mariah Report, uh, I'm not going anywhere. And um, people have written me like, this is your out chance. No, there's no getting out. This battle for freedom is something that will never end in our lifetime as long as there's tyranny. And I signed a contract and I'm not going anywhere. So, uh, so many people in this room uh, that have been incredible supporters of mine for many, many months, it, I can't name them all, but one person I am going to point out is uh, Ming. And Ming has um, done more for me than many people could ever realize, but he did something for some friends of mine that was very important. And this is why I want to give him a shout out. Um, back in the spring, uh, some, some folks had moved from Kharkiv uh, to England, uh, a woman and her daughter. And they were basically thrown out on the street by, um, by the host family they were living with. And when all hands were on deck, I'll never forget this, and this is why it's proof that you don't have to be in Ukraine to be playing a huge role in this victory. Uh, Ming worked tire tirelessly along with several others um, to find this family a place to live. And so uh, Ming, you may wanna claim you're merciless, and I know you are when it comes to, to the Vatniks and, and to the orcs, but when it comes to the good people, you are truly a saint. And so I just wanted to give that shout out. And I'm gonna let you all go, much love, and I'm glad to have even been able to speak for a few minutes during this amazing Freedom Marathon, Axel. And you know, a shout out to Axel, because one thing I think one of our first conversations in the spring was that people who would seemingly never be allied can not just become allied, but great combatants together in this war for freedom. And, and that's always stuck with me. So much love, Slava Ukraini, and I'll catch up with you all soon.